Okay, all flight controllers, go no go for landing. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Econ. Go. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle Houston, you're go for landing. Over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. 14,840 people have been diagnosed with the coronavirus. The World Health Organization says no change in the outbreak despite a spike in China. Let's go to Beijing, where Timothy Ulrich is standing by. He is a reporter for China Global Television Network. Hello, sir. Hello. How's it going, David? Well, I'm more concerned about how's it going in uh, Beijing and whether or not it's going here. 14,840 people diagnosed with the coronavirus. Is there a sense that this thing is out of control or that it's being contained? Yes. And yes and no. Is it being contained? I mean, obviously, it's still spreading. But um, I really think that the, the depiction of this as a severe epidemic is it's being depicted in places like the New York Times. It's just, uh, I mean, that's, it's misleading. So if you look at the cases, about officials say that about 80% of the cases, people exhibit basically mild cold symptoms. These extreme pneumonia cases are only about 8% of the cases. I see. It's kind of good to know, but I mean, we're, we're talking about a country that is 1.4 billion people here, mm-hmm. uh, the, the official numbers. And if you look at, you, you just said 14,000 cases in the U.S. this year during the flu season, there was uh, 10,000 deaths because of the flu. I know that you were sick for months. Are you still sick? Uh, well, I'm getting over the cold. Per capita, more Americans have died from the flu than the Chinese have died from the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As uh, uh, Dr. Verdelin pointed out last week on your show, it's a novel virus. That's why it's the um, transmission to humans. That's that's pretty big for coronaviruses, and that's why it's uh, you know it's got that novelty to it. That's why we're picking up on it. But I'd really like to like to be asking the real questions, like. You know, the World Health Organization say that cases like the flu, they'll only get worse as climate change worsens. It's not just the coronavirus here. It's uh, the common cold. It's it's more transmittable viruses that are bound to get worse as we as we continue to destroy our environment. Okay, so there are two issues you're bringing up. One is the relationship between the spread of viruses and climate change, which I'll get to in a second, but the World Health Organization is claiming, and I think you're complaining, that there is something called an infodemic, where people are overreacting because of social media to the coronavirus. There have been numerous pieces published in the New York Times that are saying, like, this is the Chernobyl of China. This will lead to the downfall of the party. Just 
absolutely ludicrous. No one's saying that about the flu in America. Right. Nobody's saying like this is the downfall of the American government. Right. Absurd. Really One, absurd. About 1,000 people have died from the outbreak, far fewer than the 10,000 you say die from the flu each year in the United States. This year, this year there was 10,000, uh, this flu season. Getting the coronavirus is not necessarily a death sentence. Right. Yeah. Those are mainly older people or uh, the younger people who have died are normally more exposed to it. Healthcare providers, what have you. What is life in Beijing like this week? Do you sense panic, calm, indifference? You know, the, the city is under partial lockdown right now. And what that means is that, like, for example, uh, outside guests can't come into my apartment complex. Like, you have to live in the apartment complex in order to go inside. But people are still out. Like, I, I just went to the, the park the other day, and there's a bunch of older people out doing their same routine, getting some exercise. And I asked a couple of them, I was like, are you scared or are you worried? And they were like, no, we're not scared. We're coming outside. We're, yeah, it's just a sense of, sense of calm, at least, is what I was getting. Is the government reacting this way because of world attention on China? Are, are they reacting well, to placate American businesses, European businesses? Are they genuinely concerned about this? Or is this just window dressing to make it look... Oh, no, absolutely. Like, they, they learned the lessons from SARS, right? Comparing, comparing that outbreak to this current one, uh, this one's much worse. And they're saying that it's actually at least as uh, transmittable as SARS. So they're actually concerned about it. You know, they're building seven more of these makeshift hospitals. The message I'm getting from you is this is more of a, a public relations problem than it is a health problem. Well, right. And it, I'd, I'd say it's even worse than a PR problem. I'd say it's a, it's a problem with Western countries dealing with countries like China and just, you know, going all out on this. There was some ridiculous story. It's not just reporting on China. I mean, there was, there was a story out of the DPRK that this man was executed after being tested positive with the coronavirus and going to a bathhouse. Just like ludicrous, unverified reporting, jumping to conclusions. I mean, basically saying that this is the end of China. You know? Well, it's reminiscent of the AIDS outbreak in the early 80s. I mean, I wasn't alive in the 80s, so I wouldn't really know what the reporting was. But I don't know, were they saying like this is the end of communist China? Uh, they were saying it could be the end of our species at one point. They weren't sure how AIDS was spread. There certainly was no vaccine. Oh. They thought it was airborne at one point. Right. The global. Okay. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah. Right. Specifically, when it comes to when it comes to reporting on this, the China factor, you can't you can't overlook that. There's a lot of uh racism going on, but also a lot of stereotyping of China and through the lens of the post-Cold War global regime that uh, views countries like China as inherently evil. Like, that's, that's the basis of, of most coverage when it comes to China and you know, other countries around the world, in South America or Asia or uh, Africa. We should mention that Timothy Ulrich 
is an American citizen working for China Global Television in Beijing. There is legitimate criticism of China. We're hearing it from our president, the trade tariffs. How much of the coronavirus hysteria can be traced back to the White House? Yeah, that's a good question. As far as what the White House has been saying, I really haven't heard much from them or the State Department. And the State Department is saying what? They were telling U.S. citizens to stockpile food a while ago, and now they're saying that they're going to help in every way they can to assist North Korea if there's an outbreak. Kind of just like a funny statement to come out, really. And are American businesses shuttering in Beijing, or are they staying open? People have been at home. They're not coming back to work. It was an extended vacation. A lot of people just working from home, you know, trying to trying to keep it afloat. If, if I work for an American business and I wanted to go to Beijing from the United States, how do I get there now? <laughs> the State Department advises not to travel to China right now. And that's a pretty serious travel advisory. When the State Department says not to go to a specific country, that's pretty serious. Right. How does that affect the economy? How does how reliant is China on American tourism and businessmen going over there and cutting deals? Tourism less so than business, certainly. But we're already seeing Beijing roll out measures to help soften the flow that'll inevitably happen. Uh huh. I mean, we already see uh, Nissan closing, uh, shutting down plants because the supply chain has been has been affected by this outbreak. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of those car parts are made here in China. You're the only person I've spoken with. I, I haven't read anybody who says that we're overreacting when it comes to the coronavirus. But the numbers, well, right. the numbers bear you out. They do. And, and we kind of need this healthier perspective that we are overreacting to it. Yes, we should react to it. Certainly do whatever we can to prevent more deaths, more cases. This whole kind of yellow peril style fear about this outbreak certainly coming into play. What is the relationship to climate change? So we know that the climate's going to become more erratic, colder temperatures. Uh, we know that viruses like the flu, like the coronavirus, they enjoy these colder colder climates. So with more extreme weather comes more chances of, of these outbreaks gaining strength. The colder climates kind of preserve the virus. Heat kills right, it. Right. And cold weather is almost like a refrigerant. And that's actually kind of the, uh, the good side about, about this. So with SARS, we saw that it, once warmer temperatures came in, uh, that was when SARS ended. When the wet temperatures? Warmer temperatures. So it ended about mid-spring. That'll, that'll help in this outbreak as well. Have they come up with a vaccine yet? How close are we to a vaccine? No, I mean, that's still a while away. What people are talking about now, I mean, obviously it's been a development for that has been fast-tracked. People are more concerned about his treatment as well. Well, what are the symptoms? You know, mild cold symptoms. If you have the more extreme and you have a high fever, pneumonia, forgetfulness, dizziness, fatigue, 
For me, that would be uh, Thursday. You got to take care of yourself out there. I, I just think that's living in America. All right. Before yeah. you go, <laughs> tell me what you're doing for fun. What are you doing for Valentine's um, Day? Cooking. <laughs> kind of just staying indoors, watching movies, playing lots of video games. What about going out to dinner? Uh, no, thank you. I don't think that that'll be. Not because of the virus, just because you're staying indoors. Oh, right. Do the Chinese celebrate Look, Valentine's uh, Day? Has that been forced onto them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's Chinese Valentine's Days that are bigger here, but yeah, people are celebrating it. Right. And that's a new phenomenon, like the past 30 years. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Timothy Ulrich is a reporter for China Global Television Network, and he joins us today from Beijing. And I can't thank you enough. This was fascinating. Can you stay on the line for one second? Yeah, sure thing. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Cenk Uger is running in a special election to the U.S. House to represent California's 25th Congressional District. He is on the ballot for the primary election that takes place on Super Tuesday. That's March 3rd, 2020. Welcome, Cenk Uger. Thanks, David. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah, it's great to hear your voice. I've been on your shows, but you've never <laughs> been on mine. And uh, we're thrilled to have you. How do people donate to your campaign? That's my favorite first question. Um, Jank2020.com, and as you know, the name's kind of funny. It's actually C-E-N-K-2020.com. This is pronounced like a J in Turkish. Right. That's why it's Jank, but it's actually C-E-N-K-2020.com. Okay, if you live in the United States, you can donate to Jank. If you don't live in the United States, uh, probably give money to the NRA and then, oh no, we can't, you're a Democrat. You can't donate, you, you can't give to him. And you are endorsed by Howie Klein. I don't know if, I don't know if the Blue America PAC, which he's the founder and treasurer of, has officially endorsed you, but I, you're here because of Howie Klein. And on this show, we support anybody Howie Klein endorses. That's how this show works. <laughs> Seriously, if, if you've yeah. been vetted by Howie Klein, you are, you know, you're in our pocket or we're, you're, we're in your pocket. The 25th Congressional District, there was a, a congresswoman named Katie... Katie Hill. Katie Hill. Katie Hill, who got into a little trouble because of an affair and she was allegedly sleeping with one of her campaign staffers and she had to step down. She was not liked by Howie Klein. She was kind of uh, a D triple C favorite, perhaps. Howie Klein says you're not a favorite of the D triple C and the D triple C is fighting you. They're not helping you. Well, that's the understatement of the year. No, first of all, I'm a progressive. So D triple C is 
to say that they're unlikely to support me, again, massive understatement. Right. Uh, second of all, I fight corruption. So um, my signature issue is getting money out of politics and ending the corporate control of our government. Uh, so mm, that's strike two. Uh, number three is I criticize Democratic leadership. And I don't believe in this cult of, oh, if Pelosi says it, it must be true and it must be progressive. I don't believe that at all. So I, I don't have a lot of love from the DCCC. In fact, they're raising a ton of money against me. Uh, in fact, they had a meeting yesterday, an emergency meeting, to talk about our race because it looks like uh, I might be leading. You might be leading in the race. And it's a jungle primary. Explain to me how this works because you could end up being the, the congressman from California's 25th Congressional District after March 3rd? Is that possible? Well, it's on the board. Yeah, so the, the, here's how it works. Um, on March 3rd, we have two primaries. And once I explain it, you'll get it. It's easy enough. Uh, it, it's a primary for the special election to fill the empty seat because Katie's not there. And so we got to fill that right away. Um, but it's also a primary for the November election uh, because normally you'd have the primary for the election in November in March. So we just we're just having two primaries at once. The general election for the special is if there's only two people goes to May 12th. Okay, because you got to fill the seat right away, right? Mm -hmm. And then the in and then obviously the November election general election is in November, so everybody gets that. The only other little asterisk there is if you somehow get to above fifty percent in the special election primary, you're immediately going to Congress. Okay, and how are you polling? So we we don't have any polling right now, uh, but uh, since they called an emergency meeting, it's possible they have polling saying, "Uh oh, the progressive is going to win." All right. Now you are a, an entrepreneur. Nobody handed you anything in your life. You built the Young Turks from nothing. I mean, from absolutely nothing. You built it into this juggernaut. Uh, it, it's quite remarkable what you accomplished. And you're an entrepreneur, and I, to, I'm not being cute here. I have a problem with successful entrepreneurs running for office. And I'll get to that in a second. And yes, it's jealousy, but we'll get to that in, in a second. But let's talk about Chenk 2020, where everybody should go and give money if you live in the United States. That's CENK2020.com. He's endorsed by Howie Klein. Are you voting for Bernie Sanders? on March 3rd? Of course! <laughs> Did you vote for Bernie Sanders in 2016 or Hillary Clinton in the primaries? Okay, not only did I vote for Bernie Sanders in the primary, uh, in 2013, yes, 2013, I said Bernie Sanders should run and could beat Hillary Clinton. Okay. Uh, I was the first and maybe only pundit uh, that said that he had a chance of being president of the United States. Everyone laughed and laughed and laughed. But in three weeks, we might be the ones laughing. OK, so you started the Young Turks what year? Um, all the way back in 2002. In 2000? Like you said, in 2000. I, yeah, I started it in my uh, living room out of a one bedroom apartment off of Sunset. Uh, in 02, we bought a couple of mics, me and Ben Mankiewicz. Ben Mankiewicz uh, and Mark Thompson. 
and Mark Thompson and Michael Shore and back then Jill Pike. Uh, so all these wonderful, J.R. Jackson, Jesus Godoy all joined uh, recently after that. These are our old school TYT guys that I love so much. Right. I would love to talk to you about that, but we have limited time. And I want to focus on the evolution of Jenk Uger. In 2002, would you have called yourself a progressive, a leftist, a Bernie supporter? What did you think of Bernie in 2002 when you started on the Young Turks? So that's a great question. So that's good enough. I, Let's move on then. My next question. <laughs> go ahead. So at, at that point, uh, we're progressive enough to call ourselves Young Turks because the dictionary definition of Young Turks is young progressives looking to overthrow the established system. Well, let me challenge you on that because I, the Young Turks, as I recall, Weren't they the young guys from Turkey who were being educated by the Kaiser in Germany? Isn't that where it comes from? They were coming back with ideas from Kaiser. Yeah. So, yes and no. And, and, and maybe. And where do you uh, stand so. on World War I? Was it a good idea or a bad idea? I'm against World <laughs> War I. I'm being serious. Let's move on. World War I. Bad idea. Woodrow Wilson? Good president or bad president? Okay, so uh, I will give you credit for being the only person to ask me about Woodrow Wilson during this campaign. Okay, Woodrow Wilson, uh, good president or bad president? You're on the hot seat, Jenk. Right. Well, as with most things in life, it's complicated. Uh, League of Nations was a good idea. Uh, he had a couple other things that were outstanding, and then he had some things that were terrible. Woodrow Wilson, terrible. good president or bad president? The Autobahn <laughs> is fantastic. That doesn't... Uh, that doesn't uh, make Hitler a good guy. Was Woodrow Wilson a good guy or a bad guy? Thumbs well, up or thumbs down? he was awful to minorities. He was awful to minorities. And he was awful in so many other respects. So, you know, then we get to a nuanced conversation about historical context. Uh, and that's, uh, that's interesting. Although, David, uh, these days, no one does context and no one does nuance. So if, if I tell you one thing about Woodrow Wilson or another, I guarantee you both sides use it against me. OK, and, uh, I, and this is my problem with Democrats and with entrepreneurs. They see nuance. They see complication on moral issues. There are certain issues that are no longer political. They are moral, like Medicare for all, free college at all public universities, free tuition at all universities. Why do we allow uh, room for gray areas and nuance? You, you say to me there's no more nuance in our conversation where there's too much nuance now. Mm, no, there's too much lies. So, for example, uh, Medicare for all. Um, well, they pretend that there's nuance there where on that one, I agree with you, it's a little bit more black and white because Medicare for all is the only thing that gives you universal health care. And then they do, they purposely uh, mislead people by saying things like Medicare for all those, for those who want it. I mean, that's the most comical, ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It isn't Medicare and it isn't Medicare for all. And you don't actually have a choice. Every part of that is a lie. You still have co-pays, premiums, deductibles, your health insurance still goes up. People still die without having health insurance none of it is true uh medicare for all is the only single payer universal health care but you'd never know that if you watch tv because they lie about it 24 7 right, right. Uh, and college for all look uh, david 
my my dad was a literal olive farmer in southeastern Turkey, and had it was dirt poor, and uh, and so. If he had, if Turkey back in the 1960s did not offer free college, I would still be an olive farmer in Turkey. No exaggeration, no probably joke. Probably happier. No You'd probably be happier. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not all the stress. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but he got a free education. Uh, his family and friends helped him buy food, and they gave him a tiny little room in an apartment in Istanbul. So with no money at all, he became a mechanical engineer and eventually started his own company and came to America. So what people don't understand is, is college for all is not only the moral thing to do, it's also the pragmatic thing to do. It actually helps the economy. Right. He created hundreds of jobs, and then I created hundreds of jobs, uh, which might get you back to the entrepreneur stuff. Yeah. But if you, if you want, I'll also answer just real quick is, uh, about my um, progression uh, from 2002 to now. Uh, I've had this long transition from being a Republican to being a diehard progressive. Uh, and it was like the education of Jane Huger uh, slowly, and sometimes even with the, the callers and the viewers of the show. So I remember switching my position on the estate tax while we were doing the early years of the Young Turks. So there was I was definitely not as progressive as I am today. Um, the caller made a great point about it. He said Conrad Hilton is got taxed once, and when the estate tax goes to Paris Hilton, Paris Hilton's getting taxed for the first time, and she didn't even have to work for it. Uh, I was like, "That's such a good point." I'm immediately switching my position. Right. So, uh, you know, the having an open mind, I think, is a great thing, um, uh, but oftentimes people get punished for it. Yeah, not everybody's Bernie. Not everybody came out of the womb saying this isn't fair. This is, it's cold, I need, I need a blanket, what, I want uh, access to both breasts immediately. I mean, some people come out and they go, oh, okay, life is good, it's, uh, you know, we, we all change, but except for Bernie. Bernie, would you agree, is uh, perhaps uh, potentially the most transformative candidate in your lifetime? Beca because oh, the times dictate that, though. Uh, unquestionably, uh, you know, I, I used to think that maybe there was like a whole progressive contingent in Congress, but since we weren't strong enough, uh, they couldn't muster up enough votes to win, et cetera. And Bernie was part of that contingent. And there's a little bit of truth to that. Obviously, Paul Wellstone was around for a while and he was a great progressive Kucinich and a couple of others. Right. Mm -hmm. But but at the end of the day, it turns out, no, there's only been one giant uh, and that's Bernie. And right. So when I endorsed him this time around, I said, look, this guy's been carrying us on his shoulders for the last 40 years, and he's fought for us for all this time. we got to return the favor, and this is the time we fight for him. Right, right, right. So I think the, the Democratic establishment is like the Soviet Union in 1990, that we think there's something there, but there's no there there. I think you can just flick them with your index finger and they're going to crumble. And I see it with Elizabeth Warren, uh, the way she's turning on Bernie bros and she doesn't like the, 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 the tenor of the, the campaign now because they are all, and including Elizabeth Warren, I'm sad to say, and I would vote for her. She'd still be the greatest president of my lifetime, which speaks volumes to how horrible my lifetime has been. But uh, they crumble. 
they crumble because they're all full of fertilizer, including Elizabeth Warren, who's now talking about affordable health care as opposed to free health care. And so they, they get called on this, and suddenly the Bernie bros are too nasty because we're calling them on their BS. There's nothing there anymore, right? The, no. the, the, the Democratic establishment is going to crumble into a 20 trillion little pieces this year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we're about to find out, David. And so, look, um, I said on the night of the Trump's election uh, that the Democratic Party is so pathetic and weak that they lost a, a buffoon like Donald Trump. They lost at that point. They lost a thousand seats nationwide. They lost 69 out of the 99 uh legislative chambers across the country at the state level. And I said, well, then why don't we pull up our pirate ship uh, of us progressives up to their aircraft carrier, board it, and take it over? Right. Because if they're that weak, uh, and it's supposed to be our party anyway, we're, we're the people representing FDR. It's, they, they didn't build this party. We built this party. Right. And the voters are us. We're the base. So uh, I launched a group called Justice Democrats and along with a couple of Bernie uh, staffers. And lo and behold, the people that we helped to get elected were AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, uh, and we have boarded the ship. Okay. Uh, and if I get into Congress, oh boy, uh, takeover is in full swing. Okay. You identify with the squad. I mean, I don't just identify with them. I co-founded Justice Democrats, the group right. that supported all of them. We Young Turks raised about two and a half million dollars for that group. Where do you stand on the elimination of ICE? Vice? ICE. ICE. Oh, ICE. Yeah. So, see, that's another interesting evolution. Um, I remember when... Well, uh, we're, we're, I have limited time with you, so I have a lot of questions. And I'm trying to impress you because uh, you're Jenk Uger. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to really do my Mike, my best Mike Wallace with you. So, I got you. OK, so where do you stand on ice? Answer the question. I'm trying to impress you. Yeah, I got you. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, this isn't Chuck Todd. Yeah, I you're on you. the you're on the hot seat. Ice. So eliminate it. Look, the, the function that it serves, other than the Gestapo tactics inside the country, uh, half of that function is necessary. So it would go to other departments. So that, that's just a fact. But the, the part where they go round up people in the middle of the country, of course, needs to be abolished and ended. What about truth and reconciliation with Homeland Security? Do you believe that there should be hearings on the, the staff, the Homeland Security staff? that has rounded up these people and, and denied them flu shots and health care and the sadism within Homeland Security? I mean, we're talking about sadists. When, when Barack Obama got into office... Uh, yes or no? That, yes or no? When he do said you, the famous think, line, uh, we don't look backwards, we look forward. Well, that makes no sense. If you don't look backwards, you can't ever prosecute any criminals or ever find out what actually happened. So will we look backwards to see the crimes that were committed uh, under Homeland Security? If there were crimes, absolutely we will. Okay, where do you stand on the U.S. MCA? Did I get it right? U.S. Mexico? 
the, the, yeah. tra- the new trade deal. Where do you yeah. stand on for it or against? I think Bernie's right that it needs a lot more environmental protections. And most importantly, it needs to be written by the people and not by corporations. So too many times, or almost every time, our trade deals are written by multinational corporations. And I've got shocking news for people. They don't have our best interests in mind. Okay. And do you believe that corporations should be punished using our tax code? Should they be punished when they ship jobs overseas? No, it depends on what you mean by a punish. Um, so if, if there are ways to do it right where you say, hey, listen, if you want a government contract, you're going to have to produce that here. Um, so there, the dreaded nuance word uh, is appropriate, David. But what about taxing corporations when they ship jobs overseas? It depends on how you do it. That might make a lot of sense, uh, but you could also structure that in a way that's counterproductive. What so co- that one, the devil's in the de- details. What, what committee assignments are you looking towards? You're a lawyer. You graduated from Columbia Law School. Would you want to be on the House Judiciary Committee? Well, that, that would be, I mean, look, there's, I love politics. I love policy. So I want to be on every committee. Obviously, you can't do but that. What committee, uh, what, what committee are so, you eyeing? So Katie Hill uh, had certain committee assignments, which would be great to keep for this. And uh, top among them for me is oversight. Oh, let me add them. Okay. Let me add them. House oversight. We may not uh, have house oversight after the Supreme Court rules in June as to how much <laughs> oversight we have. I know. And how much so, by you, the way, other committees you... that are really important are House Ways and Means and Energy and Commerce. So they're important for my district, but they're also important because they control the budget. Uh, and that that's where the real power is. I would love to get on those committees and we'll fight hard to make that happen. Are you against fracking? Yes. Is that bad for your district? Does that take jobs away from your district? No, our district is perfect for solar and wind energy. Half of it is the Mojave Desert, and it is, I mean, anybody who's ever been there knows how windy it is, and it creates higher-paying jobs and fixes uh, the planet. It's, it's perfect for us. Okay, the Pentagon can't be audited. They tried, I think, a year ago. Can't do it. Let's just say a trillion dollars. They say $750 billion, $800 billion a year, but it's about trillion. How much would you be willing to cut from defense spending? Uh, that one again is nuanced, David. So it's a matter of. Do we what need we a space having? force? Do we need a space force? Uh, I would be surprised if we needed a space force. <laughs> but uh, so we need to look. For example, I talked to somebody from Lockheed Martin uh, who's a constituent, and Lockheed Martin is now doing green energy. Great. Let's push them in that direction. Let's help them to go in that direction. So is Exxon Mobil, but the the the. Most of their money comes from oil, and most that's of right. Lockheed Martin's money comes from that's, that's death right. and destruction from above. Uh, I hear you on that. So, but we need to get the jobs to the industries that help the planet rather than hurt the planet. So, if ExxonMobil switched over to doing just green energy, fantastic. I'll take it. Uh, but right now, they're doing a lot of damage to the planet, that's for sure. And. Wars overseas. Do we have an enemy? Who is our enemy? Uh, so, you know, that kind of talk, uh, of course, uh, gets absurd. So it depends on the situation. So 
Should we go into the uh, wars we're in now in the Middle East? Absolutely not. Bring the troops home. Uh, This provocation with Iran was absurd and incredibly dangerous. We should have never done it. Uh, And we should bring all of our troops home from the Middle East. Uh, Is North Korea a potential danger with all the nukes that they're building? Yes. Uh, Is there a smart way of dealing with that? Yes. It involves pressuring China. Uh, It doesn't involve falling in love with Kim Jong-un. It also doesn't involve starting a war with Kim Jong-un. You've got to be balanced and strategic. China. Doing business with China, given how they've treated Tibet, the Dalai Lama, the Uyghurs, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, given the the treatment of their people and their neighbors, is doing business with China tantamount to doing business with Adolf Hitler in the 30s? Well, you know, everybody pronounces uh, the name differently, but it's actually the same thing as my last name. You. Yeah. Uh, and so it's the uh, Uyghur people in China. It's I, I'm not ethnically connected to them, but we are named after them. Oh, really? And so, uh, yeah. And okay. so uh, obviously uh, I feel tremendous empathy for them. And I hope that I would, even if they I wasn't named after them. Um, and these, are Muslims, have, these are Muslims who are being rounded up. They're basically in uh, in a Warsaw ghetto, essentially. It's a concentration camp, and yes. it's also a re-education camp. And so it is awful, awful what is happening. Now, the, then we get into the question of what do you do about it? And so our current uh, trajectory is absolutely nothing. Uh, Trump couldn't care less. By the way, I'm not sure that a Democratic president, if, unless it's Bernie, would care that much. Uh, I would care intensely about it. I also care about the concentration camps in North Korea. I also care about the ethnic cleansing in, in Myanmar. Uh, and, and we've got to have a moral component to our uh, policies. Also, though, here, I don't, you know, David, I don't know if I'm going to lose you, but we're going we're gonna to have to do trade with people. And, we're gonna, and maybe trade is a way to influence them in the right direction. Again, you got to be smart and balanced about that. If you use it as a tool to as an incentives and disincentives to get them to end that, that's wonderful. If you just do it because you want to make money and ignore those people, then that's terrible. Two thirds of our GDP is what you and I purchase here in the United States. Only one third of our GDP is comes from trade. Is this trade with China? because there doesn't seem to be a trade surplus with China, there's a trade deficit, isn't it really sending jobs to China? Isn't this really cheap labor? Isn't it more about a race to the bottom than it is with, uh, isn't, than trade with China? Aren't we outsourcing jobs to China? Isn't that what this is really about? We can get our iPhones made for pennies on the dollar. Is this trade or slavery? No, so I wouldn't go as far as slavery. No, and well, slavery and was more expensive, Jenk. Seriously, you had yeah. to. It was more expensive to own slaves in the South. It would be mm-hmm. more expensive to have slaves make our iPhones in the South than to have them made by Foxconn. No, David. Look, does it lead to outsourcing? Yes. Uh, is it a race to the bottom? Yes. Uh, and on the other hand, if we close ourselves off. 
the rest of the world is going to go on its merry way. It's not like we can end all international trade. Uh, I'm asking you if this is trade. I'm saying it's not trade. We're not we're not trading with China. We're shipping jobs to China, hoping that they will eventually eat a uh, Kentucky fried chicken. But that is part of trade. Uh, we, we do, we do. They do buy soybeans from us, and we do buy electronic equipment from them. It's and some of that is uh, made in China. And but we're losing. Yes, there's a trade deficit. Very about a, American workers. There's a trade deficit, so we're not benefiting from this. And no, the, and they have an immoral regime. Yeah, it's not as simple as that. Just because you have a trade deficit in any given year with a country doesn't mean that you have, quote unquote, lost that money. Um, but but it, it, should you be concerned if you have a long term trade deficit with one country? Uh, yes, because there's some imbalance there that needs to be addressed. For example, if they were to buy more things made in America, well, then that would help American workers and that would help our uh trade get more balanced with them but i think just shutting it off is is not the right strategy so there's room for, there's room for nuance i know we're short on time but there's room for nuance despite the uyghurs are there a million muslims in concentration camps in china right now yeah that seems to be the number and so, and there's ethnic exactly. cleansing in tibet i mean what they've done to the dalai lama and i believe to buddhism they've pretty much uh, are destroying the Dalai Lama and his religion in in Tibet. Yeah. So there's room so, for nuance when it comes to ethnic cleansing. The perfect example, David, is uh, Stalin was one of the worst murderers in world history, and we made a deal with him to beat Hitler. But we're not uh, at so. war. We're not at war right now. So we're it, building it, up. All we're doing is building up Stalin or building up Hitler. We're not at war yeah. with anybody. We don't need China. Well, other than controlling there, North, David, North if Korea. You don't want to do, if you say you don't want to do nuance at all, I just don't agree. So if in that situation there was a war and we had to make a deal with the devil uh, to save millions of lives that were uh, in concentration camps that led to actually people being incinerated. So in this case you might be able to use the economy and economic incentives to get them to stop the concentration. If you just say, well, okay, despite you guys, we're not trading with you at all. That might lead you to the, uh, to the right conclusion that it might get them to stop the camps or it might be, it might backfire. It might be counterproductive. Then they say, great, then I'll double the camps because I, then I have no reason to deal with you at all. And I don't care about your moral concerns and I'll just trade with other people. Okay. Cenk Uger is running for Congress in California's 25th district. He's endorsed by me and Howie Klein. Go to Cenk2020, that's C-E-N-K 2020. Give him money. I'm going to ask you the toughest question. And most candidates I interview cannot answer this question. Are you ready? Because you're in the hot seat, Cenk. I'm ready. Okay. Name one good thing that Wall Street contributes to America. It's a difficult question. (laughs) Tell me one good thing that Goldman Sachs, that Bank of America contributes to, to America, to our economy. Well, theoretically, and not theoretically, some, you're in the hot seat, Jenk. 
And sometimes practically, <laughs> the way that it's supposed to work with banks is that they loan a, a business money, they do an investment in a company or a loan in a company, and uh, and then that helps that company grow and hire a lot of people and be successful. And then you pay the money back. That's the way it's supposed to work, and that is important and necessary. So we need banks. Well, does Bank of America and Goldman Sachs mainly do that? These days, unfortunately, the answer is no. Okay, so you didn't answer my question. Yeah, Bank of America does do loans. So, yes, they would do some good. That is one good thing I could say about them. Although I could name 100 uh, bad things that Bank of America and Goldman Sachs does. How do we reverse the deepening of our financial sector in our GDP? The, the, uh, the head of the IMF is warning that the financial sector is too entrenched in the world's GDP. Uh, so how do we get the financial? You talk about getting rid of corruption. How do we start shutting down these, these, uh, the, these brokerage houses? Because they're entrenched, not just yeah. in Washington, but in our economy. We have people just pushing paper back and forth. That's bad for the economy. How do we how do we convince Americans that Wall Street, as Bernie says, is a business model predicated on fraud, which it is. How do we convince people of that? So now now we're at the heart of the problem. So the the main not the, necessarily the main way they make money, but it's a big portion of their uh, revenue and profits. Uh, and and the, but the main problem for the economy is the derivatives that these uh, financial companies build. So bet, last time they built bet on housing, but this time they're betting on. Um, company loans. So it's very complicated how, how they do it. It used to be CDOs, now it's CDSs. But I, I, went, I went to Wharton Business School. They're not going to get anything past me. Uh, you went so to I Wharton Business exactly, School? Yes, I did. Yeah. And, you, and you have a degree in law from Columbia? Yeah. Um, All right, I, gotta so, just, I have a problem with that, but go ahead. Yeah. So when when they say, oh, trust us, these derivatives aren't problematic and they're creative financial instrument instruments. No, they're a creative way of doing gambling on a universal level like we've never seen before. So just so and I understand, you're saying, you're saying that you, when corporate- you take that kind of risk, you will at some point crash. They're going to crash the global economy again. I guarantee it. You're saying corporate debt this time is at yes. record levels as opposed to the debt in 2007, which was mortgage debt. That's exactly right. And and David, the problem isn't the corporate debt itself, which is also uh, an issue. But what they do is they then, in essence, to simplify it, make bets that are 10 times as large, sometimes 100 times as large on that debt. So when the debt collapses, it creates a massive domino effect that no bank can recover from, which then craters the financial uh, the economy overall, but it starts with finance, and that's the first domino. And they took home all the profits from those from that gambling in their bonuses and in, in their salaries. But when it collapses, they put the all of the costs on us. It's socializing the gains and uh, I'm sorry, privatizing the gains and socializing the costs. Right. And it's totally unacceptable. That's one of the first things we have to fix before they blow up the economy again. 
we're lucky enough to get there in time. Yeah. I mean, the, what you're saying about corporate debt is if you look at the 500 biggest companies in America, only a handful are driving the, the profits. Most of them are doing poorly or okay at best. It's really... You know, uh, Facebook, Apple, they're they're when you see that the Dow Jones is up, it's because of uh, a handful of companies. Most of these corporations are taking on massive debt because the Federal Reserve is keeping interest rates at zero. And now they're trading, as you say, that debt and creating collateralized debt obligations. And they're betting on that debt. They're passing paper back and forth. And that will eventually destroy this economy. The whole house of cards will come crashing down unless we step in and probably raise interest rates the way we should. Cheap money is 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 a sugar high and this country is about to come down with type two diabetes. So before you go, and thank you for doing this and you're fantastic and people should go to Jenk2020.com and give him money. He's Jenk has been endorsed by Howie Klein and me, and I have tremendous respect and resentment towards you. And so this is my last question. You're a very successful individual. You built a company uh, out of nothing with your own hands. You're a graduate of Wharton, a graduate of Columbia Law School. And I'm being serious here. What about the mediocrities like me? What, where is our representation in Washington, D.C. And I'm being absolutely serious. People like me are not represented in Washington. Where is the guy who who never really made it? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm being serious. Where, David, where? David, David, don't worry about a thing. Are you kidding me? Washington is filled with mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you're you you I know you're a great guy. You are. And uh, and you're a good family man and you've built a business and you believe in the American dream. But I'm not so sure that people should, especially in the Democratic Party, be running on their resume because that suggests you're out of touch with the mediocrities. You ran a business. You're part of management. Where are the labor leaders? Where are the teachers? Where are the divorced middle-aged men who have uh, a podcast that's just scraping by? Where's our representation? And I'm being so serious. Actually, and I'm being absolutely yeah. serious. David, actually, you're getting to a really, really important point and actually one of the main points of my run. And and so I, I was at a debate of the other major candidates didn't show up because they, they don't want to debate me. They're scared they, and they don't care about the voters. They're out doing fundraisers in Beverly Hills, et cetera. Uh, but the other uh, Democrats that have almost no money were at the debate. Now, consultants don't want to tell you don't debate them. Because you're just giving them attention. I hate that. No, we're going to discuss ideas. We're going to share our ideas with the voters. And and one of them said, well, look, Cenk, it's also not fair because you've raised a lot of money and, and we didn't have the national audience to be able to do that. And and the reality is they're absolutely right. So what my number one mission is to create 
to get end corruption, get money out of politics, and publicly finance all elections. So if we publicly finance all elections, then all of those guys on that debate stage could potentially have the same amount of money as me or anyone else in this race. So I'm lucky we got this little bit of a sliver of an opportunity here because because of the national audience, because I talk to progressives and back progressives for 18 years, they're backing me now. If I if I get in, uh, I might be able to change the system. But right now, those guys don't have a chance because they can't reach the voters with their message. Even if they have the best message in the world, they can't reach the voters. But if I get in and I change the system, what that does is it opens the gates behind me. And then teachers, plumbers, whoever else can run without needing all this damn money, and, and we would all be on an even playing field, and then we can go back to democracy and have all the different professions in Congress like we're supposed to, instead of a, just a bunch of millionaires who are connected to other millionaires. Right. Okay. I have to let you go. You, you say you're capable of evolution, and you have. You have definitely grown from a Republican to a Bernie supporter, and I salute you. The first time I did the Young Turks, you and I debated Ariana Huffington. This was about mm-hmm. nine years ago. I'm yep. just going to ask you, true or false? True or false, Ariana Huffington is an existential threat to the Democratic Party. She is morally deficient. She's a fraud. She's a danger to the community. And she should be rounded up and uh, put on trial for exploiting her workers, and she is the most disgusting human being who lives in California. True or false? False. Okay. You still, you still believe that Ariana Huffington is not the most disgusting human being living in California? Yes, out of the many millions of people, I wouldn't put her close to that list, no. You, you disagree that Ariana Huffington is not the most repulsive, grotesque human being on the planet. Okay. Yes, I disagree. All right, so you're not, you know, on some things you haven't evolved. Uh, Cenk, <laughs> she is, she is. Cenk uh, Uger, do you still talk to her? Uh, I haven't talked to her in years, uh, but I, I'm not opposed to talking to her. Give her my hate. Cenk Uger, 2020. Cenk2020.com, give him money. Go to cenk2020.com donate money. He is endorsed by Howie Klein and me. He's running for California's 25th congressional district. He may be our next congressman next month, right? If you do well enough, right? It is theoretically possible. Yes. Congressman Cenk Uger, and, the, and then you are no longer on the Young Turks. Well, I can't be paid by the Young Turks, but they won't be able to get rid of me. Uh, also, uh, we have guest hosts who are AOC's been on. Other uh, political figures have been on as guest hosts. So, yep. <laughs> Stay on the line for one second, please. Sure. Thank you, Dave. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Let us now return to Washington, D.C., where the Reverend Barry W. Lynn is standing by. 
He was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State from 1992 to November of 2017. Besides being an attorney, he is also an ordained minister in the United Church. Uh, let me see. Hang on. Of Am I pronouncing this right? Christ? So perfect. Thank you. It's just marvelous how much you've come, how far you've come <laughs> in the ability to pronounce the names of religions of which you are not a part. No. I'm not it's a, very good. I'm not even you a part can... of the religion I'm a part of. <laughs> lot, to go, right. lot to go yes. over. Lot to go much. over. Uh, you're gonna, we have a new segment on the show. You're going to each week tell us who the religious nut of the week is. You're going to tell us who the hypocrite of the week is. But first, I know that you love movies. You, I do. And I want to ask you about the Oscars. But I have a trivia question that I want to ask you. Yeah. I think you're the All only right. person who can answer this. Did you see The Irishman? Of course. Twice. I saw it six times. And there's a little joke, an inside joke, that I have never bothered to ask anybody about. Because I figure, why bother? It's annoying. But I figured Barry W. Lynn probably got the inside joke. When the great Joe Pesci, McGee, that's his name, yep. the Irishman. Correct. McGee is giving instructions to Robert De Niro to go down to the south and kind of help in the uh, Bay of Pigs operation. Joe Pesci says... You're going to meet a fairy named Fairy. Give him, what's it, park the truck. Now, when he says you're going to meet a fairy named Fairy. Yeah. Do you get the joke? Um, no. Really? Do I get the joke? Joe Pesci telling Robert De Niro that he has to drive the truck down to. Sure. I believe it was Miami. I don't remember specifically. And they're loading arms for the Bay of Pigs. And Pesci right. says, you're going to meet a fairy named Fairy. What's the joke? Why is that funny? Well, it, I don't think it is particularly funny. Okay. But uh, he's saying you will meet a gay person whose name is Fairy. Uh-huh. But why but, is that funny that Joe Pesci is saying that? I have no idea. Well, you should. I didn't watch it six times. Maybe the next time I watch it, it'll sound funnier because we've had this conversation. Well, why is it funny? I'm going to open that you up know. to my listeners, and we'll see if anybody gets the answer next All week. Right. I'm surprised because I, I, I think I'm being a bit of an a-hole, and I never brought it up. And I thought, if I bring it up, it's like, why bring But the, it's a it's an inside joke that cinephiles should get. All right. Well, I will frankly be waiting. And, you know, people could even give me the answer. They can write me uh, on my Facebook page or my Twitter page, and they can tell me in advance what they're going to tell you. I would say you are truly one of the most brilliant men I've ever met. And quite frankly, one of the most brilliant women I've ever met. But that's <laughs> nobody's business. And... <laughs> For you not to get that reference, I find that uh, fun. So if 
any of our listeners gets the 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 inside joke. Why is it an inside joke that Joe Pesci says you're going to meet a fairy named Fairy? Why why is that why is that funny? Email us. Let's see if anybody gets that. <laughs> and you really can't look it up. I, maybe you could. Maybe you could Google. You'd have to do no, some don't, detective. Don't suggest that people do that. Don't suggest that people cheat. That they engage in some kind of corrupt practice because we have enough of that going on right here in Washington every day. People should be responsible enough to either know this or not know it and not look it up. Actually, <clears throat> I'm drinking some Perrier. Well, that's too bad. Yeah, I know. It's French. I know. It's like French fries. They didn't come from France. Does Perrier come from France? I don't think so, but it is a French word. It says but that water captured at the source in France. So, yes, it does come from France. Well, that's, that's good. But wow. that, to go back to the Oscars, the two things were outrageous. That the Irishman did not win a single award. That was terrible. And the other... Are you there? French film hey, called hey, Les you, you broke up a little, Which sir. is a kind of update. Oh, well, it's an updated version of Les Miserables that was uh, posted as one of the nominees for Best International Film. Mm -hmm. It did not win, but it's absolutely brilliant. And it got crushed by Parasite, which is a wonderful film about class struggles in Korea that translate to class struggles anywhere in the world. But it was going to win Best Picture, and it did, and it should have. Really? But it didn't win, but I also won International okay. Best Picture. For first time in Oscar history. That a, a foreign language film that was shot in a foreign language one. Yes. Yes. And it was brilliant. Did you see that? I have Six not. Times? I have not. Had, uh, I have not had time. I find myself watching well, that's fewer and watching fewer movies. The Irishman. That's why, because you're watching The Irishman six times at three and a half hours a clip. <sighs> but it's Pesci and De Niro. Yeah, I know. And you know, there's that great line: "He'll meet a fairy." Name fairy. fairy. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. No, I time. haven't gotten in any. I haven't learned anything. Okay. What do you think of the Oscars not having any host? Do you, I think that's a good first I think step. It was what about no nominees? I think that's the next step. <laughs> no nominees. I, you know, I really, you know, it's a sordid history uh, to the Oscars because here it was an old kind of a men's club deciding to give awards to each other um, and uh, to keep rigid control over actors, actresses, and directors in Hollywood. And unions. And so, it was anti-union. It was very much anti-union, so it has a, a, a dim history, and um, it's gradually correcting some of that. Uh, but I, it just... Um, I, I knew the head of the Motion Picture Association of America during the, uh, the 80s, Frank Pearson, who was actually a wonderful guy, but... Um, I don't have any other connection to the Oscars. This year I wasn't even going to watch it because I just figured it's – I'm kind of against these award shows unless it's the Screen Actors Guild, something where the peers vote, not, not critics and not hangers-on, 
but actual actors and actresses vote for their peers, and I think that's worth keeping. But yeah. this thing... And then why did Eminem show up singing a song that won, what, 10 or 12 years ago? A lousy song, which probably shouldn't have won best song at the time. But why did they throw him in now? I don't know. I, no, it was terrible. I, I'm, I'm against the I'm against song the award shows. Any award shows. Yeah, you know why? It's like why? Picking, it's like picking your favorite child, which, you know, is, <laughs> it's easy to do that, but it's rude. Like, why tell your child it, which one is your favorite? Exactly. And how do you compare these movies? If you look at the best picture nominations, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I also loved, uh, you compare that to 1917, which I liked, but I think it was considerably overrated, although it did win for certain camera work and sound effects, which were spectacular. But how do you compare these stories and then add on to that the Irishman and Parasite, they're so different. Well, I think it's, you it's, have stumbled into something that the Democrats have also arrived at, and that is how do you compare Bernie to Buttigieg? How, how, why should they be competing? They're identical. So they're exactly. both going to win. They both get to declare exactly. victory speeches. Yeah, well, uh, uh, Mayor Pete certainly... Uh, did a preemptive number in Iowa. And uh, I was disappointed in Iowa, not because of the result, because Bernie, after all, did get more actual votes. And because of the goofiness of the caucus system in Iowa, um, he didn't get treated fairly. And he he was really, uh, bl he was blamed, frankly, for the things that were happening in Iowa because he had the nerve to actually call for transparency, mm -hmm. that he wanted raw released and the sub rosa complaint that night was here is this guy we did what he said we should do now we have more things to count so don't blame us for the fact that we didn't train anybody about how to use an app when you buy an app you download it on your phone normal people test it out when it's something as significant as this method of counting votes in Iowa you would think that there would have been intense study and the kind of uh, training in the use of this app and there wasn't. And a lot of people didn't even download the app until virtually the night of the caucuses. Let's trust. I believe. We have to trust that, the technocrats, the, the Buddha Judge technocrats acronym. <laughs> didn't they build that app? I thought, well, it was a, a, a Clinton staffer. Who created the app, I believe. Yeah, and made a lot of money. Yeah. Who cares and if it, it didn't works? Work. Of course. But everybody's to blame. And the guy who runs the Iowa Democratic uh, Party, who I believe is about to announce that he's quitting. Hmm. I may be wrong about it, but I think he's about to announce that, that he's quitting. He ought to quit. The whole thing was a fiasco. And it... it broke the momentum necessary for even Bernie to do better in New Hampshire, which is also a state that shouldn't even be allowed to be among the first 
in the nation to vote because it has such a, a horrendous racial mix. Mix. I, I lived in New Hampshire in a, a very unpleasant 18 months. I think I saw one African-American person in the entire time I was up there. And now one. we go to South Carolina. Well, we go to Nevada. <clears throat> yep. And then we go to South Carolina. How do you see this shaking out? A lot of people think Bernie can't do it, but Buttigieg has the money, doesn't have the infrastructure, and I don't think no. he's got the votes. Klobuchar doesn't have the money, certainly not the infrastructure. Warren has the infrastructure, no more money. Who but Bernie? I mean, Bernie... Isn't he poised to go all the way now? I think uh, there's a good chance that he will. But I do think we can never underestimate the fact that the media hates him. Yeah. The media hates the media hates progressives. Yeah. Just a few nights ago, I was watching a Chris Cuomo. Why am I watching Chris Cuomo? Why was I watching the Oscars? Because I'm doing my income taxes. Hmm. And you can do that. You can do two things at once. Watch something that's going to annoy me and then also uh, do my taxes, which also annoys me. <laughs> but the other day, the other day, the Quinnipiac poll came out about doing head to head competitions between every Democrat who had any viability, and Trump. And my Twitter feed and my Facebook feed were just filled with this great news. Democrats going, look at this. Anybody can win. Biden defeats Trump seven points. Bernie defeats Trump eight points. Bloomberg defeats him nine points. Buttigieg defeats him by four points. So I thought, well, should we be that excited about a poll that is taken at this time, even though Quinnipiac is a reasonably a reliable or well thought of poll? So I went back and looked at what the Quinnipiac polling was doing at the end of the 2016 race. Here's, here's some numbers. October the 19th, Clinton defeats Trump 47 to 40. In the Quinnipiac poll. Okay. Now that's not even within the Marshall. realm of error yeah. in the poll. November yeah. 2nd, they decided to go more intensely at certain states. They did predict correctly that Ohio would go for Trump. Florida, 46 to 45 Clinton. Pennsylvania, 48 to 43 Clinton. North Carolina, 47 to 44 Clinton. They were completely wrong, not only on the macro level, but also on these states. But So don't get excited. I don't think you get excited looking at polls that show that Trump can be defeated by anyone, including a ham sandwich. Yeah. Which you can but, indict if you want to. You can indict them if you're uh, an attorney. Yes. Uh, generally. You run, uh, that's an old joke. Yeah. And that's a, a funny joke. It, it's it's similar to the joke about uh, Joe Pish saying, uh, uh, meet a fairy named Fairy. Yeah. So these numbers, these polls, they're just, Quinnipiac's just not, good enough in the 2016 election for anybody to get excited about they, what they say now okay. about this coming election. 
So, Bernie, 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 I personally am not in favor of a coronation. I I want it to be tough for Bernie on the way to Milwaukee because the more he's vetted, the sharper his blades, and he'll be ready for Trump. So I don't believe that you get weakened when you're challenged by your own party. I believe it makes you stronger because it forces you to have all the answers. And if you remember the 2012 debate between Romney and Obama, Obama lost that first one because he had been president for four years, surrounded by yes men. And Romney went through a really rigorous primary season and knew how to debate. Obama was able to make a comeback. Uh, so I'm all for Bernie getting beaten up on the way to Milwaukee. I think it's good for him, and I think it's good for the party, and I think fighting it out, I think uh, I think it's good to fight it out. That's what family does. Uh, That's right. And, and I thought Bernie was really smart in his victory speech in New Hampshire. I thought his victory speech was much better than Pete Buttigieg's victory speech. No, of course it was. And when he said, I will. It was better than Elizabeth Warren's non-victory speech. Yeah, hang on for one second. But he did say something up front, and that is, I will support anybody who gets this nomination. I'm hoping it's me, but I will support anybody. That's right. Elizabeth Warren is imploding uh, uh, the way I knew she would. She, there's no there there. You know, she's not an original thinker. She just is not an original thinker. She discovers something and she thinks she's the first one and the only one who got (laughs) it. And she's 20 years late. She'd make a good, she'd make a good vice president for Bernie. She'd make a great secretary of labor. She'd make a great... Secretary of the Treasury, or tre- I always forget, is it Secretary of the Treasury or Treasurer? There are two different posts there that I confuse. Right, but Secretary of the Treasury, I think, is what you're thinking of. Yeah. But no, but here's the problem with Elizabeth Warren. I don't think that she, any more than Bernie, have been treated fairly by the mainstream media. I was, I was about to say something about Chris Cuomo that I watched the other night. He had Elizabeth Warren on for the very first time one day before the New Hampshire primary. Now, think about this. What was he doing? Why did it take him till the day before the New Hampshire primary to have Elizabeth Warren, who is certainly a credible candidate? And the only reason is he was so busy making sure that he could have interviews with Kellyanne and Jay Sekulow, and he doesn't even win those arguments, but he's arrogant enough to think that he's a great debater and he can just put these people on and skewer them, almost never happens. But why fill up the time with Kellyanne's lies instead of having a responsible conversation with a serious candidate for the Democratic nomination, Elizabeth Warren? Why did it take them this long? Well, they have this this idea that that's how you get ratings. It hasn't been borne out because CNN isn't doing particularly (laughs) well. But they think confrontation trumps news. And I watched Bill Maher the other night, and I love Bill Maher. But he had Steve Bannon on, and Bannon just steamrolled him. Because you can't, yeah. you can't debate your guests. You're the host. 
and it's unseemly <laughs> to bring Steve Bannon on and go for the jugular. And Bannon is evil, but he is really yes, he is. He's, he's smart. He's Pat Buchanan smart. And he knows yep. where he is and how to cater to the audience. And he just steamrolled Bill Maher. It's why you don't give these people oxygen. He, Steve no. Bannon has enough oxygen. He doesn't need to go on real time with Bill Maher. He doesn't need that exposure. But they think they're it's good numbers. It's good for the audience. And it isn't. It, it's, it's frustrating. It's not no, it's, satisfying. Look, it's the same. It's the same reason that you watch, if you watch MSNBC and you look at the so-called B-roll, what are they showing behind the stories? Every host is doing the same stories. Every host is having the same guests, not necessarily on the same night, but right. in the same week. And it, there's so many issues out there that are worth having a conversation about. Think of the following. If you watched uh, any of the political commentaries this, this week or if you watched the Oscars, you saw endless advertisements about surprise billing, most of which were uh, created ads from the pharmaceutical industry. Similarly, uh, questions about innovation, what's going to stifle the development of new drugs. And all of them need to be fact-checked, but you'd never see a half an hour on any of these networks devoted to looking at these ads and criticizing them for the blatant lies that they tell about the pharmaceutical industry and about innovation and about the ways you could make drug pricing better and still have innovation. Why? Because every network is playing these ads from the National Association of Manufacturers, from Big Pharma, and no one's going to criticize them. It is it is like uh, you know pooping where you eat. Don't criticize the sponsor. Don't make fun of Taco of Bell. Of course not. How many shows have I written on where you couldn't do Taco Bell diarrhea jokes because they're our sponsor? And and Rachel Maddow, of course, is being told don't. Make fun of the pharmaceutical industry. They're our sponsor. So she doesn't. So she talks about, you know, uh, uh, Russia and Trump. Of course. Until Putin but, uh, starts no, sponsoring the show. Exactly. Uh, well, he may think of that. Maybe he listens to this show and he will now get an idea and will start sending money uh, to her uh, using a some kind of a fake name. Um, uh, now you're Putin. you're a poutine. Yeah, you're you're a what? It, a poutine. That, that's that. That's that food. Yeah, poutine. It's some kind of messy food. Yeah, it's a French food. Montreal. You get it in Toronto, Montreal. Hey, you're a man of the cloth. Yes. Right. And by that I mean you're yes. in the you're in the schmata business. Okay. Yes. You're a man of the cloth. Uh, is, yes. there such, is there such thing as bad money? Well, yes, of course there's bad money. If the if the money that you make is 
at the expense of other people. If you're making guns, for example, and then try to cover up the fact that all these guns are going to be used for responsible hunting and not acknowledging that they're also going to be used for murders and suicides and nobody shoots wild game, even turkeys, with a handgun, that's corrupt money. And people shouldn't take money from those people, whether they're merely millionaires or billionaires. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I think that this country has lost sight of the fact that there's good money and bad money. I can remember a certain religious leader who I was close to who told me he took money from a bad guy because he was a mixed bag. The guy made money hurting people, but by giving me money, he's helping people, so he's a mixed bag. That's how the Vatican was built, I believe, selling indulgences. Uh, Lloyd That's Blank. That's true. And Go ahead. No, I mean, and that's true, and it's true of other uh, religious uh, groups, too. I don't want to bash the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, but the Mormon Church, as we learned in detail just a few days ago, has been accruing vast, a uh, vast wealth, much greater than anyone ever expected. And they get money from people who they may say it's a mixed bag, but they ought to look closer I mean, you have to do that. You have to look at the source. Everybody that gives money to a good cause is not necessarily a good person, nor has she or he received the money that they have in a responsible way. Exactly. And we ought to ask we ought to ask those questions and we ought to be responsible enough to turn the money down if it's coming from mixed sources. Mitt Romney is a bad guy. He did one good thing in his life. He voted for one article of impeachment. Bain Capital. Right. Bain Capital is evil. It's a private equity of firm. Of course it is. It is evil. They buy up perfectly fine corporations and companies and then gut them so they can pay themselves enormous salaries. They 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 load the company they're buying with debt. And people lose their their pensions, their livelihoods. That's correct. And, That's and, right. And Bain pays itself enormous salaries and a percentage. It's pure evil. Mitt Romney is evil. Now he's in the drug rehabilitation business. He's making money off drug addiction. That's what Bain Capital <laughs> is doing now. Of course. So these of are. Of course. So there is bad money. So Lloyd Blankfein, who ran Goldman Sachs tweeted out he's now since retired but he ran goldman sachs he's a democrat right big yes. big hillary donor paid her to speak we never heard what she said and he's against bernie he has come out against bernie he said bernie will destroy our economy why is that rich coming from lloyd blankfein the former head of goldman sachs when he accuses bernie of being a socialist who will destroy our economy. Why is that ironic, hearing that from the former head of Goldman Sachs? It's, you know, I think there are 
a number of people who don't even need to be included in the Democratic Party. And that's a perfect example of a person who we could probably do without. But similarly, today... Uh, well, on, answer my uh, question, the, the the view, Reverend. Yeah. Hang on for one second. Yes. Why is it ironic that the head of Goldman Sachs would be against socialism? Because... Because he, he's been the beneficiary of socialism for the wealthy, and he helped to collapse the economy of the United States himself. So it's a double irony that he would have the goal to say that Bernie will destroy the American economy. A double irony. That is correct. That is correct. All right. Thank you. And, and, and he should have gone to prison because Goldman Sachs was advising its clients to buy real estate while Goldman Sachs was shorting real estate before the financial crisis. But because he was such a big donor to Obama, Eric Holder, the attorney general, didn't prosecute a single bankster like Lloyd Blankfein, who had he been right. had he lived in Japan or Korea would have done the honorable thing and committed seppuku because they do do that in they other countries done that. no they do that they they do that of course much of the leadership in Japan when it was clear that Japan was going to lose the war did just that they thought the honorable thing to do because of the embarrassment and problems they had generated for the Japanese people, they decided to end their own lives. And that I'm going to tell you part something. part of the American if, tradition. If we had an American tradition of seppuku in this country, Reverend, the suicide rates would be going down, not up, because so many people are committing suicide because of people like Lloyd Blankfein. So much of suicide is related to financial distress. So if if Lloyd Blankfein and Jamie Dimon had had any sense of, of decency, they would commit seppuku. They destroyed the economy. Of course they did. But they don't. There is no moral center to these people. And it's the same thing that you see constantly in the United States Senate among Republicans. They don't believe in anything. They don't accept that they have any responsibility for doing the right thing because they don't even recognize what the right thing is. And in spite of comments from Susan Collins, who I realize when she's uh, drunk, she's on your show. But yes, uh, I mean, this woman it, it, is it's staggeringly stupid when it comes to trying to explain why when she voted not to convict him it would change he would change because he would feel like he was chastised by the impeachment process itself that's yes. nonsense there's not a shred of evidence to support that and everything we've seen over the past week is that he is vindicated he feels vindicated and he goes after in the most corrupt manner possible all the those people, good people in government who are trying to do the right thing. And now, of course, with the Vindman brothers being escorted out of the Defense Department and with calls for uh, the uh, continued evaluation of the possibility of, of uh, doing something within the military uh, to chastise and punish uh, 
at least the principal Vinman brother, uh, it, it, it never stops. It's it's so corrupt. This this town just is reeks of corruption. And today, just going to get back to another kind of person we don't need in the Democratic Party, Amy Klobuchar, who I have zero respect for, for two reasons. Number one, in the debate that was held before the New Hampshire primary. One of the commentators, uh, questioners asked, who would be uncomfortable if someone who characterized themselves as a democratic socialist was at the top of the ticket? Who's the first hand up? Amy Klobuchar. Hmm. Steyer kind of gently put his hand up a little bit later. Today on The View, Amy Klobuchar is the guest, and she's asked about pro-life candidates, meaning anti-abortion people in the Democratic Party. And she says, we need to have a big tent and let those people in. That we don't need. We don't need Democrats who don't understand that there's a fundamental right of women to make up their own mind at every moment, at every period within their uh, pregnancies about what to do with their pregnancies. It's it's not, we don't need men or women uh, telling other women what they can and cannot do and trying to turn the Democratic Party into a mixed uh, bag when it comes to reproductive justice. Democrats need to stand for that as a principle if for you try all to of be, its members. If you, buy, if you try to be everything to everyone, you're nothing. If you try to make that's right, or, or Pete Buttigieg, yeah. So I don't like either, yeah. And so when I say, and people get angry, they say, "Don't push people away." I say, "No, I want certain people out of my party." You're you're either a Democrat or you're not. Lloyd Blankfein doesn't belong in the Democratic Party. Just because he might be for gay marriage, that doesn't make him a Democrat. The Democratic Party is about unions and the working people and the vulnerable. Just because you're That's liberal correct. on a couple of social issues, it doesn't give you any right to claim the mantle of Democrat. Especially if you're a billionaire, Michael Bloomberg. So, okay. The hey, Reverend well. Barry W. Lynn. <laughs> Let's talk Michael Bloomberg because let's talk Michael Bloomberg. Here, here is my thing. Let me just set set this up. I, I just made another contribution to Bernie. I'm going to continue to do that. I want him to be the nominee. But if something goes wrong, if they have more and more destruction of Bernie Sanders by the mainstream media, by the Chris Matthews, who suggested that Bernie might be kind of like the Reds and Castro and take people that they don't like, put them into Central Park and shoot them. Mm -hmm. That's the kind. And then vicious anti-Semitic comments from Chuck Todd. Both of those guys should just leave NBC. If what, they're not going to be Chuck fine. Todd say? What, what did Chuck Todd oh, Chuck, say? Chuck Todd, Todd talked about the brown shirts who are Bernie supporters, the brown shirts, like they're Nazis. Come on. He's, and he, he was repeating, uh, 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 he was repeating that phrase from something he had gotten from some right wing newspaper. Right. So 
but you can't get away. If you say that stuff, you cannot, you shouldn't be given the time to utterly destroy um, Bernie Sanders. But let's say it works. Let's say he's he's in decline. Something terrible happens. In comparison to all the other candidates, Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete, Elizabeth Warren has just lost it. Here's my suggestion. Just go with Mayor Bloomberg, and here's why. He's a billionaire, six or seven billion dollars. But if he's running, then two things are going to happen. He's got 50. He's got 50 billion. He's got 50 billion. He's going to spend six billion. I see. If he's running, I'm looking right now on my desk here. I have 10 solicitations for Democrats running for the Senate. Amy McGrath, John Hickenlooper, Barbara Bollier in Kansas. You're not going to get any requests for money from Mayor Bloomberg. He's got all the money he needs. He doesn't have to go through a charade of collecting a dollar from more people because he's going to be in these debates and he's going to do well. And he's got plenty of baggage, but he's not going to go and plead for money, which means I don't have to send any more money. I I can send my money to these Senate candidates. And there are so many in Maine, South Carolina, North Carolina, even Texas, Arizona, Georgia, Kentucky. These are places that could be flipped if there's enough money. And here's the second thing. Mayor Bloomberg is going to give a vast amount of money. Our our judge just... (laughs) He <laughs> says you gave us the wrong answer, but go ahead. Okay, that's not me. But that's look, our judge. I, I, we do, we do understand that. Yeah, and, and judges, uh, you know, they can be good or they can be bad, but they. Um, go ahead. He's going to be supporting these people. He's going to be supporting all these good Democratic, not perfect, but good Democrats, and flip the United States Senate. That's the vast amount of money that he's going to give if he gives six billion dollars or anything close to that he is going to shape the electoral landscape these guys who think they're going to give a lot of money they might give five hundred thousand dollars to mitch mcconnell or pharmaceutical industry is going to support him at that level or higher but bloomberg can crush that and i do say i do like the ads mike will do it mike will make it happen that's a very simple message very simple message obviously the judge didn't like that message either but in comparison to amy for america or the goofy uh, promotional icons they created for the hillary clinton campaign that's genius what bloomberg is doing so if you don't have to ask for money so you free up money for normal people who are not billionaires to give their little $25 or $200 to Senate campaigns. And you're also finding ways to support those candidates with your own money. That ain't bad because this this Trump has got to go. I had some moments where I wondered maybe it wouldn't be so terrible, but then you look at the budget that he's come up with. It's not going to go anywhere. But this is the cruelest budget I have ever seen sitting here in Washington. This is not just 
You talk about 60,000 people who die every year because they don't have health care. He's cutting back so many programs or would would do it if he had a little bit more support in Congress that, that it will cause the death of many children. You know, Medicare, 50% of the births right now in this country are to parents on Medicaid, 50%. Those kids don't have a chance. Their parents barely have a chance. You're not going to be healthy if you can't even get meals. He's cutting back on meals, early childhood meals, meals on wheels, all these things. This is so cruel and unnecessary. And we can't tolerate. I mean, the country will lose more and more people if he's not dumped from office. It's as simple as that. And if Mayor Bloomberg turns out to be the way to get the money to do that, you know what? I'd say that's one of those people with the mixed record. But it should take their money because Mayor Bloomberg didn't do – I mean, he, he ran a company. He built a, a big media empire, but he didn't kill people doing it. Do you agree? <laughs> Tell me why I'm wrong. Reverend, oh ye, yes. oh ye of little faith. <laughs> why do you have such little faith in our country and in the Democratic Party? Why do you infantilize the Democratic Party? Why do you have such little faith in the process? <laughs> um, history. What history? Because we all the history of we either get people who look like they're incredible progressives, uh, Bill Clinton, who who was not that progressive, even Barack Obama. He didn't want to investigate the war crimes of George Bush. So they look they're the shiny objects. It's exactly why Amy Klobuchar is getting any mileage at all now. She's different. I, I, she gave one answer in the debate right before the New Hampshire primary, and the media said, that's the greatest speech, that, that's the best answer she's ever given, anyone's ever given. It's, it's kind of elevated to the point of being the next Gettysburg Address because she said, I care about you. I care okay. about you. So we And the others are corporate, as we you just pointed out by your own statements. Clinton did nothing. Barack Obama did nothing about the absolute corruption that they were seeing within their own supporters. Okay. That's why I don't have faith. And look at the look so, at the so, the, the, so what you're you're suggesting is we we can save the party by nominating their boss, Michael Bloomberg. Go even higher. Find somebody even oh. worse. No. But let me ask you this. If remember, this is predicated on the notion that people like you and I giving our little money to Bernie Sanders, that it doesn't work, that something goes wrong. What goes wrong? I was very well, I'm very disappointed. Well, Bernie did two things that I found very disappointing this week. Number one, it's okay 
in my view. I wish we didn't have every president decide that they were going to release their medical records at the drop of a hat. I think it's a principled position to say I'm not giving it. But that's not what he did. He said, I'm going to release those at about the time of the first primary. And then a few days ago, he says, well, I changed my mind. I'm not going to release it. Now, coming after his heart attack, it does. It just smells like he's covering some Good. bad information Good. up. Good. But if, if he had said from the beginning, it's an invasion of privacy, I'm not going to do it, and I'm never going to call on anybody else to do I it think either. It's that smart. would have been principle. I think it's smart. They're going to be digging not, into, you know why? They're going to be digging and what? digging into dirt on Bernie. So create a red herring. Say, I'm not releasing my medical records and let everybody fret and pontificate and what's he hiding. And then he drops his medical records. He wasn't hiding anything. Let people fixate on Bernie's medical records for a little while. That's a Maybe. smart move. It would, if that's what he's doing. That's that what he's doing. That's what he's I, doing. I remain unconvinced that that's what he's doing. Okay. But it's a clever idea. And he might do it. But um, the, the, the jury, including your judge there, is still out on that matter. He's giving it. He, it's a bargaining chip when he gets the nomination. He says, I'll release my medical records, Donald, when you release your taxes. Here, here are my medical records. Now let's see your taxes. You need you need bargaining chips. Do you believe that Donald Trump would be willing to have three or for that matter even one debate against Mayor Bloomberg or Bernie oh or he would eat he would eat he would eat Bloomberg for lunch you, you think so oh my god uh, oh my god no I don't what, what, so. how has Michael Bloomberg shown himself to be quick and a great debater how has he shown Donald himself Trump to be a great orator Donald Trump is not a great orator. He can oh. barely speak oh. sentences. Oh, with all no, due. come on. How do you like that? <laughs> no. That's. No. He will you... eat his lunch, Bloomberg. No, I don't believe that. Okay. I believe it would be a very balanced debate. Bloomberg? Believe... Little Mike? Yes. Little Mikey? Little Mikey? Little Mike. Is he going to call him Little Mike? Yeah. He thought Mike. He thought he was in the New Hampshire primary. This idiot tweeted out this morning, wasn't a good night for little Mike. He thought he was in the race. He doesn't pay attention to anything. And he does have the, uh, these supporters who couldn't care less about the facts. We know that. But I think for those independents, it's going to make the difference in Michigan and Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, North Carolina. They're, they look at... Trump, and even if they kind of like some of the things, they they do not believe right. he is an orator. They do not believe he is a man of great wisdom and can articulate that wisdom in a debate. Look at the last debate. He's debating Hillary Clinton, who was a terrible debater. And, uh, you know, he just, he, he, I thought it was a match okay. made in hell. All right, let me give you debate. my two responses, Reverend. Please. Okay. Please. All right. Number one, the reason we keep losing is because we are a party of pampered prima donnas who want things handed to them. We've been taken over by corporatists 
who've never really worked for a living, anybody who's had a real job, and I'm being serious here, this is the problem yep. when, when you have people like Chelsea Clinton getting into the Democratic Party and the children of billionaires getting into the Democratic Party. They've never worked an honest day in their life. People who work, who make a living and have to make a living because their life depends upon it, know one thing. Every day is a fight. You get up in the morning, whether or not you want to, you drink your coffee and you go off to work and you fight to keep your job. And then you come home and you pay your bills and you fight to maintain what little you have. You fight every single day. You fight, fight, fight to keep your head and your family above water. That's the working man and the working woman in America. That's who they are. They fight Every single day. And you know who runs the Democratic Party? They claim for the, they're for the working man, but they don't know what it means to work. So they look for simplistic solutions. They look for deux machina. The great Michael mm -hmm. Bloomberg is going to come down from the heavens. The beneficent billionaire will, will spare us the hard work of grinding through the slog of a presidential campaign where you win dirty. You have to fight for every vote and knock on every door and you show up in Milwaukee and you stink and you got mud on you. And guess what? It's just started. It just started. That's what the working man understands. And then you go into the general election and there's more mud and it's disgusting. It's dirty. And then what happens? You win. And what happens after you win? It gets worse. And you fight and you fight and you fight. It's not about resume building. It's not about working a couple of months for President Bernie Sanders and then taking a job on K Street so you can buy your home on Martha's <laughs> Vineyard. It's fight, fight, fight. And the only people who understand that are the people who work for a living, Reverend. And we have to purge the party of these Bloomberg acolytes, these people who think the rich are going to save us, the rich are going to oppress us. They don't change their a leopard doesn't change its spots. Why do you have faith? You of all people, Reverend, should not have faith in somebody who is worth billions. You don't you don't make billions and be a good person, it's impossible to have billions of dollars and be a caring and compassionate person who's looking out for unions and the working man. That's not how you make billions of dollars. That is correct. Oh, the judge why? says I'm correct. <laughs> well, says no, but, but, <laughs> but why, do you, why do you think because I, I, I posited this idea that if worse comes to worse, who are we going to go to if if Bernie, Bernie. If something terrible happens to Bernie, what if something terrible happens to him? Then we go to Elizabeth Warren. We let the process. You why? play, huh? What? Why would we go to Elizabeth Warren? She has no money. She's going to be coming and begging people for a dollar, for six dollars. And she's going to drain the money in the same way that all of these clowns who have now dropped out of the Democratic primary, everybody from Deval Patrick, 
who, who just got in and who's already collected like hundreds of millions of dollars. Mayor Pete, Amy Klobuchar, all, Joe Biden, who was frankly not raising much money because he was relying so much on his friendship with Barack Obama. But, I mean, they have sucked up millions and millions of dollars that ought to be used for one thing, making it 100% sure that you can get those people to the polls. It's not enough to be registered to vote. You have to move your butt from your house to the voting booth. And you know what? Bloomberg could do, he could literally hire Ubers and Lyfts to take people to vote. All right. That's, it's a very practical, I have not, I did, how can you look at Mayor Bloomberg's record on race, for example, and not say, it's got some pretty big problems with it. But on the other hand, if you don't get rid of this guy in the White House now, you're going to cut food stamps, you're going to kill children, you're going to eliminate subsidies, the, the good subsidies for farmers who have been shafted now because of these tariffs. You're going to cut all of that. This this budget, I certainly commend people to w- look at this budget and see what is in this $4.89 trillion budget. Is there anything that is going to save a life, anything that's going to take somebody and give them a chance? No. It's venal. It's detestable and it's not going to get through luckily because the house is filled with democrats many of them flawed it's not that bloomberg is going to save anything he's not going to become the great president he's just going to stop people from dying okay that's why i support him what's the judge think about that the judge says (laughs) The judge quotes Mark, who who wrote, for what shall it profit a Democratic Party if it shall gain the nomination and lose its own soul? That's what Mark said. Yeah, um, well, he said something similar, but I think it was more like uh, uh, there is a benefit uh to embracing people with a lot of money if that money is going to be used to save people's lives. And that's this budget. Again, please look it up, read it. You've read it. But I want our listeners here to to uh, to take a look at it and just see how nasty can it be? They're, they're cutting things like um, in Medicaid that. They're imposing more and more of these work requirements. These are for, for people who barely uh, are healthy enough and well-fed enough to get out of bed in the morning, but they have to work. Okay, I understand your concerns about the budget cuts. Yep. Do you honestly believe that Mike Bloomberg is not going to be a fiscal hawk the same way Pete Buttigieg, Peter Pudge this week (laughs) said he's a fiscal hawk. And by fiscal hawk, he doesn't mean tax the wealthy. He means cut the budget. Well, he means that. I'd be interested in knowing what Mayor Bloomberg thinks, but I can tell you that he's not going to cut global health programs by a third at a time when we have the coronavirus killing hundreds of people a day. And now it's starting to kill 
Americans. So now you would think that the president would be concerned about it, but he's cutting dramatically all of these World Health Organization uh, programs that we contribute to. And he thinks that the coronavirus is, is going to go away in April because President Xi of China told him it's going to get warm here in China in April and that'll kill the virus. But, but, Who believes that but, stuff? But, but you're a lawyer. You're a lawyer and a man of the cloth. And you're arguing in just because Trump is the worst president in the history of the United States doesn't mean we have to turn to Michael Bloomberg in case things unravel. What what makes you think? Well, who are we going to turn to? Why would we going to turn to Trump? Why don't we just nominate Trump? You know, John Lindsay (laughs) ran on the Liberal Party and the Republican. Why don't we have him run on both tickets? No, because he's the evil person. He's the people. And See, Michael Bloomberg people isn't. Michael Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg isn't evil. What has Michael Bloomberg accomplished? Tell me about every town USA, Reverend. He's dumped his fortune into fighting for, for gun control. He had, sure. He put hundreds of millions of dollars into lobbying yep. for gun control. And, you know, billionaires, they can get the job done. So thanks to Michael Bloomberg, after Newtown, we now have universal background checks. We we weaken the NRA. We have gotten rid of the gun show loophole because Michael Bloomberg, the beneficent billionaire, poured hundreds of millions of dollars into fighting for gun control. That's what happened, right? Oh, no, it didn't, did it? No, but on the other hand, uh, just this week in the state of Virginia, for the first time, the legislature, which is now Democratic, banned assault weapons. We didn't even have a ban on assault weapons in the Commonwealth of Virginia until now. That's because Democrats, a lot of them reasonably progressive ones, got elected in the state legislature. Who was the billionaire who saved them? Who was the they use Bloomberg money in part to do that. Oh, okay. And they're seceding. So, parts of, aren't parts of Virginia going to join West Virginia now? Well, that's what West Virginia wants. And again, uh, would that be a bad thing? <laughs> I don't know. I'm Lynchburg, sure. the Reverend Jerry <laughs> Falwell's neighborhood is thinking of joining West Virginia. Yeah, he is. I mean, literally, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. is one of the prime movers in this effort to become a part of West Virginia. And I love West Virginia. My wife is from West Virginia. Uh, Her family is from West Virginia. It's a wonderful uh, place to visit, but it has too damn many Confederate flags for my taste. And if, if Jerry wants to go there and move all of Liberty University with him, so much the better. Let him go. Let him go. Let my people, my people go. Let my people go. So uh, before you go, I don't want to belabor uh, the the Bloomberg fix, but uh, I think people are blinking in the first round, and the fight hasn't even started yet. I think Democrats, including me, I will admit this. All right. I think we are afraid of getting exactly what we want. We're afraid of success because we don't know what success really looks like. It's it's easier to stand 
on the sidelines and lose the game and complain and be a, a Monday morning quarterback and say, if only, if only, if only. I think people like you and me, because we're of a certain age, are terrified of the work that would have to be done if, God forbid, Bernie Sanders gets elected. The truth of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, Reverend Barry W. Lynn, you know that Bernie Sanders is the most transformative candidate in your lifetime, bigger than McGovern, that if he can get elected... Absolutely. If he can get elected president, and there is a groundswell, and if he just takes the Senate by one vote, and there's a revolution, and that means you know an outpouring of Bernie bros who hold Chuck Schumer's feet to the fire and say, change the Senate rules, get rid of the filibuster, it's not in the Constitution, everything passes based on a majority vote. 51 votes, it's... It's yep. passed. Then everything gets passed. So if Bernie, if we can get behind Bernie and he gives us a Roosevelt size win and we get 51 votes in the Senate, uh, yep. he will be the greatest president of your lifetime. And you and I, and I'm willing to admit it, I don't know if you are, are terrified of getting what we want because we're not sure what it will look like and what the blowback will be. So we're wringing our hands because we're cowards. I'm, I'm voting for Bernie. I'm all in. <laughs> of course you are. Uh, and I, and I say, destroy, des destroy the democratic party, destroy it and rebuild it and destroy the Senate and destroy the house of representatives and rebuild it. Get rid of the rich people in, in Congress and the Senate and the White House. Let them go be Republicans. We need a workers movement. But I wring my hands and in the back of my mind, I think, well, what does that look like? What, are, what, what happens if, if these spirits are unleashed? Can we put them back into the box? You know, what, what is it going to look like? And I think you're terrified of getting what you want. I, I don't agree. I'm not terrified of this. I, there's nothing that would make me happier than to have the kind of revolution that you just described. And it's going to take, I, I don't know, 51. I think you got to have 52, 53, because there are people in the party including the people who did the right thing on on the conviction and in impeachment like uh like joe manchin i mean why is he a democrat but when push comes to shove in the face of the obvious lack of integrity of the president he does the right thing as does doug jones in alabama right. as does kirsten cinema in arizona these are not liberal people yeah. but they are Democrats, and they do have some sense of morality, some centered belief that there are some things that are so wrong that they should not be able to get away with them. And they do the right thing when push comes to shove. But I, I love the possibility of the dramatic things that Bernie can do. And the thing that shifted me to, to Bernie 
because I wasn't always there six months ago, as you know, Mm -hmm. but was the fact that he will get things done immediately. He will not think about it. He will not agitate, you know, worry about it and lose sleep over it. He will make the effort to do the things necessary right away so that he's not picked apart by fellow Democrats or by the Republican Party. Yeah. I'd love to see that happen. And and the Bernie bros, like, you know, I'm a Bernie bro. I'm not an incel. I'm not a misogynist. I don't attack people who who, uh, aren't Bernie bros. But the same way the Republicans were terrified of the Tea Party, a, a Bernie win means that the Democrats in office are going to be terrified of the Bernie bros. And that's not AstroTurf. That isn't the (laughs) Koch brothers putting retirees on buses so they get a free trip to Washington, D.C. This is real, genuine rage from the working class. Yep. And uh, if Bernie gets elected president, uh, I taste blood. You know, figuratively speaking, uh, I'm going to taste blood. And if Chuck Schumer doesn't change the Senate rules, uh, you know, I will go after him with everything, you know, legally and, you know, within the, you know. And Bernie will do the same thing. And he will win. See, he can make that argument. Chuck Schumer, clearly, I mean, look, they did away with the the filibuster for judges and then it took one hair's you know one weak breath for for a mcconnell to say well since we got rid of it for other federal judges let's get rid of it for supreme court justices which guaranteed these two idiots that we now have of sitting thanks to donald trump but no, I, I would r- love to see that. And I think I think one thing you're right about, though, the media is perfectly happy with another Trump term because he is so much fun. They can make fun of him on the late night shows. You can talk about him incessantly on CNN, but then not too hard. Don't go too hard because you have to go equally hard on other people and you have to give uh, Trump and his legion of sycophants opportunities, as you pointed out with Steve Bannon and Kellyanne on Chris Cuomo's show. It, you have to. You're going to give them a, a chance to do that. I don't think the media is would be happy at all to have uh, Bernie Sanders president or Elizabeth Warren, for that matter. Well, and, and the media is in the pocket of big business. I mean, MSNBC. Of course, pe- they are. You know, Lee Fang from The Intercept wrote a piece about how MSNBC's parent company, Comcast, is the single biggest contributor to Trump. Yeah. So uh, let me just say one thing and then I'll ask you for the hypocrite of the week. All right. And maybe could be I and the religious nut of the week. But let let me just say something about this idea that we need billionaires, Reverend, that you know, because you said something that's, you know, uh, uh, is kind of upsets me because this is my position on the Democratic Party and billionaires. Somewhere along the line, we became convinced that we needed to placate Wall Street and the billionaires. We needed them on our side. 
And here's what I have to say to the billionaires. Get the F out of my party. Take, take your money, your toys, and your idiot kids and go be a Republican and spend all the money you want to destroy the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party just doesn't... It's not that we don't need billionaires. You're destroying our... You're, you're the cancer in the Democratic Party. So I want you surgically removed because you are destroying the Democratic Party. We don't need you. And you are destroying our country. And we don't need you. And here's my starting bargaining position to, with billionaires. This is what I'm saying. I'm saying we're not only coming for your billions. We're not only going to tax you down to $999 million. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a given that we're taking it all away. We're taking your children as well, because it's not healthy to be the child of a billionaire. So Child Protective Services is coming in, and we're removing <laughs> your kids from your family because it's not healthy. The suicide rates, the drug addiction, the lack of purpose, it's immoral to raise a child if you're a billionaire. So we're, that's my starting position. So get scared because we're coming for your money and your family. Child Protective <laughs> Services is coming yep. for your family. That's the Democratic Party's position. Now let's negotiate. Now you want to talk to me about Medicare for all? Maybe that will make me happier. Sure. That's my position. Well, uh, you know, the uh, everything you say about the dysfunctionality of uh, the children of wealth is certainly uh, true. Uh, but it's also true that there are a lot of families that uh, don't have the blessing of billions or even of the next paycheck whose kids are also in deep trouble and of course would be in worse trouble in a second term of Donald Trump people who don't have food to put on their table and all the things you describe are what the average working person in this country is one paycheck away from absolute despondency and inability to make a decision about whether to buy medicines for your kids or food to put on the table. And uh, those kids I worry about even more than the brats of billionaires. I agree with you, Reverend. I agree with you 100%. And, 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 and politics is compromise and you negotiate, but you need a starting position. And my starting position is... Anybody who has more than a billion dollars, we're taking every penny away from you after one billion, and we're taking your children away from you. Now let's okay. negotiate. Now I'm willing to negotiate, but that's my, that's my starting offer. Okay. Well, that's an honest position, and I appreciate it. Okay. Well, now, Should we go to the uh, religious uh, nut of the week? Yeah, because, yeah, the religious nut of the week is somebody I used to frequently be on a Fox News uh, channel uh, in opposition to. His name is Coach Dave Daubenmeyer. He lives in Ohio, and the, earlier this week, after he had thoroughly uh, figured out how dangerous it was, he went back to something we touched on last week, and that is the halftime show at the Super Bowl. He went on a little, uh, he does a little video feed, and he went on a rant about the crotch shots 
done during the halftime show. And he said, and I am not making this up, that the Super Bowl crotch shots may have released a demonic virus through a portal into his home and the homes <laughs> of other people. So what he's decided to do he is now seeking money for a class action, I'm not making any of this up, a class action lawsuit against the National Football League in the sum of $867 trillion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus was not a softy, he's been known to say, also around uh, the around the Christmas holidays. Uh, he said he had visited a zoo. He's never been a fan of interracial marriage. And as he said after his trip to the zoo, you don't see eagles marrying buzzards. That's the kind of brain power we're up against. And uh, uh, I knew him because he... Uh, the ACLU sued when he was proselytizing about Christianity to his high school football team and refused to stop. But because the ACLU didn't go on the Fox News channel, and uh, so I was there for Americans United and uh, frequently, and I got so much hate mail uh, because uh, Coach Dave Daubenmeyer was seen as so pure in heart. And, you know, he is pure heart because he doesn't get crotch shots because the demon virus might come in. It's It's funny. Can can I respond to that for one second about J-Lo? Of course. And the myth of the First Amendment, the myth that crotch shots is an exercise of the First Amendment. I love crotch shots, and believe me, that's those. That was the only thing I was. It Shakira was that the other crotch that was? Yes, of course. Yeah, okay. And that's the only part of the Super Bowl I watched. And I don't know why they didn't have an instant replay on the crotch shots, along with the telestrator explaining to me what was going on, because I found it fascinating. Uh, you know, I'm not so sure it's good for girls to see that. I think mm-hmm. that celebration of the female body that looks a certain way, especially Jayla, who's 50, who's rich and has yeah. the time to hire a trainer and all that stuff. I don't know how healthy that is for girls, uh, but I enjoyed it. But, uh, yeah. you know, she'll say, you know, sexuality, it's a First Amendment thing. And, and, and the minute you start taking away our right to express our sexuality. Next thing you know, you can't criticize the government. Well, you know, she lowered the Puerto Rican flag, right? Yeah. Yes. To show solidarity with the Puerto Ricans. But she didn't go after Trump. She didn't preach statehood. I didn't hear anybody say that Puerto Rico should be a state, that it's a territory, a colony, that people are dying in Puerto Rico, that What's going on in Puerto Rico is far worse than what we did to the African-Americans after Katrina. So, you know, uh, if you're going to use your First Amendment rights, a little fewer crotch shots and a more a little more Puerto Rican flag and solidarity with the plight of the Puerto Ricans, J-Lo. But that's the myth of sex and pornography and how, you know, it's a slippery slope. That if you take away our right to pornography, then we're going to lose the right to uh, criticize the government. The only slippery slope in pornography is the uh, 
the crotch being lubed for uh, Reverend. Go on to the <laughs> good, uh, good grief, the hypocrite of the month. Yeah, hang on. That, let me hang on week. for one second. That last yeah. diatribe. Yeah. yeah, I was wrong. The judges, you're winning. You're yeah. winning. By the way. Yeah. Corey Lewandowski, as you know, was, uh, of course, in the White House, a strong, staunch uh, Trump supporter to this day. He was considering running for the Senate in the state of New Hampshire because he actually lives there, but he decided against it. So he was on Fox and Friends earlier this week, and he asked the panel this question. He said, imagine the response if President Trump had called a woman something like dog face. This was, of course, a reference to Joe Biden's use of the phrase dog-faced pony soldier, a reference that uh, Biden erroneously attributed to John Wayne, although there is no such reference in any John Wayne movie. Nevertheless, the audacity of saying that, and of course, watching the three nitwits on Fox and Friends just shake their heads like, imagine that, it would have been terrible, as if he didn't, they didn't remember mm -hmm. that he talked about Carly Fiorina Look at that face. Why would anyone vote for that? Or that he called Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, horse-faced. They'd have no ability and to he assaulted a reporter from to. He assaulted a reporter from Breitbart, forcing Ben Shapiro to quit. Remember Corey Lewandowski yeah. during the 2016 right. presidential right. campaign grabbed a... But I mean, it's just... Yeah, but, you know, this kind of hypocrisy, it's fun to talk about, but it ain't going to move very many people. Because I don't think that anybody in the middle, in Michigan, trying to make enough money this week so that they don't go broke next week, is going to say, you know, son of a gun... Um, uh, they, the audacity of somebody to claim that Biden used a terrible word, dog face, and, and think of what would have happened if the president had said that. And then, oh, wait a minute, he did say that. See, it's fun, and there are times when I watch the, the late night shows, and I watch uh, Colbert a lot, where the jokes are great. It's fun. It's, but I don't think it necessarily changes the hearts and minds of the very people who are those hardworking people that you've been talking about all night. Before it's you just, go, before you go, yes. uh, and thank you once again. I apologize Absolutely. for the. I apologize for my piss and vinegar. It's perfectly. That was good. Was that was that for the piss or the vinegar part? It was for apologizing for okay. being angry. Okay. Earlier, I said, you know, we're we're terrified that Bernie's going to win because we don't know what is going to unleash. Maybe a conservative backlash. Uh, I want to talk briefly about Orson Bean. A lot of my yeah. listeners don't know who Orson Bean is. He died, a, let's say, a reprehensible man because he uh, was the, the father-in-law of Andrew Breitbart. And yep. was very involved with conservative media. And his daughter is an heir to the Breitbart media fortune. And Orson went from libertarian to far-right lunatic and a, a habitué of Fox News. But at one time, 
I think he was one of us. He he founded a, a, a very liberal school uh, <laughs> in the sixties. Kids were given the freedom to develop on their own terms. He was a man searching for meaning, waltzing in and out of show business, living on the road like hippies uh, with his family. He led an unconventional life with free sex and and uh, very liberal, anti-nuke guy who finished up his life as a right-wing lunatic. Uh, how do that happen? And are you afraid, because I'm afraid, that Bernie becomes president, and I'm all in on Bernie, and I will never sure. end up like Orson Bean, but right. uh, will there be a new breed of young people who suddenly find themselves at the age of 50 saying, you know, I gave that Bernie Sanders a chance and people are just bad. People are bad. I'm, I'm right wing now. Do you fear that? No, I don't, because I think that the the evidence of the success of Bernie's programs will become absolutely clear. And there will be marginal people. There will be people like uh, Tommy Lauren, you know, this generation's uh, uh, Ann Coulter, who will continue to uh, think that they're uh, geniuses because they uh, are taking these contrarian views. But I think that the proof will be in the pudding. The proof will be in what happens when you have a, a society that is fairer than the one we have now, where the gazillionaires are not the people who dictate all the policy, where there's a fair chance for everyone. And I think when you see that and it will work and you see it in Europe now you go to places like Norway Sweden the kind of social democracies that uh, Bernie I think really wants to see people are happy there mm -hmm. they're they're not they're not facing enormous wealth disparity and they're going to say you know son of a gun it's better now than it used to be when you make people first-class citizens, no matter of their, what, if any, religion they have, their race, their gender, um, things are going to be just fine. And I don't fear that kind of backlash at all. I really don't. Hey, you're doing your taxes. And yeah. let me just say something. I apologize for going along with you today. You're doing your taxes, <laughs> and I'm... Yes. Uh, you know, I'm doing my taxes, and I pay my taxes, and I'm not happy what I have to pay the government. Nobody is. But, you know, we talk about Medicare for all, which uh, that is my issue. Sure. But if you want to protect this country, it's free tuition at all public universities. Free tuition. And I pay my taxes. And if you tell me that's, that some of my hard-earned dollars are going to 20-somethings who are sitting around, smoking dope, sleeping, missing <laughs> class, drinking, arguing politics, and not doing anything, I'm all in on that. I can't think of my tax dollars being better spent than on young kids wasting 
their lives at public <laughs> universities, reading half a book, trying to get laid, going to a lecture and falling asleep because that creates a better society. That creates a, a civic-minded, enlightened society. I'm all in on paying for kids <laughs> to smoke dope for four, six, ten years and drink and accomplish absolutely nothing at a university. You know what? Uh, the results of the New Hampshire primary suggested that a majority of Democrats see it just that way. That's why so many of us support free tuition at public colleges and universities. You know, I was punched once. When I was in college, a guy yeah. punched me. Yeah. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And, 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 uh, you know, I look back at my college education and it was that one punch that really shaped a lot of my thinking. And so all it takes is one teacher, one lecture, one book, one punch. <laughs> and you never know what can come from it. That's why free education is so important. I'm not going to mention the name oh, of man. the guy who punched me, but I should write him a letter. Probably should. Right. Yeah, I was punched in high school, and what it led me to do was to uh, turn uh, to uh, getting a little bit uh, better in, in better shape so that I could actually uh, uh, beat him in an arm wrestling contest. How's that? You know, I, I've said this on the show before. There was a guy named Melvin Dean who bullied me in high school, and I, mm. I, I want to complain that he didn't finish the job. That you know, he... he I think he needs to come back into my life, and I need a tune-up. <laughs> okay. He needs to come I'm over sure. and rough me up a little. <laughs> well. Maybe you could just hire somebody to change his or her name to that name, and then beat you up. Okay. How's that? Yes. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State from 1992 to November of 2017. Besides being a lawyer, he is an ordained minister in the United Church, oh dear, of Christ? Christ, yes. Thank you. Yes. And yes, follow is. him on Twitter at Barry W. Lynn. B-A-R-R-Y-W-L-Y-N-N. -N. That's two R's and two N's. Thank you, Reverend. Sorry I went so long tonight. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. Stay Always fun. Thank you. Stay on the line. And as Jim Earl says, I'll see you in court. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump.
Let us now go to Kenny Bunk, Maine, where Peabody, an Emmy Award-winning comedy writer, Jim Earl, is standing by. Hello there, Jim. David, this is Senator Susan Collins. Oh, of course, Senator Susan Collins. How are you today? Well, I'm fine, but little Jimmy can't come to the phone right now. He's chained to the bathroom sink. And I forgot the combination again for the third time this week, and it's only Monday. Good luck finding it. I'm sorry. I I couldn't talk to you last week because Maine endured a treacherous snowstorm. I heard about that. Snow was everywhere. My neighbors got off with only a couple of inches But I received an amazing 12-inch pounding. A 12-inch pounding. Oh, get your mind out of the gutter, Dave. I'm talking about pleasuring my fortress of solitude (laughs) with a 12-inch ice shaft. I'll pay the local Mr. Frosty guy to make every winter. Not your average accumulation for this time of year. Always in the gutter. I apologize, Senator. Did you know the wind got so bad that Augusta had a blackout? Augusta, Maine had a blackout. Then we told him, get back in the car and leave town. <laughs> For Christ's sake, David. Yes, Senator. I'd like to begin by saying I'm so sick and tired of tourists coming to Maine and complaining about our drinking water. I I didn't know that they were complaining. Are you having a problem with your drinking water? They say it's loaded with PFASs. PFASs. You heard me right. PFASs. What what is what is PFASs? Oh, get your mind out of the gutter, Dave. <laughs> I'm not talking about piss from Al Sharpton. I'm talking about forever chemicals. There's a reason, David, why Mainers don't care about their drinking water. What is that? Well, moose urine is free. (laughs) (laughs) What does moose urine taste like? It tastes like chicken. Chicken broth. (laughs) Did you know you can make moose urine bullions? They make a lovely stew. I'll have to try that. I found out why they call them forever chemicals. Why is that? Because no one wants to fuck me. You should have an active, healthy love life. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, David, as you know, I'm receiving a lot of blowback from my impeachment acquittal vote. Very disappointing. Get your mind out of the gutter. I'm not talking about my courageous vote to acquit Donald Trump. 
I'm talking about my constituents asking for their money back after I blow them. (laughs) I regret my vote, but it's like Moliere once said, if air, air one must, if air on the side of trust and brutal rape. Moliere. It never ends, David. Now Mainers are complaining because I'm getting a massive out-of-state contributions put in my slush fund. Oh, you have a slush fund that people are donating money to. Hmm. Well, yes, you know what a slush fund is, don't you? Well, I think I have an idea what your slush fund is. Well, that's where people put money into a fund so I won't show them my slush. (laughs) Incidentally, over the years, I've amassed millions. In your slush fund. Slush fund, David. Yeah. David, I need your help for my re-election campaign. Whatever you need. If you give to the Susan Collins Foundation, I propose that the state of Maine will commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a dildo on the moon and returning (laughs) it safely to the Augusta State House, where it will most likely run for governor and win. can't think of a better use of my funds. I appreciate it, David. My campaign spending is angering a lot of Mainers, David. How so? Well, my opponents are accusing me of illegal funneling. Illegal funneling? Illegal funneling. Is that true? Are you funneling illegally? Oh, get your mind out of the gutter. I'm talking about using one of those pastry piping bags dessert chefs use to paint neon green mint pasties on my nipples at the park <laughs> so I can run around screaming, look at me, I've got pastry tits in front of frightened picnickers, not sorting money through a fake organization into a pastry pumper to pump into my bunghole. What's wrong with you? I don't know. I don't know. Hanging out with Jim Earl, I think. My mind goes into the gutter. I'm I'm very concerned. Well, that's it for me, David. Unless you'd like me to, to hear me blow into a giant Atlantic surf clam shell to signal the local hayseeds to come down from the hills and fiddle with my lobster trap. (laughs) You let them fiddle with your lobster trap? Oh, stop it, David. I'm (laughs) talking about local hayseeds fiddling with my lobster trap, not local hayseeds fiddling with my lobster trap. (laughs) I'm sorry. You treat us to that sound? Hold on. Hold on. Let me find it. Let me find my...
Jimmy! Yeah, yeah, what? Jimmy! Yeah. Where's that antique candlestick phone? I, Jimmy, I don't know. Where is that antique candlestick phone? I don't know. And and don't tell me I'm sitting on it. <laughs> what? Then help me get it out. Damn you. I'm Susan Collins, and I've got an antique candlestick phone up my bunghole. <laughs> Jim? Yeah? yeah. Uh, yeah. Why don't you help the, the senator? Yeah, I, I, I think you need to help the senator, and we'll come back to you later in the show after you remove that from her. Sure, I'll get the uh, special tool out. Okay. Grab the plunger! Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, okay. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Keith and the girl join us. It's been a while for many reasons, and we'll discuss that in a second. But <laughs> Keith and the girl have a fantastic podcast, and not because I'm a guest on it. They are coming up on their 15th anniversary. That is a landmark. And I don't know what you get for 15 in podcasting. What is it? Headphones. Headphones. <laughs> That's a good idea because then right? you can you can listen to the show. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what people are excited about. It's fun, but what are they? I don't know. That is Keith and say hello, Chemda. Hello, Chemda. And they are. You know, I, I, you're so funny and entertaining. He's talking to me now, Keith. Yes, yeah. and you've written a book on how to start a podcast. How to start, maintain, and make money on a podcast. Yes. So you know, it's open. Source. You haven't read the whole thing, but you'll get there. <laughs> what, what is this thing of making money off of pocket? You can, people like you're open source. You from the time I met you, you were sharing information about podcasting. It is where do you see, especially being a comedian, that you see it uh, all the time with other comedians, whether it's uh, a, a booking, a job, uh, an agent. Everybody likes to keep things a secret, as if uh, spreading information doesn't help everybody. You know, it, it makes me think of... Uh, I mean, the this, way we know all this stuff is because the information is out there. I'm um, thinking of my girlfriend who has uh, children, and one of the children said, oh, you love Keith, or you're going to love me less. Idiot. Yeah. No, love makes more love. Information makes more information. That Everybody learns from everybody. So open source, yes, of course. Yes, love makes more love. It's infinite. The yes. universe is expanding, and so is my heart. Namaste. That's, that's, that's due to... Uh, that's cholesterol. Gas, That's cholesterol. Yeah. But uh, I like to just think it's love of bad food. But <laughs> Keith and the girl, 15 years. What did you think 
a podcast was when you started? Because everybody has a podcast now. It reminds me of stand-up comedy because when I started doing stand-up comedy, I did it because I had to. This was about my mental health. Right. I started my podcast 10 years ago because I had to. It was about my mental health. 15 years ago, nobody knew what a podcast was. At the time, people were calling it audio blogs because it had that uh, subscription aspect to it. And um, we didn't really know much about it. But we knew that Keith was pursuing comedy. And the reason why it's called Keith and the Girl is because I wasn't going to be involved in it. I was just going to be the sidekick or, you know, he, he allow him to bounce information off of me. Mm -hmm. But it has become a little bit of uh, a mental health thing. But it's also super fun. Do you do this for yourself or for your audience? Myself only. I I feel like they're eavesdropping, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, seriously, for both. No, I obviously, I enjoy it. There's It's the, obviously the longest job I've ever had. Uh, so, yes, uh, it is for myself uh, when I get, uh, but, you know, the, the primary thing is that the audience is uh, entertained, uh, maybe even more than informed, entertained. The, yeah, I, but I, if, if something traumatic happens to me, Getting it out, just like uh, most stand-up comedians that are good, uh, feels so much better. My dad, for example, and Keith and the girl wrote my ex-wife two years after a divorce going, hey, whatever happened that th with this divorce? And it's so weird and out of line. They don't have a relationship of any real kind. And she says, "What is?" we still talk. And she said, what is this weird letter? And I said, all right, can I take over? She goes, I don't fucking care. Why are we talking? Mm -hmm. So uh, she lets me uh, pretend I'm her. And for nine months, I'm catfishing my dad as her. <laughs> uh, he's talking about his libido jingling. And it would be so wow. off-putting, but to be able to let it out on Keith and the girl is so uh, so freeing. And your father is a former priest. He was a Catholic priest before he got married. Yeah, he. The story goes that he was blessing uh, my mom's mom's house, and that's when he saw my mom. And right there, he knew. Fuck God. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. Yeah, I want to do this instead. What a great calling. Huh? Yeah, what a calling. Yeah. Did the marriage last? Yeah, they're still married, yeah. yeah. You know, and they, they would have gotten divorced if they weren't both so very religious, for sure. I think and they've said that out loud in front of you. My mom certainly has. Um, now, can an argument be made that if you really want priests to take a vow of celibacy, they should be allowed to get married? Right. Has that been said? That, that's an old joke. It must be, right? It has to be. Uh, well, I enjoyed it nonetheless. It, it felt personal. It felt personal. We accept recycling. Right. And Chemda, yes. uh, you are not of priests? The, the right faith, right? <laughs> you were born in Israel. I was born in Israel, raised in Queens, New York. Okay. And uh, I was raised Jewish. I went to yeshiva for nine years. Uh, but it really just taught me how to be atheist. You you give me all the information about Judaism, and I know not to believe. Yeah, Dad gave me too much. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm atheist, too. I'm like, I'm out. You're both atheists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it took me a while. You don't believe in God? Mm -hmm. I don't, no, not at all. How can you not believe in a higher power? I didn't say that. Also, I don't, and how about you open your eyes and look the fuck around? <laughs> well, how, how about, somebody's, somebody's got their feet up. How, how, about you, how about you get with the plan? You're in America, and we're a, a devout nation. And also, if there is a God, why are we all assuming it's good? So an all-powerful thing is good. 
When has that ever happened? That's a good point. Well, I think we That's have- That's a good point, co-host of 15 years. Thank you. How <laughs> about we have good and bad? How about there's God and the devil and it's inside of Why us? Why? They sound like the same thing. In fact, the devil sounds at least more fun. God is punishing- it's, I mean, he wiped out the world because he's like, let's see what happens when we start with a rainbow. Well, I like the idea what? that God made the devil because why not? Because <laughs> right? he is a piece of shit. Yeah, it's an hey, asshole move. Hey, yeah. you're on the David Feldman show and we're good Christians and we're, we're good people here on this show. You're basing God on the the biblical version of it. <laughs> right. I thought the, that's what we were taught. Oh, that's shit. I'm talking about the, the David Feldman version. By the way, this God, everything you're taking him from is from these sources. So what are you making up? Then because that's just garbage. But that, you took why did you take a piece of garbage then make your own garbage? If none of it's it's why does some of it have to be real? Let it, it go. It's, it's, let it go. Let, let it go. go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't believe in this part. I think this is just a story about it living inside a whale. But I do believe this part. Like, it's all bullshit. It's, it's, okay. like, it's, like, it's like in 2,000 years, somebody picks up Harry Potter and goes, yeah, this would really. But I don't I, believe in Harry Potter, Harry Potter, just the idea of Quidditch. Right. Yeah. Wait, 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 just, wait. I'm just waiting for the you're, broom to fly. You're proving what I've always thought about atheists. Uh-huh. And that is you. It's not that you don't believe in God. You're angry at your religious upbringing. They both you're, can be true. Sure. But, but sure, it's a lot of waste of time. Yeah. But you have to believe that there is a force of good no, in I don't. the world. Yes, no, you do. That's like somebody or, saying you have to admit Madonna's good. I'm like, I don't have to. Yes, you do. Or I will <laughs> report you to the Trump administration. <laughs> and you have to in this country. You don't believe that there is a source of goodness in the universe. I don't know what that means, but no, I don't believe in a higher power. You don't believe that there's a fabric to the universe and that when you embrace it and you're connected to the universe. I don't think that's what they mean. I don't think. Forget what they mean, Hemda. Anybody. If there's a. She means people like you. (laughs) I don't. It's it's like believing in karma and saying, if I do enough good, good will come to me. That's not even what karma is. And I think what you're describing is karma. So it's not I put good out and then like the good piece of the universe answers me. It's I try to be myself. I try to do whatever it is that I'm supposed supposed to do. You you know when you're doing something shady because you feel stupid and you're hope, hoping nobody looks at you. <laughs> so, in order so once you do something shady, you start a dark path because you have to lie now, you have to cheat and you're uncomfortable. So it makes your karma, your own feeling about yourself and your own determination take some sort of path that's not going to be comfortable for it's you. It's your own personal hell. Yes. And, and so... Could this blanket of goodness, by the way, put a little blanket over those Australian wildfires? I mean, wh- where's this blanket of goodness? <laughs> it's really, it's, you know, maybe this blanket of goodness can pay Amazon tax. Well, yeah. okay, <laughs> but, but, but but there's also bad, there's also evil in the yeah, world. Oh, it's winning. Well, it, yeah. Well, and it all, and I'm it, on that side. Pull I me mean, down for <laughs> the winning team. Well, I, I think there's a constant battle between good and evil. Okay. And if you embrace the good and you walk in the light... Mm-hmm. How's that working out for you? On this show, in in the universe that I've, the fiction that I've created on this show, it's working out very well. Okay. In in my personal life, maybe not. No, I think, in all honesty, that if you walk in the light, your whatever your idea of God is, you're with God, and I think if you walk, like you just said, in darkness, you're will evil, you, and will you physically see it when you die? 
These are questions, I think, in, well, Hamda, you went to a yeshiva for, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I know that uh, your father, when he was a priest. Mm-hmm. And he's still religious. He's and he's still religious. Yeah. And, and the false god that he prays to promises <laughs> an afterlife. I think the Jews kind of go, don't worry about the afterlife. No, they, I think everybody worries about everything when you're in a religion. So in the Judaism, as far as I understand it, we don't have hell. Um, we do have guilt. I feel like that's the same. Mm-hmm. But um, we do have heaven. But we are buried in, uh, I don't know why I'm saying we. Uh, Jews are buried in a Jewish cemetery if you qualify. I do not. It's about credit score. <laughs> <laughs> my my mother and father uh, got a reverse mortgage on their parents' burial plots. Mm. So it's it, it, it's very it pays <laughs> right. for itself. We have to dig them up in two years. But, well, the, uh, the Jews are waiting for the Messiah. So once you get buried in the Jewish cemetery, the Messiah, when he comes, knows to fly. When he over. comes, yeah. Let's be honest. Come on. I mean, if we're if we're not knowing it's yeah. a dude, then yeah. what the fuck are we even doing here? Yeah. 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 Not even like a trans dude. This has this guy has to have a penis. <laughs> like uh, just components that Jews are very familiar with. Uh-huh. So then he flies over. And then uh, if you were a good Jew and you're buried in the cemetery and you qualify, you get taken up to heaven at that point. Julia, am I close? All so right. there is a heaven. There is a heaven, yes. But the, the Moshiach has yeah. to come back. Mm-hmm. The Messiah. Yeah. Oh, that's so, the word in my dad's books. Mashiach? Yeah. Oh, that means Messiah. He just writes it every so often. My dad <laughs> wrote uh, two books that didn't go anywhere, of course, because he had them in his house and nobody knew to knock and ask for them. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. Do you get along with your dad? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Doesn't it sound like Who it? do you get along with that has a backstory that I described? Yeah, we get along great. What are words, David? No. <laughs> well, how can you not get along with a guy who, who was a priest? Yeah, well, first of all, these are egos. Have you heard of priests? I, right. Also, right. Never mind the sex. But picture, uh, I mean, th- these are egotists. And it's not a surprise to me that my dad was an egotist. This is you saying. How can he be an egotist? A he was narcissist. a priest. A how, narciss- can be, how can he be a narcissist? He turned Peace. his life over. Literally kissed the ring. Please, do you forgive me? May I, go, may I go to heaven if I die this week? All while saying that God is speaking directly to you. Now, he was we- married to Jesus. Well, they got divorced. You see what I mean? But he went to the seminary. He went to the seminary. Uh, yeah, became a priest. Then, you know, decides he'd rather be uh, be married. And, and that's a power trip, too. You had the power to take people to heaven, right? Then all of a sudden, you're supposed to change shitty diapers. That's got to fuck with your head. And maybe that's why he was such a bad parent, because kids are kids. And we don't bow to him. We don't thank him for the uh, words that will take oh, us go to heaven. Oh, he wanted you to be... He, he, was, well, he's a, he's a, he was a magician. What a fucking surprise. Really? He was a mind reader. Uh, so he, no, he, well, hang on, he hang loved on, all this hang attention. On, so I'm not going anywhere. Turn my, can, you, uh, can you turn the he- my headphones down a little? Yeah. Because I'm you're... passionate. Yeah. No, just because I don't want to have to hear the answers. <laughs> It's a, no, that's good. That's okay. good. I'm a little threatened by how great you guys are. So, <laughs> wait, your dad went from being a priest to like he had a stand up act. He did magic acts. Yes, wasn't it before a little bit? I don't did know. Do well, it? It's he, hard to get his timing because his father lies about everything. Did he turn yeah. water to wine? Did he? Son, I certainly was not able to turn water into wine like our savior. But I've done many shows where I (laughs) flabbergasted their minds. 
Yeah, okay. I'm just asking if I could go to my friend's house. No. That is the only impression that Keats gets spot on. When you meet Keats' dad, you will know because that is exactly what he sounds like. Now, is this an old joke? I walked on water. Granted, it was ice. It was frozen at the time. Right. It's time-released water. Yeah. Has that been done? Has that joke been done? I don't know. Okay. Take it. I wouldn't. No, I, I won't do that joke because it's too good. <laughs> Why would I want to please an audience? <laughs> and your parents, were they religious? No. They sent you to a yeshiva. Were women allowed to go to yeshivas or did you have to do a yentl thing? We had to, I had to wear skirts. So it was a reform, you know, so a little easygoing, but I had to wear a skirt every day. It was supposed to be knee length, but it was a little bit, I went to Solomon Schechter. So they pretend to be Jewish in order to take my parents' money. My parents were not religious. Because Israelis tend not to be. They're religious. not. No. But but my family is from Iraq and Iran. So my mother wow. was born and raised in Israel. But when they got here, they wanted me to, to be surrounded by Jews so that I marry a Jew, so that I know a Jew. So if we were in Israel, I would be nowhere near very religious stuff. But here, in order to insulate they sent me to yeshiva. Iraq and Iran. Right. They got rid of... So the, most of the Jews were kicked out of Iraq after the catastrophe, as they call it. The after Holocaust? The, no, the, well, no. that was the, the founding of Israel. Right? That's when your family was kicked out of Iraq? Uh, I don't really... Nobody talks to me about when they even moved to Israel. Because there's still Jews in Iran. There are. They serve in the parliament. We have a kind of I when it comes to our parents, there's so much information we don't have. I, when it comes to medical history, I go, hey, I know dad, you had a couple of heart attacks. Uh, when were those? How many? He's like, who wants to know? The National Enquirer wants to know dad. Mm -hmm. My doctor wants to know. I, I, we never get the answers. So I don't get the answers about the, the, my past. And Hinda really doesn't either. Okay, Everything's so your father was a magician, a mind reader too? He was a magician. He called himself an illusionist and he specialized supposedly in mind reading. I say supposedly because I was in my 20s and I went to some magic thing where he's meeting other magicians and I'm like, I must finally see what maybe this is something my dad can do. It was the saddest fucking thing when you realize your dad can't do the one thing you understood he was good at. Magic. Magic. He's horrible at it. It was some kitty coin shit. And I was like, I, 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 you knew I'm, I was here. <laughs> Why didn't you act like the place closed down or something? Maybe you intimidated him. <laughs> but, he, but he took the trick for like out of a book. He knew what trick he was going to do. He okay. did it. It was dumb. But, you know, maybe uh -huh. your, your presence there. Right. He. I don't know if it's ironic or unironic. Uh, when Keith and I first met, I taught him how to do magic so we can do kids parties together because I was doing kids parties at the time. And so it's funny that he, you know, Keith speaks into a microphone and his dad was like a priest. He was a priest. So that has a lot in common, like standing in front of a congregation sort of thing. Uh, he did do magic for money. Um, yeah, uh, he wanted to write his books. I oh, wrote yeah. a book. Yep. Yeah, Keith's books actually now, sold. Keith, what was the hardest part, Keith, of doing uh, kids' parties? Getting the ankle bracelet off you first? You son of a bitch! There was something <laughs> in your fucking eyes the whole time! You son of a... You filthy mother... God damn it, Feldman! Best in the goddamn business! How do you not believe in a higher power with shit like that? Well, I'll tell you, David. <laughs> You guys believe in a higher power. You do. No, of course. Yeah, yeah, No, seriously. No, I don't. How can you? What, what do you? Okay. Huh? I believe in the universe as a higher power. I do believe that there, there are things that are happening because of 
it, but it's more science. It's, you know, like our, our planet is exploding. Our planet is going to shit. That is happening because the universe works in a certain way. But that doesn't mean that the universe only provides good things. Um, and when it does provide negative things, I'm not like, why don't you like me? It's all part of the same plan. How's there a higher power and all of a sudden my computer glitches? Nothing was new. And then it'll be fine again for another two years. Explain that. Planned obsolescence? Yeah, probably. Probably that one. The ego. You have an ego. Sure. Right? I, I, I'm proud to say, yeah. I would... <laughs> don't mind if I do. And in it. And, and Hamda, yeah. I, I don't think of you as being... Ego, I seem nice, right? It's egoistical. <laughs> I, I, and don't you feel that the secret to podcasting, uh, the success of Keith and the Girl, is the the abandonment of your your ego? That the shows are better when you're... Sure. Isn't comedy the absence of cool? Yeah. The absence of cool. Yeah. Take that in. Den just stare Den at your Dennis audience. Mi Dennis, <laughs> Dennis Miller is cool. Yeah, okay. You mean to admit your faults and your dorky, yes. your dorkdom? Yeah. To, to be real on stage is funnier than to yes. hide your, quote, shame, Bill to not Maher, be embarrassed. Bill Maher is cool. These are hip cats. Don't get me wrong. I mean, so hip if you saw Bill Maher walking down the street without the background of knowing that he's on television and that's why he can date the women that he date, you would just be like, hip cat, that guy. I, I like, I think the funniest people are those who are, uh, don't reveal anything about themselves, right. make the audience feel stupid. Your whole face is one giant wink, right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to a show and be lectured at. Right. I want to be told what I don't know, and I want to be intimidated into laughing so people don't know that I'm stupid. I mean, a TED talk. Yeah, I want to get, you know, as an audience member, I want to get credit <laughs> for getting the joke. Right. I feel like I, I want to go to a you show and the, be tested. You want the comic to laugh. To, to clap for the audience. I, I want the comic to approve of me, mm. right? That's what I'm looking I for. I got everything. I got everything <laughs> you said. Perfect. <laughs> well, there is something to be said about that type of comedy. Right. Getting the joke. and It's like a crossword puzzle. I mean, Rodney, by the way. Mm -hmm. You know, Rodney Dangerfield. Dangerfield? Okay. Yeah. King. Rod. R Rodney King was pretty funny. Roddy. Right, sure. Can't we all get along? That's pretty funny <laughs> when he said that. Yeah, during the nobody riots. can, right. No, that was pretty funny. Slapstick is funny. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield is my hero. I mean, I wanted to be a stand-up comic because of Rodney, because he didn't make the audience feel stupid. Right. He was- Self-deprecating. Self-deprecating. But the jokes, you had to get the jokes. So you had mm -hmm. to figure out, the jokes were hip. They were smart. They were- if you go back and listen, there were puzzles that you, you really have mm -hmm. to figure out. There's, and that, to me, is the perfect type of comedy. Like a, 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 guy doing, a guy who is stupid and a loser presenting puzzles to the audience. But I agree with you. I won't mention names, but the comics who, who, who are so self-loathing that they have to present an alter ego on stage. Like, right. I want to be the hip guy yeah. because I never felt hip. I think that... That's a. Uh, it's not my bag. It's yeah, yeah. That's not. That's not fun. Right. It's more fun to be, you know, an idiot. Podcasting. What is it? What is? <laughs> it's become big. The people ask me because, you know, I'm a baby compared to you. I've only been doing it ten years. You guys have been doing it fifteen. I've eaten everybody's dust. 
Mm-hmm. There's, I, I was on Mark Marin's first or second episode, and I was so patronizing and condescending towards him because he was just starting out. Right. And I said, I think you're really going to enjoy podcasting, Mark. I think <laughs> you're going to, you know, I was like, <laughs> I was very paternalistic. And a year later, I'm eating his dust. I've been passed by everybody, you know, just like think, but I don't think of podcasting as podcast. Like, I don't think of the platform. I think it's a form of, I think it's an art form. It's an expression. So when I hear that it's big business, I don't feel left behind. I I, I feel, yeah, it's, that's podcasting for some people is, is a business. And for me, it's more of a, a way to kill time before I die. Is it at all? Is it your primary uh, job? You know, I mean, you look through uh, David Feldman's credits. You're talking about all the Emmys, all the Raiders Guild Awards, the Oscars, uh, all the late shows, et cetera. The Comedy Central roasts is podcasting your main thing. And if it's not, then who cares? I would like it to be my main thing. Uh, I, I could never support myself as a stand up comic. You know, I was a. Pretty great stand-up comic when I was doing it full-time. Just couldn't make a living. Couldn't make enough to support. Most people can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you want to have a wife. And get, I, My I w- dad, by the way, he would do his shows, and he was about to be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. But the story goes that Reagan cut funding f- to military uh, tours that he was going to do in America somehow. And uh, he just missed out on the millions. Yeah. So weird because... As soon as Ronald Reagan decided that, the right. next day your dad didn't have a job. So that's and he couldn't do it anywhere, not just a military base. Or people two. say bureaucracy, but I say no. So then, ready for this, David? So then he uh, he he goes, okay. Well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna work for the government. Uh, you know how he made this jump? No idea. And I'm gonna work for the Treasury. So he looked up where the head of that's the, where the money is. That's Go where the, the money, money is. is. So he he goes. I, I looked up where the head of the Treasury was going to be. And lo and behold, he happened to be uh, in the area. And so he set up a meeting with the head of the treasury uh, at a diner type place. And he's talking to this guy. And he said, and he gave me a a personality test. He says, I passed with flying colors, (laughs) gave him a morality test, flying colors. At a diner. At a diner. Doesn't it sound so much like (laughs) Trump, like no one's better than me at the personality test. No one's better than me. (laughs) The head of the the treasury. Right. Well, it's probably a fancier diner, you know, chicken fingers are 20 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they trick you. Uh, The bathroom has flowers in it. Uh So uh, the next day or a couple days Days later, they, they go, you're excellent. I've never seen such thing. You're going to be, Father Malley, the head of the treasury. Wow. Guess what fucking Reagan did? He canceled all funding for civilians to have government jobs of any kind. That was uh, the first cancel culture. Yeah. Your dad. Done. <laughs> Done. So from then on, I had to, uh, you know, my backpack was an old suitcase from my dad. I had to put bags in my dollar boots and uh, all because I- You joined the Reagan. army, right? Oh, because of Reagan. Uh, and then uh, on my own, I joined the army, yes. You joined the army. Now, yeah. now, when you say you joined the army- Yes, I signed up for the army, as you know it. How old were you? Uh, I don't, let's see, tw- I turned 21 in the army, so I signed up for two years. So and did you I last? I think 20 to 22, yeah. You lasted two years in the army. People are surprised by that, as if I have to uh, talk back or make jokes. It's pretty easy to shut up once they tell you people are going to shoot at you. You tend to listen to the instructions. Okay, and, we're, and so you served in the army. Yeah. And, you know, I, here's the thing. I'm a pacifist. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I believe war is not the answer. Right. Uh, but I would love to have the discipline that comes with, I, 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 and I believe in a draft. I think. Have the, you heard of boot camp uh, in the gyms around yeah, New York City? Yeah, that, that's offensive to me because I think we need to bring back the draft. I think we. That's a whole other discussion. What did you get from the army besides syphilis? Drugs. <laughs> right. <laughs> I learned everything bad. Um, what did you learn? What was the positive? Because obviously you're going to say, I know you, you're going to say it was a waste, blah, blah, blah. But what, what good came out of it? I don't think Keith talks negatively about the army experience. Yeah, it's, uh, I knew what I was doing. I knew that uh, I was lazy with my life. So uh, I'll do this for a couple bucks that I don't have to think too much. Uh, that was it. What did I get out of it? Probably what I would have got out of, out of anything. You get to kill people. That must be fun. You, you're you expecting that it could happen, and you know, you're know you idealistic, so you assume it's going to happen for the right reasons. Who uh, was president when you were in the Army? Uh, who was president? Uh, who was your commander-in-chief? It was right after Clinton, right? So Bush. George W. Bush? Yeah. You, Right? To what, let's say 1992. Two, three, four, five, like 1990, 1994, 95. Oh, that was Clinton. Okay. Clinton was your commander. Then yes. I didn't talk to him too much. <laughs> and, and did you serve anywhere? No. Uh, I signed up. I was going to take Russian in the army. Uh, I was excited to be a Russian spy. Uh, I went to uh, Monterey to uh, their language school mm -hmm. uh, for a year. Then they, f but you have to sign up for four years to do that. They found out that I only signed up for two years. They said, I have to sign up for four. I said, no. Then they moved me to infantry. So you learned to speak with a Russian accent. <laughs> yes. Da, da, da. da. <laughs> and so they moved me to Georgia and then I was taken, the, then I was in infantry. Georgia, they were Georgia the state, not Georgia the state. Not Georgia, the Georgia the state. Yeah. Russia. Right. Although that heat, man, I, you could have put me anywhere after that. Keith describes his army experience. Usually it sounds like uh, a college experience. Yes. Where you had to do certain things. He knew what to get out of and how to do that. And also to party like it's your first time outside of the house with mm -hmm. people your age who are also trying to relieve some steam. So it was like his first experimental time with drugs, um, uh, learning how to talk to women and interacting, making actual friends. It was just sort of like a dorm room with a little bit more physical discipline. Yeah, after right. boot camp, uh, you're treated more like a human. And so, yeah, it's like anything else, I think. Did I learn discipline? I guess. But I, I, I know the kind of person I am. I would have been What time did you have to get up in the morning? Six, whatever it was, yeah. And do you, like, have a cup of coffee? Yeah, on the back porch. <laughs> yeah, well, like, you get up. Yeah, yeah, you can have coffee like a normal person, yeah. Really? Yeah. After boot camp or? After through? boot camp. Yeah. And what about, oh, yeah. How, how many weeks are, is boot camp? I believe it was a month and a half. A month and two. a half of boot camp. You get up in the morning. Can you get your coffee? After boot camp, you can get your coffee, yeah. No, no. Boot camp. During boot camp? No, there's no coffee. Get the fuck out. You get up at what time for boot camp? Let's say probably six. Whenever they start yelling. Yeah. Well, you don't know what time it is. Get the fuck <laughs> over here and line up. <laughs> you, you do start, you definitely start a schedule. You know, you, you know, we're all supposed to lights out at a keep certain our, time. Lights out at a certain time. You get your eight hours. You're up and at them because you better be. Uh, okay. So boot camp starts, you have to pee. You pee. Well, sometimes like I would get up a little earlier if I happen to be up and then slowly I can brush my teeth slowly. You know, I can take everything a little slower. But what but about like your constitutional, like your bowel movement? It's scheduled. Everything's scheduled. Like can you, can they, you they don't schedule you time to shit, but your body is fit. 
you're eating at a certain time. You know, the, everybody, yeah, it's, you, does everybody crap at the same time? Kind of, yeah, because. And in battle, can you say, hang on for one second. Right. I have to go to the bathroom. You hold, just, hold that thought. You just go. It's understood. You know, we don't find it pretentious that you didn't tell me that you just want. You'd let me know if you're not covering me, I guess. But if you have to shit, you can. I like that everyone thinks that Keith is in the army telling jokes and getting in trouble, <laughs> but no one wants to do push-ups, including Keith. Right, just I like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Well, I, wonder, I like the story that you said where you punished yourself. Yeah, so. so uh, hang on for one second. Yeah, sorry. Before, I'm sorry for one second. Mm-hmm. Going back to the bowel movements. Now, yes. During World War One, they would have a truce, like a Christmas truce. Did they, really? Where yeah. it's time to shit? No, they would oh. for Christmas and they would play <laughs> like soccer. Like they they play they play soccer. Right. They would there would be a can't they stop I mean you you're in the middle hand to hand combat. Right. Is that fair if one of them has to go to the bathroom? That's the that's the art of war, you know, is um, you know, with football you gotta take care of everything. You gotta watch the clock, you know, everything okay. everything matters. Hemdi, did you serve in the Israeli military? No. No. Why not? Were you a draft dodger? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I actually, well, I'm not a Dodger. I went back and then I, I couldn't leave until I got out. So I had to go to an army base and say, hey, I grew up in New York and uh, and they gave me paperwork to get out. But if I didn't do that uh, because I was over 18 when I visited, they would keep me in there. And, and every, as I understand it, uh, every female soldier in Israel. It's hot. Yes. That's <laughs> what I've seen I, the calendars. Yes. yes right. That, that, the, that you put an Uzi around any Jewish girl. And well, I've been to, I've been to Israel and it, their military is funny where it's so, it's so casual because you're always fighting. So you're always carrying your rifle, but your shirt isn't really tucked in. It's a sloppy army. If I got to be honest, but there's a lot of leaning with rifles. I agree. Where, you know what? It's where in fun. America, you stand the fuck up. I, I remember there was a war and I, I saw a video of a helicopter dropping these Israeli soldiers. Right. And, and it looked like my Uncle Murray. Right. Just brandishing a weapon yeah. and going in. But don't you think all Jewish women should be given an Uzi? Wouldn't that calm them down? They kind have of? given all Israelis an Uzi. But I'm talking like here in America. If all Jewish women had an Uzi. This is, this is so deep, I can't even. <laughs> Wouldn't that like make. so beyond me. What's it like when the question's so dumb we can't even think <laughs> no, of something? No, no, I think that all Jewish women should be given. Uh, Do you have a uh, fetish? Do you like Jewish women? No, I think if my mother and my sister and some of the other Jewish women in my lives were, were given. Our mouths are Uzis, you know that. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if they had an Uzi. Do the gunshot sound, Linda. Yeah, there's a newsy in there. <laughs> All right, so the army, uh, A plus, <laughs> highly recommend it. I, I think everybody should have to go to boot camp for two months and be a waiter for two months. I think it would change your whole life. Don't you think we should bring back the draft? Yeah, now that you're how old? <laughs> right, they're going to start them. I, absolutely. <laughs> a, I hate my kids, so that would be right. <laughs> they can go. There would be no wars if we brought back a draft. Why? Because people would pay attention to... Uh, because it's volunteer, we know that idiots will do it, so who cares? I don't, I'm not calling them idiots. I was in the army, I can say. But you, you know that other people do it, so you, you don't... You, but if it's a draft and you have a chance to be at war, you'll take it more seriously. You take it more seriously. Sure, I see that. And uh, you learn a healthy distrust of the military, right? You as a... As sure. Right? Don't you know that it, it, it got it the got same s- amount of people are distrusting the army 
as they're, they're the people who are not signing up are the ones who are distrusting the army. There's a lot of positive things that they offer you and you're not taking it. So why would it be better if there's a draft? Because you're ending up, unfortunately, not to denigrate our soldiers, but a lot of the I'm for the war against the soldiers. You know that. Well, <laughs> I, you know, but you end up with these guys who Trump is pardoning, you know, the mm -hmm. guys who they're you're ending up with white nationalists and gang members in the in the military. Right. And uh, but people he's saying people would pay more attention to politics, period. If there's a chance that you can be involved in a war, you know, by not signing up, you specifically won't be in a war. So I maybe you're, you're not saying. paying attention I, to who you're voting. I do think in Israel, um, your average person is more politically aware than they are here. And they do have to join the army. That doesn't mean that they're going to go into combat. But it does mean that you have to be politically aware of what your position is. So, yeah, I think making things mandatory makes people maybe more pay attention because it officially involves them. But no, I don't think that you should take my kid because you decided to... Start a war. I do. I think shared sacrifice. I then, think, then join the army. No, no. I think you have to. I think we are in this together, this country. We're either together or we're not. And the, the factionalization, the fractionalization of this country stems from no shared sacrifice, that we are not in it together, there, that we're all in our own little pods and we're self-serving and we're competing against each other, we have no sense of shared purpose. It starts with mandatory service in some way. like either. So you, punish us more? How about the people in charge make it better? How about... Instead of, instead of yoinking us from our homes because, and sending because, us to because whatever we're the fuck they charge, decided. Because we're in charge. It's, it's, if you want a democracy... I'm not sure you were talking about 99% staying together. That means we don't send each other into war. That was on your show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring that up. Well, the way we have... I mean this. This country is split and divided. We hate each other. We don't know each other. Right. When when you have a draft, it forces people from all different parts of the country to just be crammed together and serve together. Mandatory. You know, you don't get to send your kid to a private school. You don't get everybody in it together. Now, yes, the accidental byproduct of a draft is war. However... Again, I don't think we're going to be sending our kids off to war if everybody has to serve. You're selling me on this. I'm Wait, so this. you're saying everyone has to serve when they turn 18. You're not saying only draft when there's a war. No, it's still it's still a potluck, but... No, no, everybody goes in. If you're, you turn so that's 18... That's not a draft, right? Am I getting this wrong? I'm saying you turn 18... And you serve. You are... For, you, because these kids are going to be living to be 150, so hopefully... And that kombucha, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's two years of your life to sacrifice, to give to your country? So you're saying to just serve, not necessarily. Everyone must serve. Everybody must saying? serve. Everybody must serve. Okay, well, I'll tell you this. Yes, uh, everyone must serve in Israel. They are way more politically aware, but uh, there's so much war. It doesn't stop anybody from throwing bombs. Oh, that is a good bombs. point. They're always at war. Yeah. They have to. We well, have, but there's have a gas masks in the house and, 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 and bomb shelters in one of our bedrooms. Yeah, if, in, you, have in bomb shelter, if you have a bomb shelter. It's, but they, it's also <laughs> the neighborhood, right? 
Sure. I mean, argument could be made. I mean, I don't want to get into Middle East what, you don't? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, I don't want to say. That what, is, is that where the line is? I, I don't want to talk. You brought up Middle Eastern. I don't want to talk chicken and egg. Like, but the Israelis, yes, they're at a, in a constant state of war. Some people would say it's because of Israel. You Some, say it's because they are politically aware. No, no. Be, they're at war because of the neighbors or it's the Israel, whatever. I don't want but to But they're it. at war. We have neighbors, too. Canada, Mexico. Yeah, we're building a wall. We want like that's our version of war. I'm I'm just saying like everyone who has neighbor. I don't. You know what? I don't know what I'm saying. You continue. I'm saying that that point, if everybody has to serve, and then I'll shut up about this. If you're a conscientious objector, then you have to serve in the Peace Corps. You have to serve in AmeriCorps. You have to serve your country. Do you volunteer years. anywhere, or are you just sending someone else? Well, he would have to serve too. No, it's too late for him. It's that's why he could talk a big game. Oh, I thought we were only doing older people. <laughs> oh, well, that's all that. Well, that's a good, you know. Uh, no, I think we're, we'd be better off. Then changing the school system to actually educate people instead of sending them into the army and war in order for them to learn a lesson and be more that's aware. That's two, two separate things. This is, this is how we gain awareness is by throwing people into mandatory service. Well, you're not going to fix the schools, so why not uh, do the draft thing? I like it. So you're going to fix the draft, not the schools. You can't fix the schools. That's impossible. So go with the <laughs> oh. fucking draft. It, okay. it doesn't right, take any time. Listen, your guests on my show, so <laughs> we, we'll, we'll table this okay. conversation cool. for, for something. I already else. said I love it. <laughs> you love the idea. Yeah, we're together but separate. Yeah. <laughs> 15 years of podcasting. Mm -hmm. What is the worst episode you've ever done? The, the one where you thought, should we, should we? I know what this? he thinks. Well, I don't. I, you the can, first one? Oh, the first one I'm, I don't like because we were really trying to figure it out and we were nervous wrecks. I'm proud of uh, the second one on. Uh, what did you think? Okay, so the first episode, is it available if you're a subscriber? Yeah. It's how, a, do, how do people subscribe? What, what, what's the VIP program? Uh, KeithandTheGirl.com slash VIP is every show slow, we've Slow down. KeithandTheGirl.com slash VIP is every show we've ever done in spinoff episodes. And there you can go back to March of 2005. To, to, you can actually hear the first episode? Yes. And you hate it? Yeah. And does it bother you? Are you tempted to take it down? What I think would be very funny is we re-record it now and never mention it. <laughs> and they're like, man, they were smooth. <laughs> okay, so your first episode, yeah. how long was it? A uh, half hour. Oh, yeah, we started, I think the first two weeks were half an hour yeah. every day, five days a week. Then we did an hour. Yeah, I think uh, either after one or two weeks, we yeah. started doing an hour. Okay, what did you think the podcast was going to be? It was March, did you say, of 2005? Yeah. yeah. March 7th. March 7th, 2000. Or March 6th. March What's, 7th. March 7th. Yeah. Okay, what did you think the podcast was going to be? I didn't know. I knew that we would take it seriously but at the same time, we didn't know it would become a real thing. And I, I thought, can understand that being confusing. I think we thought it would supplement Keith's comedy career. It, it was like having a blog at the time or having um, a good Instagram account now. You know, I, I think um, it, it was just another outlet to keep pushing people to read Keith's comedy, to come out, that kind of stuff. Okay. And the audience back then, they could listen to you how? Through... Like going to the website and hitting the play button, I would assume. Yeah, you could still you can still subscribe an RSS feed the way you could yeah. um, 
the way, you know, the way you could, uh, magazine articles, that kind of thing, which was more popular at the time. Uh, but there wasn't a uh, podcasting category in iTunes, for example. Uh, but you, you can still find players that uh, you can so you you know, make an RSS. So you were feed. making an MP3. Yes. And you were posting it to the website, and you could play it on the website. Right. And you could shoot it to an MP3 player. Yes. Yes, you yes. could all, but Which you were all. Which then was separate than your phone. Right. But thanks to Libsyn, who was around a, a month or so earlier than us. Uh, they knew the RSS technology, and so it was still officially a podcast. Okay, so the audience changes as the technology becomes more palatable to a larger segment of the audience. Yes. So at first, your audience would be primarily... Tech-savvy. Tech-savvy. The biggest show at the time was This Week in Tech. He was a rock star. We went to podcast a podcast convention within the first year of podcasting, and he was it. Was this Leo Lepore? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And he's still big in the, in the podcasting community because these are people who are technologically advanced. That's why they knew about podcasting first. And so they are very web savvy in general. Right. And so was your show catering to the tech savvy or no. were you trying to bring no. new people into we were just trying to be entertaining in the same way that we do now because that's that's what we can do we weren't tech savvy we just but the audience your audience was tech savvy yeah so they helped us out sometimes we'd be like i don't know and they'd be like well just you know click this button and this button and and to this day we get help from shout out to tech andrew Mm-hmm. He's he has flown down here to help us with our sound. Wow, that um, I mean, that is tech savvy if you can fly, he right? Went, <laughs> That's pretty he went cool. on tour with us to wow. to make sure that our sound is good. So, how has the show changed as the audience? I hate Keith changed? now. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I, personally, it's, it's kind of like going to yeshiva. Like you learned that you're not into God. Like <laughs> talking to this guy for 15 years, I got it. Like I make a lot of excuses for my failure. And one of the things a lot of people have said to me is when I started doing my podcast, there wasn't the audience yet for what we were doing in 2009, 2010. We were doing like a live sitcom. Okay. And there just wasn't an audience in 2010 for like a Jack Benny type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I've been told by people, if you did it now, there still wouldn't be an audience <laughs> because you're not talented. No, that so I I was the, kind of ahead of it, uh, the, but there is an now everybody is every topic, every niche, every t- yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so the worst show was your first. <laughs> Once, we, we, we've what, gotten we've gotten good at understanding if we don't like the guest, quite frankly, in a way that doesn't come off too rude to the guest. Believe it or not, Hemd and I simply take over and talk to ourselves. Uh, so no, I uh, we won't do a bad show. Of course, there's guests that is like, man, this is work, and there's shows where you're like, uh, we're so lucky to have this job. Uh, you know, it all fluctuates, but in general, uh, Hemd and I have a rhythm where it's like, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll go on without you, and hopefully, we're skillful enough that you don't realize it. Okay, the the worst guest, Hemda, <laughs> describe to me. Don't mention my name, but describe <laughs> describe to you what the worst guest is. The worst guest is somebody who doesn't know where they are. So um, I think our show is very specific. We will ask you personal questions. Um, 
we'll talk um, about taboo subjects. We're not afraid to be a little confrontational. Mm -hmm. And so the worst guest is somebody who goes, you can say that, you know, or, or doesn't play along with the, what people might consider edginess of the show, or maybe didn't, didn't hear the show and is now offended at the questions we're asking. Didn't, didn't know where they were at. So now they're, they don't really get what we're doing. So all they do is, is like, sabotage the show or try to. Right. So I, I just did your show. You said not to mention names. Okay. Well, because <laughs> I, be nice. but, but I noticed I, like I would not answer your questions. Everything was a setup to a joke. Right. We noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just use it as an exercise for deflection. Mm-hmm. You're still, oh, you're still, you still got it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Were you frustrated that I wouldn't give you an honest answer? Was I frustrated? Was it, it a good episode? It was a good episode. It makes it harder, but the fact that you can, like, that we can poke right back at you uh-huh. makes you a good guest. Right. So be, there are some people right. who come at us with that where we ask them, they're deflecting. They don't want to admit that they're deflecting. They're not making it funny. They won't let us laugh at them for deflecting. Mm-hmm. At least, like, we're like, we we tell you what's happening and you laugh at it. That's fine. Like, if you don't, like, you, you may, let's say you wouldn't answer a question uh, you end up saying why you you, you didn't want to uh, answer the question. Henda's uh, uh, saying these guests that are too much, they they stonewall you, and then on top of it, act like you're somehow out of line mm-hmm. when you know they they just don't know who where they're at. So and, I was a good guest. Yes, I enjoyed you, and we were putting the show out. Okay, and you'll have me back. Well, let's let's see what happens. The show <laughs> just went out. <laughs> okay, all right. So the worst guest, and I've learned this by doing this for ten years. Before before I had a podcast, when I was a guest on a radio show or uh, some, you know, I would come in with prepared material. Mm-hmm. I never understood the power of the moment that 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 the comedy, the entertainment lies in the truth of the moment. OK. Right. So, and, and that I, I never had faith that that was the most important thing well, until I started doing the podcast. Well, when I do a show, I mean, I'm prepared when we do Keith and the Girl. When I do somebody else's show, I'm prepared in case they're starers, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm prepared with a story or two. So I can live in the moment and then just in case I always have a backup story. Right. Yeah. So yeah. the worst guests can sometimes be stand-up comics. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. The worst guests. Because they're used to writing it, having full control yeah. and not deviating. Right. I found that the worst guests in general happen to be writers. Really? Yeah. Comedy not, not, writers? Not comedy writers necessarily. Book, like yeah, authors. I see. That are only authors. Because they do so much editing and there's none yeah. of that on podcasting. You have to fly and they're, so they're, their cadence is a little bit slower, and which is fine, but it's a... It's a more narrow interview because they want to, they're self-editing, which. Right, mm-hmm. they're self-editing. And you, you know, you, you interview, sometimes you interview an author about their book and you bring it up, you know, I, I'm not saying it was her and it wasn't, but like Jessica Simpson, oh, you had a big drinking problem so much so that you couldn't uh, clothe your little baby. And that's when you realized it was a big deal. Well, not Why really that. Why are you that. focusing on that? I'm like, it's page 65. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you know, that that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, then forget the whole fucking thing. And the how are you? You know? That's <laughs> right. That, that to me is what I'm looking for in a guest. Uh, this is why I love, this is great having you guys on, because you're in the moment. I, I, I have trouble with guests who won't deviate from, they, they have a script in their head. Right. And 
they're it's like filling out the blue book in college. Yeah. You know, you're going to just. And they don't understand that you have to assume the host knows what's best for their show. When I'll find myself interrupting a guest sometimes and they try to they try to fight me on it and keep going through. It's like, I don't know how to say this nice. I'm doing you the favor. Yeah. And what does the audience want? What does the audience want to hear? You know, hear? we never thought to ask. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good are, are, question. Are they hanging on every moment? <laughs> they they like when, okay, so you know how I think our generation and further up, a lot of this happened where your family fought and then the next day uh, it was like nothing happened. Right. So you're sort of like gaslit in your own scenario. They like when something weird is happening that we go, this is weird. Mm -hmm. That just, like you said, stay in the moment. If uh, something deviates, sometimes, you know, we go from comedy, all of a sudden somebody's telling us for the first time ever they're ever talking about their rape. So we deviate into that and they go, I'm sorry, this isn't funny, but the audience is fine with that because it really is where the conversation was going to go. And it really is the meat of it. No one's meandering. No one's, you know, you're still telling a good story and you're still telling it from a, a good an incredible perspective, which is your own. What I find interesting about this, and I want to ask Keith, because you used to do stand-up full-time. Uh, for a year. For a year. You now do one show a year. How many comedy CDs have you put out? 16. You've put out 16 comedy specials. One a year, one take, and 17 is coming out April 15th. Yeah. Okay. I find this fascinating because... An audience. It's annoying, right? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Because <laughs> I don't let him do it. I'm like, you know what? You got plenty to do. When you finish your list of podcasting, <laughs> you can do more stand up. Okay, I'm going to say something that's kind of offensive. Go ahead. Yes. But, it, but it's my, Jesus is real. <laughs> no, no, it's why I'm really impressed that you've done all these comedy specials without running the material in front of an audience. Sure. So Dennis Miller, uh huh, who at one time, was the funniest guy right. in the world. I hate listening to his podcast now, no joke. Huh? <laughs> I hate listening to his podcast. Uh, but you do know that he's a genius. Uh, sure. Okay, so I went, I was- Or worried. he's just saying, Nate, what if his, those words aren't even things? <laughs> 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 what is Pavarotti's asshole zeitgeist? Like, he's, just, he's just throwing out words. So he, he, I worked for him for 10 years, and he goes, Faldo, I'm, uh, I'm going to the ice house, I'm running my special. Uh, come out, give me notes. Right. So we go out to the ice house, and he does an hour at the ice house, and it is flawless. It's pure genius, mm -hmm. and he effing killed. I've heard his uh, last album, and I liked it. Okay. So this was about 15 years ago. So okay. we're, we're driving back to the office late at night. I said, that's fantastic. I said, how many sets have you run in front of an audience? That was the first one. I go, what? He goes, yeah. I go, wait a second. You just did an hour in front of a packed house. And you had never tested the material in front of a small audience. Why would I? What do I need? I don't care what the audience thinks. I know what's funny. And like uh, this light went on. Oh, I go, wow. You'd be a great podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, you don't, Keith, you don't test 
the material. Well, well, you know what, Dennis Miller. First of all, he does test his material. He would he would be on the radio and he he does uh, keep repeating the things and seeing seeing what sticks. But okay, uh, okay, testing material in front of friends as opposed to a club. I, I mean, I understand. Uh, I don't know. You know, you have uh, you have movies. Yeah, you have a couple people look at it, but uh, then at the end, you're like, "This is my fucking movie," and now Parasite's a big winner. You I also know? think like the way Keith talks is the way he does stand up. Mm-hmm. So his opinion is going to once he writes down his opinion exactly how he thinks it is. I do write it down for yeah, what that's worth. Then that is how he's going to express himself no matter what. If the audience groans, that was still his opinion in his timing, in his voice. I love that. So it's not really actually going to change. So he wouldn't, I think even if he did it in front of a lot of audience, it wouldn't change that much. Maybe like... Yeah, I, re- I remember uh, early Carlin albums where either he's talking over the audience or or there's no laughter, but he, he knows he wants to stick with the premise. And I go, this whole th- five minutes is fantastic. Thank God you did. It's kind of, it's it's like that a little bit, if that See, makes this sense. Is, this is so important to me. That he said, thank God. It's weird, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, yeah. No. After all that in the beginning, the, all, all the grief he gave you, now he says, thank God. He says, bless you to me fucking all the time. <laughs> fucking sneeze fest over here. I try to start going, no, no. <laughs> no, this is really important to me because I spent 12 years doing comedy every night in this, you know, and I became really good after about eight years. I developed a voice. But I use the scientific method, which is write a joke, tell a joke, listen to the audience, and then fine tune it, fix it, and you know build your act based on the response that the audience has given you. So you have the you test each joke and you mm-hmm. listen to every show, and you that's how I built my act. And then I started doing like. Conan a lot and doing it in television studios. And then I realized, oh, it's a completely different audience from a club. Right. And you can get laughs. Anyway, the point I'm making is that great comedy does not require the scientific method. That you can, if you have the courage of your convictions, you don't need to test everything. If you think it's funny... It's funny. And if Do the you try audience it that way now, does it? Yes. Has it and if, yes. Yeah. Yes. And if the audience doesn't think it's funny, it's even funnier. It's funny right. that you think something's funny and the audience doesn't think it's funny. So the idea of having to do it night after night and it's about something else. If you're out there every night, right. you're not doing it to build your act. You're doing it because you need that jolt, that adrenaline. Right. Right, and I need it in a different way. I need it right. through the podcast, yeah. And and so does the podcast give you the same jolt that a live audience does? No, it doesn't. No. No, but it satisfies me in uh, an even more meaningful way, probably. Why? It's more real. It's, it's I could be wrong. Uh and stand up the points are thought through. If I'm doing a transgender joke, I, I've run it by a transgender person uh, by a couple times. Um, where here, it's like, all right, I'm not, I'm not saying shocking things to be shocking. This is my honest point, and that turns into real conversations. And there's nothing more rewarding than that. Hamda, you do live performances. Uh, well, I don't do stand up, but you do live performances. The sh- you do the show live. Yeah, and you did. A live show. You did my live show that we did at QED. Do you yes. remember? Yes, I do. 
And somebody said to me, don't do a live version of your podcast because the audience will take you down. It'll change the nature of the show. It does change a bit. When we do live shows, we want to add a live element to it because it's different than being in the studio on your own. You want to project more to an audience. So when we Man, do it's live- It's not going to be a real conversation live show like, uh, do we not bring up a rape settlement because uh, Kobe Bryant died? That's not going to be a live so audience conversation. Is that, is that, is that better? Because I've had this discussion in comedy, you know, when I work on comedy shows, I always say- Fuck the audience. Fuck the studio audience. I know I shouldn't say this, but who gives a fuck what the studio audience thinks? Well, I just think it's a it's a different when you're podcasting in this room, people are listening in their rooms also. So it's a different energy. When people come out, they have an energy in the audience and you're projecting a little bit more energy. So instead of having one or two guests for a live show for a podcast, we'll have the live show rotating four guests to bring in new energy every 10 minutes. And don't you think you're cheating the home audience? I'm I'm not so sure about this, but I think when you take comedy and you cater to the 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 studio audience in many ways you're cheating the people who are watching it at home it's just something new and something different you know where we don't it's not our well, i'm not talking show. about you in general you added cumin but you still added salt and pepper okay let, let's take keith and the girl off the the table and just Fuck talk it, they're about dead never record again <laughs> okay We're, just it's over comedy in general yes comedy in general if you're writing a show or performing, mm. and you're catering to the studio audience and judging how it's going based on the live response, don't you think you're cheating either the listener or the viewer at home? Because they're not there. You have to keep in mind, you have to aim higher than the studio audience. True or false? Wait, so to bring- this is a this is a conversation that I've had for you, decades. Let me just to be clear: Are you saying the energy that I just mentioned to bring to a live audience, we should bring into the studio audience, so that we're not shortchanging? Well, well, I said to take if you were paying attention, which you weren't. <laughs> I'm confused too, and I was staring you. Okay, eyes. okay. So <laughs> if, if 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 and I'm the I'm with you. Okay, forget Keith and the girl. Forget everything. I'm talking about doing a show. In front of a studio audience. So you're taping. You're taping. Okay. Do you make a mistake catering to the studio audience as opposed to thinking of the larger picture, the, the people who are either listening or watching? You should focus on the people who are at home and not the studio audience. Because there's more of them? There's more of them and that, a stu that, the, that an audience... A mob. This is my opinion. I'm asking you. But when you do stand up, who are you performing for? The camera or the people? Well, if Both. I'm doing a live club, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if you've watched me do stand up, but I always. No, I'm really asking. Yeah, I'm like, who the fuck are you doing this for? Uh, <laughs> you know, I want to kill. I really do want to kill, but I can't kill unless I'm bombing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't work unless the audience stops laughing. The, the, You're good in panic mode. No, you, I you just, saved your homework for the last minute. I don't think it's funny if if a performer is. Does a club why, owner why go? Why is this so much of a math problem? 
Why do we have to have a math problem? You know what? I never did stand up, but I did used to sing in front of an audience. And I right. feel like if you ask the question of should you deviate from your set that you have, you have musicians behind you, you have your set in front of you, should you deviate? I say you do the best show that you know is possible. So if deviating at that point will give you a more good feeling about what you're putting out, then deviate. But if it will hinder the musicians behind you because you decide to do Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star instead of your, you know, top five songs. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you also talk to the camera people and the production, if production is expecting you to do something, then maybe you don't deviate or maybe you do. But I think if you're talking about a live show, if you're that mathematical, if you're that mathematic about it, then it's not live anymore. Right, right. You want to see, when I go see the Willendas walking a tightrope, right? As we all do on Saturday. <laughs> I want are to they see the Sabbath. Are they still around? No. Okay. How many of them died, by the way? Uh, most of them. Okay. But they put on a good show. That was a great show. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want front row for that. You need one of those, uh, you know, those splash screens. Would Evil Knievel have been as popular? If he didn't crash half the time? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that guy was a mess. Yeah. I mean, that's why you go watch right. him. And I think the same applies to stand-up. I think comedy... Does the club owner ever say to you, like, David, man, that, that really sucked tonight? And you're like, yay! <laughs> Baby! <laughs> See you tomorrow? Well, I don't work there. I, I'm not on the road right. doing clubs anymore. You know, that I do. Yeah. Well, that's a conversation that I've had for decades about don't allow the audience to influence your comedy too much because right. they will always take you down the wrong path. Fuck them, you already have their money. If somebody gets <laughs> up to puts their coat on and starts walking out, is that like mother's milk to you? <laughs> no, no. But I, I don't think it's funny if a comic steps on stage, gets a huge laugh, and just kills for an hour straight. Yes, I'm jealous. But, yeah. but it's not my thing. It's not my thing. But because it's too, it's too pat. It's too secure. It's no, it's not live. You're just giving me your greatest hits. And I could listen to that as a CD. I, I like people's greatest hits. I like hearing the same song over and over again. I like going, oh, this punchline is coming. And really? I love the sound of the voice saying that punchline. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're shocked that Hunter likes good things? <laughs> you guys like good things. I do. I do. I do. I mean, I go when we go to the concert, we know all the music. I just want to hear it from their faces. I want to watch, I don't know, uh, what's her face? I want to name her for a few. I want to watch Carmen Lynch walking around the stage. I want to hear the joke that I already heard. I want to, I want it to, I, I want to be part of the audience. There's, okay. The audience is is a fan. Okay. And loving it. Do you like seeing comedians bomb? Yes. But absolutely. Yes. But not like their joke was good. Their joke was also. I bad. like to see failure, so yeah. I feel better about myself. Do you have to catch yourself laughing at inappropriate times? No, I like to see people destroy their careers in front of me, so I can feel <laughs> superior. Okay, I, I see. I, yeah, that, that's. <laughs> I uh, so before we go, how long have we done here? Uh, way too. I can tell. I, I, I'm reading the body language. I know you guys want this to end. No, we're good. Uh, we've been going one hour, six minutes, and 25 seconds. That's oh. in case you tried to edit anything out, folks. <laughs> okay. No, I'm not. I'm, we're, we're, we'll wrap it up. <laughs> how, how do you stop? You, like, that's one of the things. I can't stop the podcast. Like, how do you stop an episode? Yeah, I mean, my episodes. They're six hours long. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but they use, they use them in torture rooms. <laughs> Even the CIA isn't buying Slipknot albums. Uh, how do you, like, like you do it once a week, five days a week, but one once a day, five days a week, right? So. Like I was, I just did your episode. Yes. I didn't want it to end. I wanted to keep going. Thank you. We uh, have, you know, I'm meeting someone else, and then we're gonna talk after this. So right. I have other. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? I'm, I've, there's this muzzle that I don't have anymore because my Middle Eastern parents don't get to say what I say. No, but you, you said I have free reign. You have friends, you know, right. acquaintances. Well, so we live in the now and the then, so <laughs> we have to check our calendar and know that we get the pleasure of somebody else's company. So you have other things to do, right? Right. Oh, I see. As it were, yeah. Oh, I see. So you just go. And your schedule, do you have a, a regimen? Before we go, what uh-huh. is your regimen? Do you, because you, you do it every day. We uh, we usually meet around noon. And uh, then uh, with uh, Julia's help and Andrea's help, we uh, put together the news of the day, the, uh, the information of uh, guests that somehow they think it's their fucking diary, but it's their Twitter account. Right. Uh, and then we do our show. And then, you know, then all the behind the scenes that goes with it, kind of scheduling and putting together this, uh, these live shows coming up in April, blah, blah, blah. And the teamwork, that must be great. You have a team. It's great. You have, yeah. You have meetings. You go over. Yeah. Again, shout out right here, right now. Julia Schechter's here, Andrea Allen. And it's, it's a dream. 15 it's years. Wonderful. Keith and the girl are celebrating 15 years. Everybody should subscribe to Keith and the girl. It is a great show, and I... And we know when to stop. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I Let's don't. do another hour. Here we go. He starts going over his grocery list. <laughs> <laughs> How do people follow you on Twitter? Everything is under Keith and the Girl. Whatever platform you're on, if you if you put in Keith and the Girl, you will absolutely get this show. Okay. If you're brave, try Chemda. Look that up. See what you find. I don't even want it in my browser. <laughs> and how do people follow? How do people follow you individually? Uh, just follow me here. Who gives a shit? Uh, <laughs> Keith Malley on social media, or you know, Keith Malley, Malley Keith. Sometimes you got to switch it up. And Hemda's Hemda under everything. Congratulations on fifteen years. Thank you. That's Thank quite you. an accomplishment. The end. <laughs> how do you like that? Oh my god! I stopped. Oh my god! I just stopped it. How do you feel? Well, I I, I could have done another two hours with you, but I'm right. reading your body language. That's just the way I sit. I have bad knees, so I no, keep no, no, moving no, no. my I, legs. I can tell. What's the body language? You're wrong. The body language is. Are we still rolling? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, the body language is. Let's wrap this up. No. No, nah, I, I pick it. I up. mean, it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thank you. You're listening to the David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized humps. Let us now go to Tucson, Arizona, where Dr. Jennifer Vertolin is standing by. She is an animal behaviorist who teaches animal conservation at the University of Arizona. That's, That's right. Yes, the University of Arizona, a great school. She's the author of two books, Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tell Us About Human Relationships, and Raised by Animals, The Surprising New Science of Animal Family Dynamics with Try-at-Home Lessons from the Wild. Subscribe to her Wild Connection TV YouTube channel. I'm looking at a cute little kitty cat 
uh, as I'm looking at your YouTube channel and read her blog over jenniferverdelin.com. Subscribe to her newsletter. Hello, Dr. Jennifer Verdelin. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, thank you. Happy Valentine's Day to you, too. Oh, I'm just, you know, I spend Valentine's Day the same way every year. I, I, I sit in a bathtub with nox, noxema on my face, a hairnet. I eat chocolate bonbons and watch Princess Di's funeral. That's how I Oh, my God. That's the, weirdly specific. <laughs> that's how I do it. I treat myself every year. Uh, I don't know why. I, I've, I've mentioned this on the show all the time that I do that. I don't know why I think that's sad and funny. Well, do animals, let's talk about animals. Do they have a sense of romance? Do they... Do they give gifts to the opposite sex the way we're forced to do? I mean, the way we want to? Yes, they do. And they, they, but unlike us, you know, they don't have to give it just once a year at Valentine's Day. They, they have to do it all the time. Oh, really? You know? Oh, yeah. So basically anytime they, in many cases, it's all about sex, right? Um, and that's not so different. Okay. <laughs> For us, um, the difference is that basically if, uh, let's say, a spider wants to mate with a female, he has to give her a gift every time, not just once. And what is the gift? What is the gift? Well, so so it's wonderful um, for the female. It's all about food. You know how we I don't like to go out to eat on Valentine's Day because they raise the prices mm-hmm. right for for the same meal. And, and so and, and so do the women. I mean, it because it's much more expensive to date on Valentine's Day. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's right. So you should either break up before Valentine's Day or start dating after Valentine's that's Day. Right. <laughs> um, that that's my advice. Uh-huh. But you know, assuming all is going well, so so nursery web spiders are notorious for gift giving. So they usually give food. So they catch a tasty insect. And then, of course, you can't just like plop a dead insect in front of a female. They wrap it, you know, like a gift. And they... Kind of like eating a Chick-fil-A. Huh? Kind of like eating a Chick-fil-A. You don't see the insect until you're eating. I don't like Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, I don't eat fast food, so ne- that was that went over my head for a second. Um, but I got you now. Or a Snickers bar. You don't see the insect in there either. Well, hang on for um, let me let me. I don't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. Uh, I was going after Chick-fil-A for their politics. Snickers bars have uh, uh, some insect in them because of what? Oh, most candy bars do have insect parts. That's been known for a really long time because it's just they're just in the whole like facility and get ground up and put in. <laughs> they're mm. not intentionally putting insects. It's just a byproduct of the process of making. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. But anyway, uh, so much like Chick-fil-A or, or, uh, you know, others, um, they wrap it up in silk and females really like pretty wrapping. So the better wrapped it is, the more likely they are to accept it. But, you know, males don't like to give gifts. It's expensive. They maybe they'd rather eat the food themselves. So what they sometimes do, about 30 percent of the males actually will either wrap a twig, which is not edible, 
and trick the female or worse they catch the insect they suck all the good stuff out of it and then they wrap the exoskeleton and offer that (laughs) that sounds like something i would do well yeah the more elaborately well i don't know if that's something you do but the more elaborately it's wrapped the longer it takes the female to unwrap it so the male takes that opportunity while she's busy unwrapping what she thinks will be a delicious meal to start mating with her. And then of course she discovers that there is no meal. Deception. Yeah. So she terminates copulation immediately. And does she terminate the life of the male? (laughs) No, she just terminates copulation. That's a whole different group of, of spiders. And in that case, usually like the, um, male, uh, so one, you know, another way that males coax females so that they don't get eaten is, um, by, by giving them a massage. We all like massages too, right? Yeah. So male spiders, you know, if they give her good vibrations, um, usually for, it can be for, for redback spiders, like up to 90 minutes. So that's not your like min- two minute massage. Yeah. I'm sorry, 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 I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. 90 minute massages, what, what, what do you mean a two minute massage? Well, so sometimes in relationships, you know, if a woman wants her man to give her a massage, you know, he just like, you know, pats her on the back and is like, okay, that's it, right? Right. And that's not enough. <laughs> so, so, if you don't want to give a gift, you could give a massage. That's free. It just takes time and energy. And definitely some spiders do that. The benefit is if you give a bad massage, you're not likely to be eaten. So, you know, there's a plus to being human. Okay. So the, the spiders who get eaten by the female, they don't have to give a gift. They have to give a massage or both. <laughs> It depends. So it depends on the species. There's a lot of diversity, particularly in spiders, but in some of the more aggressive types like black widow spiders, redback spiders, the males generally are super cautious about approaching an angry female. Mm. We can relate. Uh, and so so they are very cautious and they, they usually stroke or tap her in a certain kind of rhythmic way to calm her down. I see. And and this can take a while. Uh-huh. So it's it's basically like a back rub. And and if he does it well and she seems calm enough, then he's willing to take the risk uh, to try to mate with her. And most of the time it works. So males aren't really trying to die. They, but they do might be like 30% of the time. I see. So, okay. So that's gift giving. Do the, do the females ever present gifts to the men? Uh, They do. So most of the time it is males and there, it, this happens in everything from fireflies to spiders to birds. And, and, but there's one aquatic insect, it's or semi-aquatic insect, it's called the Zeus bug. Hmm. And in this case, it's the female that presents the male with food, but she doesn't have, that. that's not enough. So if she presents him with a food item that he finds agreeable, then he jumps on her back and um, he'll ride on her back. Uh, she has this little divot in her back where he can kind of sit and chill. Mm. And 
as he rides on her back, she starts producing this waxy substance from a gland um, on the back of her head. And he eats this for up to a week. Wow. 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 So, you know, um, there's a lot of diversity, you know, so this is a type of food you produce yourself. Males often will produce a a packet of food uh, that can be up to 30% of their body weight that's in their your crickets and mm-hmm. and some flies. And females definitely want this, but males don't want to give gifts just to any female. You know, it's it's very similar to human males who if you're just starting dating, they don't necessarily want to give you something super expensive. Maybe you're a bad female and they don't want to invest <laughs> their resources in you, right? Okay. Is there an emotional so, connection that animals make or is it all about procreation and sex? Oh, no. It, it It's definitely an emotional connection. Depends on the species, right? So, I mean, for squirrels, there's no emotional connection. Tell me about it. I mean, yes. <laughs> and, I, I, and there's nothing wrong, you know, with being a squirrel. And they're incredibly smart. They're very smart. And, you know, sometimes you just need to get a nut and that's fine. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Do you think they're smart because their mind isn't clogged with emotional connections? They're not worried about what he's thinking, what she's thinking, because they are pretty brilliant. Absolutely. Well, lots of animals are brilliant. You know, dolphins are known for being smart. And in this case, uh, there's been some populations where they find that males, a good gift is giving something useful. We always sort of joke, don't give me, you know, household appliances but in this case the male dolphin females like to use sponges on the on the tips of their face on their rostrum to root out these fish that live in the rocky bottom and so they've they've observed where male dolphins are like hey girl here's a sponge for you (laughs) really yeah and so they they you know push a sponge towards the female and and so this is nice i mean this is paying attention right to what somebody likes and what somebody needs and what somebody can use and 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 so i think now are they giving is there an ulterior motive when the man gives the female dolphin the sponge it's it's to have sex or it's just saying hey you know you could use a sponge well, there's different strategies, right? Some some males might be sidling up to the female. Their their future agenda is hopefully to get mating, and they're they're working on on her, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Over time, uh, so this we talked about this uh, in baboons too, right? Where if you're not the top male, what are, what are your options? And a lot of those males make friends. They have friends with benefits with those females, and it may take a while to receive those benefits, and they may never receive those benefits, but they might. Right. So I think that back to the emotional connection, squirrels don't have form emotional connections in their mating life. But something like angelfish, French angelfish do, I, I would say they do because they are monogamous and, and mate for up to 10 years and if not their entire lives together. 
and they have their alone time and, and he's not providing her food constantly and, 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 or anything like that. They cooperate together. They go about their day and come back together and spend about 50% of their time together. And the wonderful thing is they don't need Valentine's day to show their affection and love for one another. They twirl around each other every single time they come back together. Is that why they're called French? <laughs> do they have mistresses? Do they have I, I, afternoons well, they, where they sneak off? And <laughs> I don't know. I just know that they they celebrate when they come back together, and that's not a bad thing to do. No, not at all. Is there jealousy in the animal kingdom other than with humans? Do do women and men get jealous? I, I can't imagine a man getting a male baboon getting jealous when his significant other is with an alpha male i think don't they just fall into line and accept the fact that she's going to go off with the the alpha male um well so the alpha male would be incredibly jealous in fact they work the very beta, hard but the to beta keep- accepts that doesn't he well, so the the usually what will happen in many baboon species, so mountain baboons and um, I forget the other species, uh, homadras baboons, they they sneak off, right? So of course the the beta male, the friend, and the female, they have consort cons, they consort with one another on these little rendezvous, and they both are keeping an eye out for the alpha male. Now, it, the female goes back with the alpha male at some point, whether the, the, the male that she consorted with or had a little rendezvous with gets jealous, I don't know. One, one clue might be if they show some kind of displacement aggression when that happens. I don't right. know that anybody has really examined that in in other species i do know of an example between a human and a crane yeah so so, um there was a a crane um breeding program and cranes imprint on their parent and so but we didn't know this for a long time but but once we found out this relationship had developed between a human male and his and this female crane that he had taken care of and raised and when any female uh, bird or person would come near him she lost her mind Hmm. so animals definitely we think of jealousy as a flaw and that somehow it's unnatural right but feeling possessive over one's mate is kind of the biological standard, I, I think how that manifests can be really toxic, both in animals and, or in other animals and people. Right, right. And that's what we, because we are people, we have the capacity to reflect and perhaps learn to manage our impulses a little bit better. So during feudal times, if you were a vassal, and you were about to get married. They had a thing called the the right of the Lord. The I, I don't speak French. The droit de seigneur. I don't. That's I'm mispronouncing it on purpose. But the way it worked was: okay, you're getting married. You're a vassal, but I'm the Lord, so I will spend the first night with your mm. wife. And 
the, the guy, the, the guy getting married accepted that. And uh, so that's that that is very uh, animalistic, isn't it? That that feels like something you that that's baked into humanity. We've kind of uh, gotten rid of it, but it's still there. And I would assume it's very much there in the in the in the animal kingdom where the top animal uh can have any woman he wants and the the betas accept that well so this is really interesting i don't believe that we've eliminated this from from human culture at all i mean if you just look at religions many of the the doctrines are about controlling movement of females and the only reason to control movement of females is to restrict their access to other males and we see this all over the world still where is that what abortion uh, <clears throat> the argument is that what it's about is there a primal need here that that many of these right wing groups have they, that, that they need to control women is that is that what the abortion argument is about. Oh, I be, I would personally agree with that statement. I think that any that when we look at many of the cultural sort of traditions that we have, societal norms that we have, most of it can be distilled down to what we call um, sort of sexual uh, strategies. And in many species, males are always trying to control either females directly or control other males access to females. Right. So mm. what you just described about feudal times, this is, this is about reproductive success, right? So this top male has, it's not that the subordinate male just accepted it. The cost of, of disagreeing would likely have been death. Right. Right. So then the question is, so why would the, the king or the lord or whatever choose to have the first night? Well, if she's a virginal female, which is probably likely that that would be required. She he has a uh, if you're the first one in, you have the best chance of potentially fathering the offspring, which directly increases your what we would call fitness in, in a Darwinian sense. Okay. And when we think about the fact that as women become more educated, they have fewer children. This is universal. It has been demonstrated over and over and over again. The more rights that women get, the fewer children they have. So the the right wing Christians who tend to be against abortion, do they understand why they're against abortion? Do they under, or is it, is it just instinct that they're operating on? Well, so that's a really interesting question. I think many times we believe that we're operating from some moral or ethical or religious place when the reality is that we are actually having those reactions from a biological place. So that's why I'm always a fan of showing people these connections because it's not to say, oh, heck, oh, well, I, that's just biology. But if, but it's to say, if you don't understand where your real reactions are emerging from, you have no chance of, of reversing them. Now, will this reverse say any right wing? You just, you just blew past the most important 
point, I think, oh, of this sorry. segment. <clears throat> that if we don't understand all our animal urges, then we have no opportunity to reverse them, to evolve. I'm, I'm going to say a little bit differently that our biological reactions, which are from an evolutionary history kind of, you know, are the way that we've evolved along with other animals. We are animals. Mm -hmm. sets us up to have certain reactions and situations if we have a lot and this is one of them and if we have a lack of awareness about where our true reactions are coming from and instead we believe it's a moral or religious foundation that's driving our behaviors then we don't have any opportunity to reflect and change that and decide for example, some things we can't change, like our fight or flight response or freeze response in a traumatic, life-threatening event. Your reptilian brain makes that decision for you. Right. It is pointless to criticize or demean or, or, or diminish people because they reacted a particular way in a trauma, that they don't have control over that. We can help them undo the damage of that, potentially, right? Or, or, or recognize, them. or when they're re-experiencing that trauma with post-traumatic PTSD, they're taught, they're taught to recognize that this is biological and try to rise above it, to recognize the physical feeling and then separate their mind from the the body or the part of their mind that is creating this physical sensation. So going back to abortion and controlling women's bodies, uh, it is a it is innate for a man to want to control a woman's body biologically. You you recognize that, and then you try to evolve to a point where you are no longer controlling a woman's body. So it's no coincidence that the same people who are against abortion are also against the teaching of evolution in our schools. They are because they themselves fight their own evolution. Absolutely. And, and the only thing I would change a little bit is I don't believe it's innate for men to want to control women's bodies. There's enormous variation in human mating systems. Some are male, female dominated, some are male dominated, some are co-equal. And this mm -hmm. is going back, you know, in the entirety of human evolution, there's a tremendous amount of variation in mating systems, as we might call them. Mm -hmm. There's females with multiple males, those males with multiple females, and then there's equal monogamous. So across humanity, if we look at people today, part of the reactions and behaviors that we have might stem from historic, uh, depending on your particular lineage and, and any of, you know, and then cultural evolution on top of that, which has created a narrative and a script <clears throat> in, wrapped in religion that perpetuates certain behaviors that benefit males in uh -huh. most cases. And so, so there are plenty of men who don't want to control women's bodies. That's, right. I wanted to just say that, like, this is not about all men have this innate desire, but for those that do, uh, -huh. uh, 
you're absolutely right that understanding that that is actually simply a mating strategy and you can cloak it in whatever religion you want. You can cloak it in whatever ethical or moral argument you want, but at its basic level, it is a mating strategy to control access and reproduction of females. I see. I see. And that is very common in many animals that doesn't make it right. (laughs) Right, right. You know where my mind is going? You know, uh, Robert Smigel, he was writing on SNL for 30 years, and I have to call him because he's watched every episode of SNL because he worked on every episode of SNL. There, There must have been a sketch based on the right of the Lord where it's... You know, the big wedding party and somebody like me, you know, a middle aged Lord is sitting there at the wedding knowing that he gets first crack at the bride. But he's Mm -hmm. old and he's tired and everyone around him, all the vassals know that this guy can't perform in bed, but he's got to go through it. And (laughs) he's he's dreading. Oh, my God. Another vassal wedding. I got to sleep with the bride. I can barely satisfy my wife. And now I got to spend the night. This I love the idea of, of, of a Lord dreading droit de senor. Uh, well, and, you know, so just a, a human example to help people maybe get their mind around this. Um, uh, shared paternity is a belief that some indigenous tribes from South America, the Ache in particular, are well known for ha- having. So how is it that they could believe that each male that mates with a female could contribute part to the baby, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like saying a human infant that's born to a female is composed of three fathers. Right, right. And we know biologically this is not true. But they believe that maybe in, in the they past. believed that because they needed to find a way to accept the idea of sharing a female <laughs> with another male. <laughs> now, why would they do that? Well, at that time and when this behavior emerged, um, males had a high death rate and, and may, offspring that didn't have a dad around didn't survive as well. I see. So if you have more than one father, if you lose one, then you still have a a good chance of surviving because you have another male who's a hunter who can bring meat to you. But there was a limit to how many males a female could have as a second husband. Right. Interesting. Right. So but this is where cultural and beliefs emerged as a way to deal with a real biological situation. I see. And make it acceptable. Hmm. So, so you can also have the reverse, where beliefs and cultural things can emerge uh, to justify something you find unacceptable. Uh, but, but this is just part of. At the end of the day, it's really about our survival and and what leads to the best success, uh, reproductive success for each individual. And there's tons of conflict in many species, including humans, between what males want and what females want. Right, right, right. <laughs> Interesting. Well, we have to wrap yeah. it up. Thank you. Uh, two, two thoughts. Uh, one is with Trump as our, uh, you know, our president, Mm-hmm. Our society has devolved. We are seeing a, a de-evolution, if that's such a term. 
do humans devolve? Is there are there animals that devolve that they get to a certain state in the evolutionary process and then suddenly, for reasons we don't understand, they start reverting back to where they came from? So this is a really interesting question, and and I'm gonna answer. I'm gonna try to answer it, and then maybe we could pick it up again next yeah. time because it's really important. So I think what we're seeing is also what we see in other species where environmental conditions change and they favor certain behaviors. Now humans have gone through many periods of time uh, of intense conflict followed by intense cooperation, and if we look at history, we can track that trend. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that promotes in many species uh, an abandonment, let's say, of behaviors that we might think you and I might think are good and we've evolved right in some way <clears throat> is when you have intense competition for resources. So the most contentious environment is when you have unequal wealth distribution. Right. And this is becoming more and more pronounced. And when that happens, you have shifts in what we might call in-group, out-group. You're in my group and you're not in my group. Mm -hmm. And this creates division. And basically what we have is a a current president who is uh, reinforcing and increasing the um, inequality in wealth distribution. At the same time, using language and rhetoric that creates division and and forces and triggers that very biological reaction. I mean, we could almost predict uh, more intense conflict, the more resources become unequally distributed. And when you're depending on physical strength as opposed to intellectual strength, that you're devolving. Not necessarily, right? But but the issue is that competition, you can outcompete individuals in many ways, physically, intellectually, right? Hoarding resources. But it's better to win intellectually than physically. That's a that's a sign of being a human and evolving, right? If we, we choose I would disagree with that. There are many species where individuals might successfully outcompete another not necessarily based on brute strength, so it's not limited but humans, to humans. We got to where we are not through brute strength, but through intellectual growth. We're not sure. In fact, there's been uh, historically we're we're finding new more and more information all the time that there might have been intense conflict among different species of hominids, and we are the one that emerged. Uh, and re- remained. Th- we were not the only ones, right? We coexisted at the same time as Neanderthal and then other um, hominid species as well. And so there was uh, potentially conflict and 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 aggression between different species, and we may have outcompeted, not necessarily by intelligence, right. potentially, but we ne- don't have any evidence for that. They think Neanderthals weren't so Neanderthal-like, right? They're, Correct. Yeah, yeah. But Correct. We, we've used that word in a very disparaging way. And there's a little Neanderthal in some of us, right? There is. And uh, are we a protected class? If I 
do a DNA test and I find that I have some Neanderthal. Some people have Neanderthal in them and some don't, right? That's right. Yeah. Wow. But that's because we had introgression there. That's evidence of some mating between uh, Neanderthal and anatomically modern humans. Oh, and Homo it, sapiens. And most importantly, interspecies mating. Mm. Does that go on? Not recommended. No, I know that. We end up with <laughs> jackasses, but or that, that wouldn't be interspecies. But uh, what would uh, do you find like uh, animal courtship? Where, where mm. I, I did notice on the cover of Wild Connection, animal courtship and mating, what animal courtship and mating tell us about human relationships. On the cover, there is a hippopotamus courting a zebra. <laughs> yes, that's in the new cover that I, I had made. Because, right, the language that we use to court someone, we, we might be mismatched. That's the, the sort of inside joke there about that. In but general, do we see, th th that's do we true. See that? So the way that a zebra courts is not the way that a hippopotamus courts. And so you could keep trying all day long, but n the messages will not be received. And, and so for many species, depending on the cues they use, there's a separation. It's either behavioral or timing, even if closely related, like even in the Grand Canyon, there's two species of squirrels that are just separated by the North Rim and the South Rim. And they've been separated physically because of that barrier for a very long time. The question is, if you brought them together in a lab, would they be able to mate? Sometimes they can. Sometimes, uh, depending on the species, they can. Other times... Maybe the South Rim squirrels mate in March and the North Rim squirrels mate in May. So they're just the timing's going to be off. OK, so and uh, you're, you're, so so there can be some in general strict biological definition, biological species concept would say that if hybrids don't form or hybrids don't survive well or if hybrids are sterile. Okay, then last, last it's question. It's a separate species. Last question. Okay. okay. The proverbial high rise apartment in Manhattan that I keep asking you about. So <laughs> yes. you're on the 40th floor in Manhattan. You have a cat, mm. you have a dog, and they're in prison. They are in prison. The dog, less so because you, you walk it, but they're trapped 45 floors above the earth. It's prison. Mm. Will the cat and the dog court and have sex? No. Never? No. They won't? So, first of all, there's an anatomical problem. They're anatomically different, so it's not possible. Second, their strategies for mating are completely different. Okay. And their behaviors around mating are different. If it were me, then they would both be neutered or spade, which means they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that anyway. Um, but no, there's way too, there are way too many differences. Now, would a coyote and a dog, that's a better question, right? Because the answer to that is yes, we have koi dogs. Right, right. And that is where feral dogs, dogs that are outside, you know, have, have mated with coyotes or right. wolves. Well, and okay. because they're closely related... That can work. And because they're anatomically 
matched, you know, kind of like a lock and key party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So my nephew and I, we go to my sister's and we try to match. We play matchmaker with Mr. Mm-hmm. Tibbles and Boner, her dog and the cat. <laughs> Boner's the dog and Mr. Tibbles is the cat. Of course. And we've been playing matchmaker for three years. You're saying goodbye, Dolly. It's not a good idea. Okay. No, I mean, to, this is a, you know, a fruitless uh, pursuit. And what's great is that they, they get along. They can be great pals. Yeah, but we but wanted not to be attracted it, to We each wanted other. to take it to that next level. And I guess my sister's right. Dr. Jennifer Vertolin. <laughs> teaches animal conservation at the University of Arizona. She's an animal conservationist. Two books, two books that you should buy, Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tell Us About Human Relationships, and Raised by Animals, The Surprising New Science of Animal Family Dynamics with Try-at-Home Lessons from the Wild. Watch her latest YouTube video by subscribing to Wild Connection TV over at YouTube. Subscribe to her newsletter by going to jenniferverdelin.com. And while you're over there, read her blog. And you can follow Dr. Jennifer Verdelin over at Twitter. Her handle is RealDrJen. Thank you so much. It's, you know, happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. I'll be looking for my uh, nuptial food gift in the mail. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm not done wrapping it. <laughs> <laughs> Stay on the line for one quick second, please. Sure. We believe in democracy, not oligarchy. <laughs> Today, we say to the private health insurance companies, whether you like it or not, the United States will join every other major country on earth and guarantee health care to all people as a right. is a human right, not a privilege. And together, we will pass a Medicare for all single-payer program. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Let us now go to New Hampshire, where Citizen Bacon is standing by. Hello, sir. Hey, hey, Bernie uh, won the state, so that's great. Wow, thanks for the breaking news. Well, I mean, you know, it's the first time I've talked to you since last. I mean, that's, you know, hey, you remember, you're you're on like a clear time scale. I know, I know. So, yes, you're right. It's Friday. Sorry. He won on Tuesday. 
Yeah, but I haven't talked to you since then, and you're, call, you're calling to New Hampshire, and I'm in New Hampshire, and I'm just, you know, hey, you want New Hampshire, that's great, that's all. Well, now you hang upside down in a closet for the next four years, and I'll call yeah. you in 2024, okay? <laughs> Hey, a couple of people call to thank you. They left voicemails. If you listen later into the show, Liam and I answer voicemails and somebody is uh, praising you. We played it. Uh, his name is Citizen Sausage. He's a big fan of Citizen Bacon. So make sure you listen to the Liam McEnany segment later on in the show. This has been a mechanical disaster today yeah so well that's well you're must be not at home then so exactly sometimes exactly cannot be perfect cannot be perfect but you're still going so that's that's wonderful the show must go on and you have you have a 30 minute piece for us so give me the intro yeah, so um, th- this is going to be the secretary since New Hampshire just, uh, you know, since we just had the first in the nation primary, um, and there's always been talk about that not being the first in the nation primary and stuff. Um, I had interviewed um, our secretary of state, who is the one who gets to determine when the primary is in our state because of the law. Um, so I got to sit down with him for like a half an hour and just talk to him and stuff. And um, I thought rather than, I thought about maybe cutting it up into bits, but and he sometimes, he paused, you know, he's a much slower talker than I am. He, you know, he's, he's an older guy. Uh, but he's fascinating and stuff, and um, so I just thought it was kind of cool. And he doesn't usually give such long interviews, I don't think. Okay. And, um, you know, so. What's his name? Yeah. Uh, uh, Bill Gardner. Bill Gardner. And He's the Secretary yeah, he's been, of State of New Hampshire, Republican? He is not a Republican. Um, he's a Democrat, I believe, but, um, sometimes he does things that the Democrats don't always like. And he's been there for something like 40 years, right? As secretary of state. 44 years. It's the longest. And I guess the two the, the, the secretary of state before him, like died in office. And the one before that guy died in office, which, okay. which is, you know, kind of crazy. Okay. Here is citizen bacon with his one-on-one talking to the Secretary of State of New Hampshire, Bill Gardner. This is David Bacon, citizen journalist, and I'm uh, lucky enough to uh, be sitting with uh, Sec- New Hampshire Secretary of State Bill Gardner. Um, thank you for, uh, for giving me this opportunity, Bill. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so you've been Secretary of State for 44 years, I believe it is? And you're the... I was elected in December of 76. I've been elected... 22 times for a two-year term, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm in my 44th year. uh, Right, right, right. And um, you wanted the job of Secretary of State. I was going to continue the tradition of the office. Oh, okay. And I was not going to use it because of the unique privilege that a person has to serve in this position, working with people of all philosophical beliefs and right. parties, that it, I would never use it as a stepping stone 
for something else. Right. So why did you want to be the Secretary of State originally then? Because I was on the election law committee in, in the House of Representatives. And we had the closest U.S. Senate race in American history. It was decided by two votes. Wow. And we had to send all of the ballots to Washington. The U.S. Senate asked for all the ballots. Because it was that close. Because it was that close. And they were going to do the recount in Washington to right. decide who really was the winner. Because the Secretary of State at the time, on election night, the Republican won by 355 votes. After the recount, the Democrat won by 10 votes. Hmm. And after the ballot law commission reviewed all of the challenged ballots, they declared that the Republican had won by two votes. So the U.S. Senate had received two certificates from New Hampshire, one saying that oh. the Democrat won right. after the recount, right. and then this other group that reviewed ballots said the Republican really won. Right. So the Senate had to decide who was going to be seated. And in order, in order to do that, they decided that they were going to recount the ballots themselves. And they spent five and a half months trying wow. to figure out who won the election. Right. And in the meantime, New Hampshire election procedures were put under a microscope. I mean, every, people were looking at all different facets sure. of it. And I was uh, on the committee that dealt with elections. So, and I had a particular, I gained a particular interest in, in, in election procedures. And, right. And so the Secretary of State, I, I didn't run against an incumbent. The Secretary of State died right. in office and his deputy was not interested in continuing becoming Secretary of State. So I ended up being elected. Right. And my first day that there was no Secretary of State alive right. and the person before me. So you you can go back sixty some years that there has never been a former Secretary of State. Right. Wow, that's 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 really interesting. Um, one of the things I think that you've said was uh, that maybe the most important part of your job or something, and maybe I'm going to misquote, but I'm trying not to, is protecting the sanctity of New Hampshire status as first to hold a full-fledged primary. Do you see that as being your... Well, it's, it, uh, the Secretary of State is required by law. This is a legislative... This was before I became Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. This wasn't done when right, I was right, Secretary right, right. of State. It was before me. Right, right, right. But there's a law that says that the state primary must be at least seven days ahead of any other state that has a similar election. Right. And so the law doesn't give you the formula how to get there. It doesn't give you the roadmap to take to get there. It just says... 
you got to get there. Right. And you know, over my years, states have had laws saying they're going to be the same day as us. Right. That that we had one election cycle. We had two states that did that, and it's up to the Secretary of State to find a way to make sure that the law is complied with. Right. And and I've had to do that over the years. And uh, in nineteen in October of nineteen eighty three, I was actually sitting right here, and where you're sitting with Nancy Pelosi. Uh huh. She was not a member of Congress then. Right. She was just a an activist from San Francisco, and she had been instrumental in having California move its presidential primary from June to April in the cycle before that. Right. And the chair of the DNC at the time was from California, and the Democratic National Convention in 1984 was going to be in San Francisco. So she was made the chair of the committee that would get states to comply with the rules. And she said we were not complying with the rules. And so she came up here to try to convince me to comply with the rules. And I just said, I, I, I have to comply with our Right. State you had your own rules to comply to. And, right. So, and you've, you've been able to keep us first since you've been here. So there's sometimes people will criticize New Hampshire because of our uh, lack of diversity and all that stuff. And there's, of course, arguments against that, of, of, that we've performed our services good. But I'm not as interested in that. It seems to me that the thing right now that is um, affecting us the most is really the, the DNC's rules about people getting on, getting on the debate stage. Like, it's too bad that Cory Booker dropped out, and that's only because of the DNC rules. I mean, if he, if this was 12 years ago or whatever years ago, he would still be running and, and you know, maybe advancing in, in the state of New Hampshire. It seems like that's the real challenge to us now. But that's not for me. Yeah. To weigh in on. Right, right. Okay, uh, sure. That's... that's I will weigh in on things related that you to can how we can follow our law and, right. and I mean I have my own thoughts about all those other things. But sure, you don't have a say in that. They're, they're, uh, yeah. It's outside of your jurisdiction. Fair enough. Okay, so because you've been Secretary of State for so long. Forty-four years. I, I think Joe Biden has been. In, has, I think he celebrated his fiftieth year just in politics, and you've had the same job for forty-four. So, first, thanks for your service and stuff. Well, I remember, uh, and uh, we talked about it a little bit when he filed. Uh huh. I, the two of us, were co-main speakers at an event. When he in Manchester, honoring a an alderman in the city in the seventies, when after I became Secretary of State, and he was recently elected as a U.S. senator. All right. At the 
on Hanover Street in Manchester at the Chateau Restaurant. Yeah. So he was the national speaker. I was the New Hampshire, New Hampshire one. speaker. That's the first time I met him. And he was in his 30s, and I was still in my 20s. Right, right. And still you're both both going strong. Um, yeah. Let's see. So because you've done this like 10, 10 uh, cycles and stuff, do you have a favorite moment from it all? Or favorite moments or oh, something? Or is there just so many? A lot of moments. A lot of moments, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if there's a, a lot of them are my favorite. <laughs> right, right. But... Okay, that's fine. It's all good. It's all good. Um, so I guess I mean there's favorite funny moments. Yeah, whatever, anything. Favorite sun, uh, serious moments. What's a funny moment? What would be a favorite oh, fun? Mostly uh, lesser known. Right times uh, candidates. I I I. I a candidate came in to file. She was from Pennsylvania, and he had his money in a spaghetti box. You know those little uh-huh. barrels. He was pulling the money out to pay, and when he paid, a reporter went up to him and asked him some questions about his campaign, and he wouldn't answer the reporter <laughs> and. The reporter said, I'm, I'm just giving you a chance now that you're a candidate. Right. I'm giving you a chance so that I can do a news story that you're, right. uh, you're the latest candidate. Right. No, no. He said, and so the reporter was just, you know, didn't know. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty rare to have a candidate. Not want to say anything. Not want to say anything. And so... He, at some point, he just said, uh, well, will you talk to me sometime? And he said, I will the day after the primary. After I win, I will talk to you. So then he was like, well, but why? Why then? And not now. I mean, isn't now when you need to? Right. And he said, I've decided that I'm not going to let any reporter write about anything that comes from me because it'll always be filtered in your, on your terms. Right. And I want to speak directly to the people to of the people. New Hampshire. Wow. And that... There's many stories of things like that right. in that front room, but in that particular cycle, a guy showed up here one morning and he said, "Would it be all right if I just sat in the corner? I won't bother anyone. I'm just gonna. I'll just sit in the corner." And I said, that, "That's fine." <laughs> so after the the end of the first day, he came up to me and he said, you know, I, I would really like to say a few more days. Would you, you know, would you be 
able to let me do that. Right. And I said, yeah, you didn't bother anyone. As long as you just, you know, stay where you are. Right. Yeah. Couldn't have been too crowded. And he said, uh, it was Because sometimes it got insane, uh, this, this, this one. So he, uh, he said, I, I, I really can't believe what I actually saw this first day. I, I just, I can't, I have to stay. Right, right. So a couple of days go by and I, had, I didn't know his name, just like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you're in here all, I didn't know, right. I didn't know your name. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I go down to the cafeteria and he's at one of the tables. So I walked over to him and said, I join you for a suggestion. So I said, so what's your timetable? Oh, he says, I'm leaving. I'm leaving later this afternoon. And I said, so did you get, you know, enough? He said, uh, this whole thing, let me tell you. He said, I spent my last two years with Nelson Mandela. Wow. I did his autobiography hmm. with him. I worked on it. I forget exactly the word, that, but he was with him. Right, right, right. And he said, when it was done, I came back, and Walter Isaacson at the time is a friend of mine, and he asked me if I'd do a few articles right. for time. Right. And I saw this little thing about the candidates are going to be going to New Hampshire. And so I was thinking they should be doing it here in New York City. They shouldn't be doing it up there. Uh-huh. So I decided to come up and see it. But I can't believe what I've seen here. I've seen the leader of the U.S. Senate I've seen a taxi driver in New York. I've seen someone that delivers the New York Times in New Jersey, someone that wants to build clipper ships, someone that and he saw that guy with the spaghetti box. Right. Uh, and, and he said, I, 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 it just blew me over. Right. And, and, and I was not a fan that it was up here. <sighs> But I am a fan now. Yeah. Don't you ever let anyone take it from you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it started here. Hey. And he went on to, he became the pub- publisher, a top editor of Time. Right, right, right. He's gone on. I think he's on one of the cable channels now. Right, right, right. But a very nice guy. I haven't seen him since. Right. But he came up here and sat down and watched it. Yeah, yeah. And you've seen it. Yes. And a number of people, but not many, understand it. And, yeah. And in order to understand it, you really have to experience it. Without a doubt. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. The same thing with the primary. Right. From a distance, it, it doesn't make any sense. Academically, all the academics can write all kinds of papers about why it's not fair, why it's 
you know, it, it, there, there, there has to be a better way to do it. But all the ways that have people have come up with, like having a one-day national primary, there's all kinds of problems with that. People right. will never talk to anybody. They'll spend two years raising money and right. buy ads. Just be on, ads. Like, and, yeah. and, and that's... Uh, so I always, when I talk to reporters that haven't come here, that write from... I <laughs> plead with them to come up. They said, don't trash us until you've lived with us mm-hmm. for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Come here and experience it and then write about your experience. But don't, from a distance, do it. Right. And for the most part, they have waited to come. Mm-hmm. But our biggest supporters over the years have been the people that have come here for a long time, the old timers, the reporters sure. that have come here for several primaries. Right. They've right. experienced it. They, I mean, there are some things in life you have to experience. Yeah, there's a lot of things in life you got to experience. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with right. that. I'm just going to, I want to ask a question about a specific uh, fringe candidate who showed up here. There was a blind gentleman, I think from Georgia, who wanted to file under the name R7. And he, you asked him for his driver's license, and he did not have the number because you can't put the number on the driver's license. So I know he paid and stuff. And I don't remember. I don't remember what name he filed. But he said at the time that he was going to send back like an affidavit or some kind of information to tell to show you that his name really was R seven. Did he ever do that? So, like, I'm curious whether or not he he got his R seven or not on the right. on the ballot. Well, we have the ballot. Yeah. Uh, I go look at the ballot. I don't. You don't remember offhand because it's no, not. Really a, but there's I, mean, what, I remember the. I remember you remember the guy. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was a very interesting man with the white suit with the red pinstripe. You know, that was. Uh, remember, we have we had a, a man that's first name was president. That that's the guy. That's yeah, it's President R seven. Yes, first name was president. Then it was R, and I think that was yeah. for revelations. And then he had a. He can't. Uh, he he he. Uh, no, he he couldn't put the number. There's no number on the ballot. Right. Okay. Yeah. There's no number on the right. ballot. So it just says President R or something like that. President maybe? R. Wow. Body, that... I think. Body or President R. Body. Right. 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 And there's like 50 people on the ballot. I think this time. 35. 33. 33. 17 Republicans. Right. 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 I can show you the ballots before you leave. Yeah, I'd love to. See. Yeah, that'd be great. Um. <clears throat> Just a couple more things. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, so, there was a lot of stuff, and I and I and you talked, you've talked about this, but so I just want to, I just want to, I want to understand the the college voting thing and how it's either changed or is it too? Wait till, wait till you tell me what I I said. Wait till you tell me what I said because well, I'm not because it'll be much more important than. It'd be much more important then. Just wait. Please do that. Okay. Let me. Yes. Perfectly fine. Because there's been these charges out there of what I said, and I 
Well, the, okay. Regardless, regardless of that stuff, just to, like so on the website for the New Hampshire, like you have a four-page New Hampshire. There's a website that tells you about how to vote. Yeah. And the thing, I'm just not. I wanted to. This is the thing I'm. I'm. I'm most curious about because I want to make sure. I. It says so. There's a thing. It's like. If you have documents to establish your qualifications, please bring them when you register. If you do not have documents or forget to bring them, then it's all caps. You will be able to register to vote. You will be able to vote. So is that true? Even if you don't have the things that you think you will be able to, you will still be able to vote. And that's what I think you tried to clarify in the past, and it didn't seem like people got it or understood it. I've been saying repeatedly, New Hampshire is the easiest Easiest. state in the country to vote. Right. But that's not the narrative that some reporters want. Right. Because they've been saying for a while that this is a voter suppression state and things that are happening here, and and it's just not... It's not true. true. I mean, there was this reporter from that's uh, that gets on public radio here. Okay. And she made this thing, I was told, that she was saying, well, I talked to him for an hour and I couldn't write anything. But it was because she didn't want to write what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what it was about. Yeah, 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 sure. If you have an agenda going in, yeah. It's, but it's, you, if yeah. you... See, when I speak... I I do it without notes. Right, sure. And that night I stood there, at either at the podium or over on the side, for a little over two hours. And one of the tweets actually said that I was sitting in front. So I don't know if this person was even there because <laughs> there was no seat. There were no seat. Yeah. There, there, were, there was true. no place for me to sit. That's very true. Unless I sat on the floor. And if I sat on the floor, I'd be <laughs> you, be looking up. You were certainly not sitting on the floor. Right. And, uh, and I talked about how we're the easiest state. Right. And and we have on our website that that what the requirements are for every state in the country. Right. And what states have, uh, what cutoffs, how many days before mm-hmm. the election do mm-hmm. they cut off voter registration? Right. And we don't. Uh, and, yeah, and we don't. Right. And, but they're not interested. They weren't. Yeah. But that's why, I, I, you know, I don't. Yeah, it seems the focus like focus was for two hours. I covered a lot of ground, and and uh, but it became it, it ended up coming down to one word. Yeah, I wasn't even trying to get into all that stuff. I was just. It seems like there was some uh, in the news in the past. Just talk of difficulty with the college things, and then when I looked at the website, I was like, no, it seems like you could just go and do it. Regardless. So I, well, I was that, like, wow. I talked about that. I know, exactly, yes. I said the poll tax. Yes. It, it, that just hurts voting to say that that it could be a poll tax if you vote. There's yeah. no poll. You can't have a poll tax. Right, right, right. And if someone has to get a driver's license, is that a poll tax? We all have to get drive. If we want to drive, we need to get a driver's license. Right. And everyone in the state of New Hampshire would have to have the same. Well, if idea. you 
if you truly believe that everyone has an equal right to vote, right. then everything should be equal, equal. for everybody. Right, right. It, yeah, it seems like that's one of your th- your things is you're trying to be you're trying to be fair and you're trying to be honest and you're trying to make things equal. I mean, just in general, it seems like that's a something you're standing for. I I said that from the beginning. My right. Friend, that this office was going to be a neutral corner in state government. Right. The only bills and legislation that I speak on are bills that deal with the administration of elections. Right. And and I owe it to the people. Because over the years, I've been to these meetings, and I know a lot of the secretaries of state. I know a lot of how other states operate, and and I have beliefs about what makes it easier for people to vote in New Hampshire and how we get a higher turnout. And I think I've shown you the yes, the, the, but you, you don't see that nationally, right? It, there's been 17 presidential elections. If you take the last 50 years of the right. previous century, right. and you bring it up to 2016, there's been 17 presidential elections. The first two decades, the 50s and 60s, we had five presidential elections during those decades. And every single one had substantially higher turnout than any we've had since then. And during those two decades, there were poll taxes. We had a poll tax. We had a six-month residency requirement. You could only register to vote a couple times a year. And I'm not saying that we should go back there. Sometimes when I talk about that, you think that's what people they, might they, think. Did they write that? Yeah, no, yeah. he just that's, wants to go back. That's to, not what you're saying. And I'm, uh, that's not what I'm saying. Right. But I'm saying these are the facts. Yeah. So if 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 if, if you have and if you ba- if the denominator is voting age population, it includes everyone. And when you had parts of the country that certain people had to jump through hoops that other people didn't have to. And certain segments of society were pretty much locked out of voting. Right. Yet the turnout in the country exceeded the, 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 the last 30 and years. It's based on the same denominator today. Right. But you don't see those stories. Yeah. Because that's not the narrative today. That's not what the groups today are promoting. And so we don't have these things like early voting, no fault absentee. Our campaigns build to this crescendo. Right. And on one day, everybody is talking about it. It's not 15 days. And so the final day becomes an afterthought because you've got had so many election days. Right. And when people see lines for early voting, if they don't go in the lines then, they're not going to go election day because if there's lines when you go early, there's going to be huge lines if you go when everybody else goes. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, beat the beat beat the crowds, you go Thanksgiving night, or you go at midnight, or mm-hmm. you go uh, but it's it's shown that it has it, it has minimal effect. But the effect is a negative effect. Mm-hmm. And there's studies 
that show that. Yeah. It's just a, you think it's just so an apathy in voting voters. I mean, those were some of the points that, but they weren't interested. They're not a lot of people are interested because it goes against what is out there that, you know, you got to make it easier and easier and easier. And the easier you make it, you're going to get more people to vote. But people have to, have, no matter how, it doesn't matter how easy you make it, there still has to be some will to make the effort because right. you're, you, 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 you have to do something to vote. And if the, and the easier you make it, if you don't have the will to do it, you're not going to do it regardless. Turnout's not going to improve. Mm-hmm. And our turnout, not only our turnout, has gone in the opposite direction of the country as a whole. I think I showed you that shot, didn't you, I? That, yes, I believe the so. The two presidential elections, the last two, we were the highest. Yes. We had been, compared to the rest of the country, we were over 14 percentage points above right. the rest of the country. The highest in over 50 And this years. is for the general election. For the general. Correct. It's for the general. Right. Not the primary stuff. It's for the general. When you have the same candidates at the top of the ballot in every state. Right. Right. That's what you look at. Not when we had a midterm in 18, but we had no U.S. Senate race. Two-thirds of the states had Senate races. Right, right, right. Senate races, there's Brings a lot of money draw. spent sure. on Senate races. Right. Now... So, and the early voting in a, in a primary, look at the time since the filing period, the candidates who have withdrawn. Mm-hmm. So, four years ago, I had asked, uh, I asked the Secretary of State because I happened to be sitting next to him of Ohio. Right. Uh, they had their primary four years ago, March 15th. They began their early voting February 15. So I asked him at this meeting we were at, I said, will you send me how many votes Jeb Bush got and Ben Carson got and two or three others? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because they were running until when the early voting began. Right. And, but they, these candidates have pulled out. Mm -hmm. And how how many thousands of people, tens of thousands of people voted for these candidates? Ahead of time. Early voting. And then their vote doesn't count. And then, and and, uh, he said, I can get it for you right now. Right. So he goes on his phone. Right. And he says, this guy got 35, this guy got 38, this Right. So, the, uh, well, you okay, can't make in, all the people New happy. Hampshire, New Hampshire people want to wait till the end because they want to do the right thing. Right. And they know how, you know, significant it is, and and, and they really take it responsibly. They, they, and we have had in many primary cycles events during the last week or the last weekend that have crystallized in people's minds. Yep, that's the guy. That's who I thought. Now I know. Mm -hmm. Things happen because when campaigns build to this crescendo, everybody, you know, there's only a few days left. Right. And people 
Things it's happen. already getting crazier. Just with this but less than a month left. I know. Yeah, at yeah. The end. Right, 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 and, right. And things happen that here, if twenty five percent of the people voted by three weeks before, they miss right. things right. that they that, may be angry with their vote that because they maybe would have changed it if they hadn't put it in yet. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so what's the future for you? You 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 want to stay in this job and, and keep doing it like the people before you, I would imagine. Then, <laughs> yeah, I don't even think about it. Yeah, you just do your day to day. I guess it's not as hectic when it's not the primary time, at least to some degree. But I'm sure it's still. Well, we'll be going into the general election. Right, right, mode. right. The uh, you know. It's really not a lot different than it's been for me the last 20 years. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, I, I may, I, I may wake up someday and say, I, I could have done it 20 years ago. I could uh -huh. have done it 10 years ago. Right, right, right. So I, I, Who knows? At this point, uh, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is my very last. Uh, someone told me that you are a... Uh, a, that you, uh, you you still play a lot of hoops. Are you a basketball fan? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe someday I'll get to get on the uh, court with you and shoot. Shoot. That would be fun. We uh, <laughs> the people over here play the archives. Oh, really? We we have. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh. People over there, securities. Right. We have our. Uh, yeah. You have a little league between you guys, you know, between the different buildings. Up. Yeah. That's super awesome. It shows up every week. And right. Right. Well, thank you so much, Bill Gardner. It, it, it was, a, it was a, I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. This is really getting annoying. Liam McEnany joins us. His comedy album is Working Class <laughs> Working Class Fancy. And his comedy podcast is Tell Your Friends the World's Greatest Podcast. And he's going to be at Vitello's. And he's already typing. What are you typing? Uh, nothing. Go ahead. Okay. You're going to be at Vitello's when? With Wendy Liebman and Chris Tyler. <laughs> Is it the 22nd? You know, I love a good angry plug. Hey, well, if, you, if, if you're going to be angry, <laughs> go to Vitello's. I know Robert Blake. You know, Robert Blake went to Vitello's in a really bad mood. I'm pretty sure he left with a smile on his face. <laughs> his, his wife made... His wife met a horribly tragic end, unless you were Robert Blake, in which case it was <laughs> about as good as it gets. I wonder what he tipped that night. <laughs> <laughs> My compliments to the chef. <laughs> now, do you do you think Vitello's has a separate gun lost and found <laughs> <laughs> or does it get mixed in with the regular lost and found? Have you played Vitello's before? We should be honest with the audience. You're actually playing. 
The restaurant. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not hanging out in the parking lot waiting to solve marital disputes. Okay, but did, are you allowed to make jokes about Robert Blake and Vitello's? Hell yeah. Last time I did the show, uh, I was really blown away by how good the service is. Like, the waiters there... His wife was made- blown away by the service. <laughs> Revolver. But the joke I made was, man, the waiters here are so good, and the servant is, service is so on point. I can't believe they let Robert Blake forget his gun at the banquet. <laughs> and it got a big laugh from the audience. Mm. I think, you know, to trivialize the, the loss of a loved one, I, I just find that insensitive. Well, No, no, I was, I was celebrating finding good service in Los Angeles. Do you know how rare that is? You're right. Hey, you're at Vitello's. Is it the 22nd? 25th. The 25th. What better way to celebrate St. Valentine's Day <laughs> than to wait a week and a half and go to Vitello's right. on the 25th and see the brilliant Wendy Liebman and the, the, the dreadnought of comedy, Chris Titus, and the hysterically funny Liam McEnany at Vitello's. What a great night. What a great and, and night. Also, Jimmy Pardo will be emceeing. Jimmy Pardo from oh Jimmy my, Pardo. Wow, what a great show. What a great show. 202-670-2752 is our number. Leave us a hey, voice. Yes, sir. Will you be playing the audio from the first time we tried to record this? No, I, I will like not. Aud- I feel like your audience might enjoy that. I am in New Jersey today doing the show. Oh, no wonder the audio was fucked up. Well, it's I don't think it is. I do not think it is. <laughs> Hey, how about Bruce Springsteen's 25-year-old son joining the Jersey City Fire Department? Did you see that? Do you know how much respect I have for that kid for, like, not trying to follow him into music and just kind of doing something with his life? Phenomenal. What a great dad. Just let him find his own path. And he was so cool. I, I posted it on Twitter. The old man showing up, watching the son being sworn into the fire department. And he just had this... The solemn look on his face, and that's how you raise a kid. I don't know what he was like as a father, but in terms of values, right? What what a what a great great way to raise your son to be Bruce Springsteen and and have a son uh-huh. who, who becomes a firefighter. That being said, I do hate firefighters because they steal all our, <laughs> they they steal all our women, and they're not good looking. Right? They are not well, good looking. Hey, David, how many of your kids are firefighters, just out of curiosity? Not a single one, I'm proud to say, because they would never, because they, they were raised, get what's yours. I raised them, but get, take, take from this country, don't give back. Right. And, uh, and don't steal our women. That's what, fire, that's what firefighters do. They steal our women. How many of your women are strippers? Because those are the only women that firefighters take. Oh, because of the poll? <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Yeah. 202 The poll, the Jew, the Rusky, whatever it is. 202-670-2752 is our number. Leave us a voicemail. We're getting better voicemails. This thing is building, Liam. and we have, uh, It's a movement. It's a movement. Yes. And we uh, want you to call in. If you can't remember the number, uh, 
go to Ask Me Anything over at the David Feldman Show. You'll see listener questions, call me, contact. And uh, we also have listener questions today. Now, some of you have been contacting me privately, so I will not read those those messages. I'm only reading the the, the Ask Me Anything questions, Okay. Now, David, before we begin, yes, sir. First of all, are did anyone who left a voicemail were they? Was any one of those people sober by any chance? Well, I don't know. Okay, I, I don't know. I do a quick screening of them, but I don't listen to them. I, I save them until uh, showtime. So this is exciting. Uh, now I've been uh, I've been cruising the um, the iTunes page. The review page. You know, I take, I take uh, listener feedback very seriously. Yes, you do. I care about what your listeners have to say about the show, uh, and you have given me the power to cancel any segments that people complain about. I, I don't understand what you're talking about. You have told me that if there's anything that people complain about in the iTunes page, I have the power to cancel it. And ban that guest from the show. I've asked you not to discuss the iTunes page. Right. Well, I, I'm on the iTunes page yeah, now. See, now that's not good. That's not good. Now, people have been leaving five-star reviews, I assume, by accident. Okay. That, uh, that affects the – if that is an algorithmic thing, uh, I would yeah. like to crack uh, iTunes top. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. I can hear you. Okay. I, and well, then if you can hear me, do what I say. I would like to be in the iTunes top 50,000 podcasts. You know, there are 750,000. Dude, you're po- cutting in and out. Are, are, we, are you talking to me from a submarine? What's going on? I'm talking to you from New Jersey, so it's even lower than a submarine. <laughs> the, the, air, <laughs> the air is even more stale than a submarine. Uh, this is Das Boot, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, okay, so you were saying that you want me to read you some of the the reviews. I get that. So, no, I uh, want you to leave my first- I, I want you to leave my iTunes page alone because I'd like okay. to be. I, you know, I'm very proud to be the fifty thousandth most popular podcast on iTunes. I've been doing this for ten years. Okay. This is our eleventh right. season and I have worked very hard to to make the top fifty thousand. Well your uh, your audio skills are gonna help that. But I'm already on the iTunes page. Yeah. So I'm just gonna read some of the reviews that were left this week. Uh Bernie Ho the headline on her review was the Bernie Ho and Bacon Show, asterisk, formerly the David Feldman Show. Oh. So that's just it. I mean, she just kind of didn't really try this week. Yeah, but she updates her <clears throat> review every week, doesn't she? Yeah, but some weeks she clearly tries harder than others. <laughs> hey, when are you going to Vegas? Uh, next Saturday. Okay, so that would be a great opportunity. 22nd of February. That's right before Vitello. So why don't you hook up with Bernie Ho Baby Cat in Vegas? Uh-huh. You know, make out with her, drive her back to your show in Vitello's. And then, <laughs> three days away, you can take her to... Uh, and, then, and then take her to the parking lot. Take her to the parking and lot. And have one of my associates 
Uh, help her find her car. Help her find her car. Are you going to call Bernie Ho Baby Cat? Yes or no? <clears throat> well, I don't have her phone number, so that's a no. But I might email her and see if she's around. How great would it be? Uh-huh. Why don't you do what Citizen Bacon does? Bring a microphone and the two of you <laughs> do a mini podcast from Vegas and I'll play it. Why don't you record? Okay. Why don't I would you, do that. Would you really? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, Bernie Ho, if you're listening, expect an email from me this week. How great would that be if the two of you sat down somewhere in Las right. Vegas? Somewhere where her breath controlled wheelchair could access. <laughs> I have a feeling she's gorgeous. She's funny. She's right. definitely in the top three in terms of commenters on this show, if not the number one. And she's actually sent me some funny jokes. I think I would I would say she's definitely the best sober commenter on your show. <laughs> okay. So hang on. You and Bernie Ho Baby Cat are gonna go on a date. Okay. A week from this yeah. Saturday, the day after Valentine, a week from the day after Valentine's Day. I'm mostly going to be playing poker in Vegas, so I got to figure out a time when we can meet up before that. Okay, you're going to meet up with her, and you're you're going to record a 20 minute podcast. You're going to have a a mini episode of the David Feldman show. That's right, but Uh, I want it to be sexy. I want sexual tension. There's probably going to be other comedians in the room with us. No, it's got. I want you alone. Oh no, I want you to play Seven Minutes of Heaven with her. (laughs) <laughs> I want you to go into a closet with the microphone and Bernie Ho Baby right. Cat and turn off the lights. She might feel more comfortable in a pantry or a walk-in refrigerator. Why is that? I have a feeling she's morbidly obese. Okay. All right. Why do, why do you do that, Liam? She's an integral part of the show. <laughs> All right. Are you done with the iTunes? She gave me a five. No, 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 no. So she gave you a five-star... Uh, watermelon with uh, all the all the vowels replaced with numbers. Yeah, R- wrote surprisingly informative, funny, and sometimes inappropriately so. A laugh and a cringe. You've been warned, but his voice is easy on the ears, ah. and he and he yells at people if they start breathing into the recording. And the sound quality is pretty good for phone calls. Oh, okay. Com- uh, so there you go. The guy likes when you yell at your guests. Okay. How many stars did he give us? Five. Ah, there we go. Not funny, though. It wasn't funny. No, it wasn't funny. Uh, uh, But he likes the show, or she. But they didn't didn't insult us? No. No. No, in fact, next one, uh, Simon037 says you give David 22 minutes times 16.36. He'll give you the world to get the (laughs) reference. He must be from New York. Yeah, he says, if you get the reference, good for you. Feldo is the only podcast worth listening. Well, thank you. Not listening to. He forgot to finish the sentence with a preposition, but there you go. If you're from New York, I think it's W-I-N-S. You give us 22 yeah. minutes, we'll give you the world. 10-10 wins, baby. 10-10 wins, yeah. Uh, All right. Someone else wrote The Man in the Boat, Priceless. The Man in the Boat, Priceless. I think priceless means it's not worth any money. Yes, I think you're right. It's only oh, worth. Oh, 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 oh. I was interviewing Kelly Stone and she was talking about a kayak incident. Oh. And she was talking about how the kayak was destroyed. And I said, was the, oh. was the little man in the boat ruined? 
and she blew right past that. <laughs> no, no, no. Usually when he gets moist, he gets happy. All right. Can we keep it clean, Liam? I am giving it clean. Are you talking about the kayaking? Okay. So ask us anything. Give us a call if you want to hear your voice on our show and it's clean. Uh, the voice or the message, give us a call. The phone number is 202-670-2752, 202-670-2752. Would you like to listen to some calls, Liam, and then we'll get to the viewer questions? <clears throat> Not really, but let's go for it. Viewer questions. It would be listener questions, right? Yeah. Hey, and there's also a way to do this. I've been looking into it. You and I could go on Twitch and do this if you're willing to set up a hello can you hear me now i can hear you okay uh we could do a live version of this on twitch or maybe youtube we have to look into it. we were going to try to do a live version of this for our diehard listeners and we're still going to do okay. it. okay all right so that we can we can finally finish them off yes we're trying to weed out all our list just get down to one listener, and I think it's Bernie Ho. Okay, here's our first voicemail. This would be, believe it or not, voicemail number three. Pretty good, right? Whoa, yeah. The first two sucked. Yes, here we go. You're right, David. It's uh, a Stafford. Uh, who's that bloody lad you've got on talking about London? He don't know what the fuck he's talking about. He, don't, he goes all about London. He's a fucking Geordie. What's a Geordie doing talking about London? Oh, I come from London. Oh, I love Brexit. Brexit's great. Brexit's amazing. Get rid of the foreigners. Get rid of the immigrants. Get rid of all... Well, he's, down, he's going on lying that he's a bloody Corbynite. Bloody... I lefty, couldn't hear a word of liberal, that. Liberal... Bloody Corbynite, what the bloody hell was going on? Let him finish. Um, Yeah, so don't get him on the show no more. Don't get him on the show no more. Uh, He don't know what the fuck he's talking about, you bloody. He's a bloody old tool. He's a bloody old tool. He's a bloody tool. You're lucky that you can't hear it. Can you hear me? Were you able to hear me? Are you able to hear me? I'm able to hear you, but when you start playing the voicemail, well, you uh, missed... the entire show goes dead, which, okay. by the way, you, well, you missed... not a huge surprise. We have a chimney sweep who called in, uh, and now he's off dancing. You have a what? We have a chimney sweep who called in, and he's now dancing with some penguins. Uh, you didn't hear that. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? God damn it. Hello? Did we lose him? Can you hear me? This really pisses me. I can hear you. I can't hear the voicemails. Oh, 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 so when I keep saying, can you hear me? Can you hear me? That's not worth answering, right? I can hear you. Oh. I can't hear the voicemails. Okay, well, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Okay, we're having technical problems. And this is me in a crisis. You know how I play the Apollo 13 recording? Uh-huh. Just remain calm. Don't 
Don't overreact. Okay. So you can't hear. <laughs> okay. It's Gene Kranz telling everybody to stay calm. All right. That was, uh, let's try another one. Are you ready, Liam? We mu- Okay, we'll try, but we might have just skipped this segment. Yeah. Okay. Let's try it again. Let's is a new voicemail. Ready? Here we go. Uh-huh. Hello, Feldo. Uh, this is calling from Connecticut. Did you hear that? No. God damn it. What do you mean you didn't hear it? You don't hear anything? I didn't hear it. All right. Nope. Hey. This is the worst show I've ever done. And I, and I, and I, all right, hang on for one second. God, I'm so pissed off. Do you hear this? I hear you. Do you hear that? No, because we're not doing it through Skype, so I can't hear anything. Could you hear your mother here? Hang on for a second. Do you hear your mother making love? No, I hear a police siren. Oh, you do hear that? Uh, but very, very vaguely. I can't really hear it. Hmm. I don't know what to do. What is... Why? Every time you play the voicemail, the line goes dead. And I think you've disconnected. <sighs> well, it's not fair to my listeners, Liam. <laughs> well? It's not fair to do this to them. What do we do? What should I do? Let's just... Just read some viewer letters. All right. I have these voicemails. And then we'll call it a day. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll have to wait on the voicemails till next week. I know. I'm pissed off. Let me. This is. Let me just see something. Let me just see something. All right. Let me try it one more time. Are you ready? I'm ready, baby. Okay. Maybe it's a preset that I. I, maybe I hit the wrong preset. Okay. I apologize to my listeners. This is not not good. It's uh, it's not good. Do you, can you hear this? I can hear the airplane going overhead. Do you hear this? No, I hear an airplane. You don't hear the... Okay. God damn it. All right. I apologize to my listeners next week, 202-670-2752. We'll do voicemail. I don't. Hey, David. Yes, sir. Do you have the tin can you're talking through hooked up to a computer? (sighs) I just, why is everything difficult? Why is everything difficult? Usually it's people who go out of their way to make my life difficult, and now it's my machines. Have you uh, have you tried turning it on and off and seeing if that works? No. Okay, here we go. This first question comes to us from most of America. His Zodiac sign is high fructose corn syrup, and he is located in the American Nightmare. Are you ready? American Nightmare. That would be Mr. Howard Stern. Yeah. Oh, really? Is that? Is that what That's his song. Oh, I don't it's listen. A, it's a song he did with Rob Zombie in the 90s. Okay. 
Well, David, I'm sure you've heard the awful news, but if you haven't, I'd make sure you're sitting down for this. A true American hero is in a fight for his life. I'm talking, of course, about America's favorite right-wing reactionary, Rush Limbaugh. I guess he has advanced stage lung cancer, and it's really tearing me up inside thinking about it, much like it's tearing him upside. Well, anyway, I'll leave you with a quote from Limbaugh. Quote, I've never seen a cause of death from tobacco products. Not everybody who smokes gets cancer. The most shocking event in the world is when somebody gets lung cancer and they never smoked. And everybody says, how the hell did that happen? Because everybody's been so persuaded to believe that it's automatic. That is a quote from Rush Limbaugh defending the tobacco industries. He is himself a tobacco smoker. Now, here's the thing, David. Yes. Uh, a lot of people are celebrating the fact that Rush has lung cancer. But I don't feel it's right to celebrate until he actually dies. <laughs> I want to see a corpse. All right. All right. Then there'll be a party. Yes. Well, as you know, my mother taught me to never mock people who deserve to die. And <laughs> so I'm not, I cannot relish uh, this. But he has created a lot of pain in this world. A lot of pain. Some, some credit him for the uh, atmosphere in this country today that allowed President Trump to be elected. Some credit him with the atmosphere that's unbreathable. His trivialization of climate change and tobacco products. So, uh -huh. you know, uh, boy, let's move on. You, you know what I say, Rush? I say smoke them if you got them. <laughs> That's what they used to say. during. Don't, World let, don't let those fibrils, clowns in Congress tell you to stop smoking, buddy. Keep it up. Yeah. So you don't like Rush Limbaugh. Oh, no, I think he's great. Oh, okay. He's a, he's the guy who taught me all about Rochester big and tall suits. <laughs> this next uh, comment comes to us from Christopher. He is listening to us in Oregon, and his zodiac sign is Serpico. What are you doing? Are you eating? What are you doing? I'm having a sip of water. You're having a sip of water. Okay. His comment is, listening to David torture bacon is pretty rough, but then Bacon opens his mouth and I realize he deserves it. That would be, <laughs> that would be Citizen Bacon. Right. I thought you're, I thought the listeners loved Citizen Bacon. What happened? What's, well, what's the turn? Well, you know, the listeners do love Citizen Bacon, but <clears throat> we have some listeners. You know, I am the 50,000th most popular podcast in the world. And right. some people, you know, when you have that many listeners, some people love Bacon, some don't. It's a big tent, yeah. Liam. Big, big tent. Just like uh, the Republican Party. You know, it's funny. I read an article that said that there are only 49,999 podcasts in the world. Oh. So how do you come in at 50? I am the 50,000th most popular podcast in the world. What is that? I'm in a bad mood. Can you tell? I'm mad. I, I, you know, usually it's a human being who's pissing me off. Now it's right. this this mixer that I have that's pissing me off. Right. I'm pissed off. You oh. know what you do with a mixer? What? Y you pour some vodka into it. Ah. How many mix ah. How many mixers were you shown the door at 
in college. Huh? <laughs> I didn't go to college. Oh, I you... especially didn't go to college in the 1950s, which is the last time they had mixers. You didn't, but you did do panty raids. But that was when you were living <laughs> oh, yeah. with your mother. I <laughs> was a prize. Wo- yeah, I wore a beanie uh-huh. and I had a college sweater, and I would hang out on the quad and play folk songs on my guitar. Okay, I went to an all male school. Oh yeah, yeah. Until they found out about it. <laughs> that was two weeks ago. <laughs> okay. Uh, here we go. Dan Anonymous from Minneapolis, he's an Aries, writes. I've oh, been- the Cincinnati Anonymouses? <laughs> you know, in Minneapolis, that's, uh-huh. isn't that near Hazelden? There are a lot of anonymous people. <laughs> in Minneapolis. That's, if, you, if you want to get treated for alcohol abuse, go to right. Minneapolis. Uh, that way you can first develop the problem and then they can treat it. I love yeah. Minneapolis. Minneapolis may be my favorite. I would say, well, anyway, I love Minneapolis and I love the people. I do. Are you still there? Yes. Can you hear me? This is hello. The, yeah, this is going to be the most annoying episode of the David Feldman show ever. Uh, I'm going to send people stickers for surviving this. Can you hear me? I'm plowing through this, folks. Liam, are you there? He's not even there. Oh, it is a you know what? It's interesting. And I apologize. I apologize. We are reconnecting. I think what I'm going to do is hang up on him. And it's just a lot of things going wrong today. I'm going to call him on his phone. That's what I'm going to do. Are you there? I'm there. Are you there? Let's try it. Okay. Does this work? Yeah, it works for me. All right. Hang on for one second. Can you at least hear this then? Do you hear that? I heard that. All right. All right, you're back. We're back with... Let's just see if we're back. Are we back? We're, we're back. back. All right, folks. All right, folks. You know, this is life. This is a metaphor for life. Hey, man, it's a metaphor for your life. Yeah, that, that things go bad. And for then, you. Yeah, and then they get worse. And for you. Yeah, and if you keep your cool, uh-huh. it gets even worse. For you. Yeah. And then you you get Liam on the phone. For you. For you. All right. So we'll be able to do voicemails again. Oh, thank God. I, I apologize to my listeners. I do. I apologize to your listeners that we have to listen to these voicemails now. All right. Let me play you the uh, the chimney sweep who dances with cartoon penguins. Would you like to hear him? <laughs> All right. All right, you ready? Here we go. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. You're right, David. It's uh, it's David. Oh, God. Uh, Who's that bloody lad you've got on talking about London? He don't know what the fuck he's talking about. (laughs) He he goes on about London. He's a fucking Geordie. What's a Geordie doing talking about London? Oh, I come from London. I love Brexit. Brexit's great. Brexit's amazing. Get rid of the foreigners. Get rid of the immigrants. Get rid of all... Well, he's going, he's going online. He's a bloody Corbynite. 
bloody lefty liberal bloody Corbynite blood what the bloody hell is going on? Um, yeah, so, don't get him on the show, no more. Don't get him on the show, no more. What happened? Uh, Did I lose you? <laughs> what happened? Sorry. What happened? I was trying to close out of FaceTime, and I closed out Oh, you, out you know what? Happened. Now, good. Now it's not the machine. It's you. You, you, you know what? You, you, and I, you know what I think the other problems we had? Were your <laughs> fault not as me. Well. They're, they're your fault. Okay. All right. That was. I think that's what Queen Elizabeth sounds like if you if she answers the phone in her toilet. I think that's what. She, all right. So all right. I I don't know who that guy was. He was probably pissed off about Lane Hewitt, who we have on this show. I think it was because I was talking shit about England last week. Oh, you were making fun of England. Yeah, I was talking about how it's a bunch of uh, pig farmers who somehow formed a nation. Okay, that's not nice because these are good people. We have a lot of listeners in England. No, they're not. Did you see what they did in India? Oh, my God. They're terrible people. Uh, yeah, yeah, come on. Do you I, know I, what they did to the Irish, David? There's four green fields and only three of them are whole. Okay. You know that I'm a famine denier. I think... <laughs> You know that I, 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 I think the numbers have been inflated on the famine. All there right. Were four green fields, each of them a jewel. What do you have to bring the jewels into it? <laughs> uh, the ju- my my children are part Irish. Are they really? Yeah. So I love the Irish. I do. I, okay. I do. They're okay. They're delicious. <laughs> no, I mean that. They're delicious people. So you don't like, but haven't you, haven't we, don't we see peace now between Great Britain and Ireland? Uh, there are, there is a lot of peace uh, because the, the people of Northern Ireland don't want to rejoin Ireland proper. Okay. And so you're part Jewish and part Irish, right? Correct. Okay. So I was raised passive and aggressive. <laughs> All right, let's go to voicemail 24. Here we go. You ready? 24? You had to skip 21? Here we go. Are people jerking Hello, off into Hello. the phone? Uh, this is calling from Connecticut. I'm a Scorpio, specifically one <laughs> holding a sign, its own sign that says Grudge politically sucks on it. Uh, I typed this up beforehand, so hopefully I'll be able to ministry a script. It was very nice to meet you in person at the live Michael Brooks show. I cannot confirm or deny that I was paid 10 bucks to call him and say that. Liam, I have good news for you regarding Medicare for All. It covers mental health care, hearing and vision. Yes, I can do it. Go see the doctors you need for help on those issues, and not have to worry about breaking your bank. On a more serious note, the price of all medical costs are set to humans. The prices don't have to be what they currently are. Uh, I hope I didn't subconsciously copy somebody else's comments. So, Liam, as been said on the show, uh, love the show. Hope this wasn't too long. As you think, yourself back. Okay. So that was, I, that was one of the, the listeners to the Michael Brooks show. We did, right. we did a, a live show at the Bell House in Brooklyn, and that was one of the nice listeners you did? Who, who called in. Yeah. Nice guy. You did a sh- you did a show at the Bell House in Brooklyn with Michael Brooks. Yes, I did. 
and it was a lot oh. of fun. And a I'm, live episode of the David Feldman no, no, show. No, no, a live show of the Michael Brooks show. And, oh. And all his supporters, listeners, right. are pro-Medicare for all. Remember that time we did a live David Feldman show in a 30-seat venue? <laughs> yes. And, and, you were the band lead, and you were the band leader. I was the band leader. And, and uh, all your fans showed up, and uh, we still had 29 seats open. Oh, hang on. You were the band leader, and it was that great bass player. What was her name? Catherine, Catherine Popper was my band. Catherine Popper was your band, and she was a bass player. She's like one of the great rock and roll bass players. Of all time. In and fact, I will say, I'll give her a plug. Fuck it. She has a new album out with her band, Puss in Boots. Uh-huh. And Nora Jones is in the band. Ravi Shankar's daughter? Yeah. Wow. So uh, look for that. They're called Puss in Boots. Okay. I think they're, they were on The Tonight Show. Great. Great. And you were the band leader on the show, and you literally had a baton, and you and I'd go, we'll be right back, and you go, two, three, four, and she would start playing the bass. It was hysterical. I just realized my bass player friend has more late-night credits than I do. All right. So here's uh, the question from uh, Dan Anonymous. I have been listening to your show since it featured the great June Foray. Ah, uh, the voice of Rocky. So many great guests and contributors since then, but I have never donated money until now. David, <clears throat> Thank da David Citizen Bacon broke me. I am a bacon bro. Oh. He's a bacon bro. Okay. How much of that money does David Bacon get? We sent him to Washington, D.C. <laughs> Oh, I don't think you heard me. What, uh, how much of that money does David Bacon see? I, uh, he sees uh, his expenses paid. Oh, how much is that? Hey, you're not going to unionize the employees here at the David Feldman <laughs> show, are you? Uh, well, <laughs> to, be, to be an employee, you have to be paid. Wait a second. We're more, we're more volunteer army. It is a volunteer army. Because I'm making a fortune doing this show. I, oh wow! Okay, yeah, well, I, I have that on audio now. Okay, yeah. When I go to local one next week and uh, have a talk with them, we'll see. Well, you know that I'm for unions in principle. I like the idea of unions, Liam. Just right, right here at the David Feldman show. You know, uh, I have I have a real moral dilemma. Yeah. Actually, this is a serious moral dilemma. Okay. Which is. Uh, in principle, I've canceled my Amazon Prime account, which doesn't take effect until uh, months from now. Yeah. But when I need stuff last minute Are, to come the next day. Did you also day, cancel your internet because you're breaking up? <laughs> I didn't cancel my internet. Okay. You, an you canceled. Breaking up. You canceled. Oh, that's okay. It's not so long. If you can't hear me, it's fine. Okay. I'll stick to just jumping in with jokes once in a while. Okay. Yeah, so what about Amazon? Oh, well, I had something delivered. So I needed it today. And uh, I don't know. I don't want to talk. Well, I, I don't know what's going on with the sound quality today, but I will plow through it. I will plow That's through That's what your mom said. After she gave you all those discounts at the, at the, at the, at the, the bunny ranch in Las Vegas. <laughs> Let me pay her with a coupon for free hugs. All right. 
Uh, Billy Brown is back. He's calling to us from, Ch- uh, writing to us from Chinatown. Does David or Liam have any thoughts on the coronavirus? What is the last virus David contracted? Which team does Liam like to win the Super Bowl? Thanks, <laughs> Billy. I'm going to go out on a limb. Okay. And call it the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to hold you to it. And uh, have you uh, any thoughts on the coronavirus, for or against? Here's the thing. I thought the end of the world would be a lot more eventful than this. Mm-hmm. So far, I'm spending uh, the end times pretty bored. Oh, okay. I mean, the seventh seal is open. The plague has spread across the land. We're getting locusts in Africa. And uh, I'm bored. Okay. Now you know how the listeners to the segment feel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should I go on to my next, uh, my next uh, question, which comes to us from Bernie Pimp, Senior Cat? Okay. This is a, he's a Leo, and he's located in Boston. And it says, what information about yourself can David share on the show? And he says, I'll never see a Liam show. What? He's mad at you. What? About what? I don't know. That's it? That was his entire comment? Okay. Uh, He says, I've been listening to your show and parroting the talking point. Trump told Zelensky he merely needed to announce the Biden investigation, but not investigate. Episode 1107, I learned the evidence is in the call transcript. Can you ask your guest to point out where the next time... They come on. Where in the transcript the next time they come on? It seems pretty subjective and a stretch. I don't see it. Now I have egg on my face. I expect the real news from the David Feldman show. Also, tell your listeners to donate and volunteer for Bernie more. All right. Well, first of all, tell him. Hang on. He sent me a PDF from WhiteHouse.gov. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Tell him he doesn't have egg on his face unless dudes started ejaculating eggs and I didn't hear about it. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, come on. That's just not nice, Liam. That is just not. This is a concerned listener. He expects to learn and, you know, he gets his news. I'm sorry, Bernie Pimp Senior Cat. And thank you. For- <laughs> thank you for the PDF. I will look uh, at it. Uh, if you want. I'm glad he asked me that question, though. I don't know the answer, and I don't remember the guests who said it. That's the problem. I'm pretty sure you start with Trump saying hello and work your way forward. Okay. This next question comes to us from not Michael Bloomberg. Uh, he is located where you may or may not be stopped and frisked. So that would be, well, that would be New York City, right? That would be uh, any strip club. Okay. Stop, frisk, and removal of wallet. Yeah. Said your mother when she was working. Whoa. Yeah. Well, is that a nice 
Is that a nice way to speak about a lady who is so good to you when nobody else would be? You're right. You're right. Is that a nice way to speak about the woman who ushered you into manhood, David? Yeah, until the check bounced. <laughs> then she stopped bouncing. Oh, All right. no. All right. This is uh, from uh, not Michael Bloomberg. He says, well, I seem to think the race is going to come down to Sanders v. Bloomberg. And all know who the true and we all know who the true American is in this scenario. Bernie thinks he can speak to the people. No, Bloomberg has it right. He's doing it the right way. He's buying his way in true red blooded American fashion. God bless the USA. I would assume you, uh, Liam, uh, have a soft spot uh, for uh, for Bloomberg, right? Are you calling me a real estate developer? It's the only person, the only people that liked Bloomberg. Do you like Bloomberg? Uh, no, I think it was a bad mayor. I think he sold the city out from under the citizens. Okay. Suppose he gave you Medicare for all. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, none of the candidates are going to give me Medicare for all, but some of them are promising. All right. This next one comes to us from Michael. He listens to us in Kyoto, Japan. Could you imagine what would happen in this country if it was Jew versus Jew for the presidency? People would ride in the streets. Wasn't that a cartoon strip from Mad Magazine, Jew versus Jew? <laughs> oh, no, Spy versus Spy. Spy versus... Yeah, people are, people are like awfully certain about who the frontrunner is after... Two states have been counted. Are you going to vote for Bernie if he gets the nomination? Of course. Okay. And who do you like? I still like Elizabeth Warren, man. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know if she has a chance of winning, but uh, we'll see. She wants affordable health care as opposed to free health care. What do you want? I want a president who can actually follow through on what they promise. Okay. So, uh, Michael is a retired philosophy professor living in Japan. And you'll like this, Liam. You're going to like this. Okay. David. We've heard from him before, by the way. Huh? We've heard from him before. Okay. David, as, I, as, as I've complained, you've done a good job at discrediting... Singular writer into the show. David, as I complained, you've done a good job at discrediting Elizabeth Warren as a candidate. Now, when she retires from the field, perhaps 8% of her 11% will go to Bernie, yielding 28 to 30% to Bernie. While you were devastating her, the barnacles of the DLC have concentrated 40 to 50% around Biden, Klobuchar, Buttigieg. When they make a deal, as they surely will, a DLC candidate, that would be the De Democratic Leadership Council, I believe. They're kind of conservative. Uh, uh, -huh. uh, uh the DLC candidates, uh, a candidate, when they make a deal as they surely will, a DLC candidate will win. You could have concentrated all your fire on DLC candidates, but you were more worried that Warren might surpass Bernie, I think an impossibility. But now by splitting the left, you have guaranteed the victory of some DLC candidate. Good work. Please learn the danger of splitting the left to get your guy in the future. There won't yeah. be a future. As lefties always do, they hand the nomination to the DLC, which can't win. 
I hope uh-huh. the satisfaction of handing the nomination to a DLC candidate was worth the pure droughts of ether you imbibed. Oh, you can learn it. You guarantee that Trump will win by discrediting left feminists instead of DLC candidates of any sex or race. Sorry, you could not see the real enemies and wasted so much time shaming a poor woman who was never going to win. Just like Trump going after Biden, you chose the wrong enemy and destroyed them. The real enemies, Trump or the DLC, uh... Thank God I don't have to live in that shit show, America. All right. Uh, this guy's given me a couple of things to think about. Yeah. What would you like? Uh, I I think he's given you maybe a little more credit for having an influence on national politics. Yeah. Yeah. A little too much credit for the 50,000th most popular podcast on the internet. I don't think I trashed Elizabeth. I, I, I've said that Elizabeth Warren would be the greatest president of my lifetime, which right. speaks volumes to how lousy my lifetime has been. But, you know, I would vote for Elizabeth Warren. I don't think that uh, calling her out on Medicare for all is uh, hateful and hurtful. I think she is a Harvard technocrat. And I've called her out on having plans, but no authenticity. You know, uh, this is about winning the nomination. I'm a Bernie bro. Was I too right. hard? Was I too hard on Elizabeth Warren? You know, I don't think so. I just I, like that this guy's afraid that the Democrats are going to get a candidate that the majority of Democrats vote for. Yeah. Well, what what are, what's going to happen when Bernie gets the nomination, and all this then then all then I'll hand, vote for him. Yeah, and all this hand wringing about Bernie Bros and pushing people out of the tent. What happens when he becomes president? He's never going to be president. Why do you say that? Because magical thinking isn't real, David. Okay, but what happens when he becomes president? If he becomes president, then we'll have a president that 50% of this country fucking hates and 50% of this country can live with. Mm -hmm. And what if we get the Senate by one vote and we rewrite the Senate rules, get rid of the filibuster and pass Medicare for all? What if there's a man? What if an alien ship lands and fucking gives us the cure for cancer and a solution for peace in our time? Okay, what what happens? Just let me play this out. Play this out. Play this out for a second. I'm playing it out. Bernie gets the nomination. You're going to vote for him? Yeah. Okay, and what if you discover that half this country, which can't come up with $500 for an emergency, suddenly rises to their feet and goes and votes and he wins by a landslide what would your thoughts be what would you what what would your thought i'm just you know listen i've been wrong about everything but what happens if bernie wins with a landslide and he takes the senate what would you think Uh, well first of all i would sneak into his campaign headquarters and get the lamp that the genie came out of (laughs) i'm I'm asking i'm asking you and I'm There's asking, no such thing in this day and age as a candidate who will have a Reagan-esque landslide. 
Well, Reagan, when he beat Carter, didn't have a Reagan-esque landslide. He had a, a landslide, uh, you know, technically in the Electoral College, but it wasn't like Roosevelt's landslide. But uh, when he beat Dukakis, when who beat Dukakis? I'm sorry. <laughs> huh? when, when who? When who? I meant Mondale. I meant Mondale. Okay. Okay. The I'm, same but, guy. I'm, but I'm asking you this question because this reveals who you really are. Oh yeah. What's that? Okay. A realist. Okay. You wake up on election day. Right. Okay. Okay, I wake up, uh, but somehow after the polls have closed. Okay, you're being... So I've taken a 48-hour nap, and I've woken up after the polls closed. You wake up, and Bernie has won the presidency. Right. The Democrats have kept the House, which, you know, there's a considerable majority in the House. And, uh-huh. and they have won the, the Senate. So now we have a president who's a Democrat... And, okay. and a Bernie. He's not a Democrat, but okay. I'm sorry, what? He's not a Democrat, but okay. Okay, so you don't like Bernie? I'd say he's a fake Democrat. Are you going to vote for him? If he gets the nomination. Okay. And we have a Democratic Senate, and now he passes legislation. Because re- he's so good at working with, with other senators. But we have a majority in the Senate now. And he's really good at transactional politics, which is what gets stuff passed in the Senate. Would you support? Would you support free tuition at at, at public universities? Of course, you would. Support, Wouldn't uh, okay? Yeah. Okay. Would you support Medicare for all? Uh, it depends on how and it's implemented, and uh, what what the structures are. And whether or not there are private options, people who can afford them. Okay. Private options. Yeah. I'm not going to go through this because you're an ignoramus. You're an ignoramus. What are you going to do if you wake up? If four years from now they've implemented Medicare for all, it's working and everybody's happy and the world smells like cinnamon and there's constant sunshine but it's a balmy sunshine because climate change has been cured first first of all that'll give you a stroke so i hope that never happens david you can't live in a world of positivity you know okay michael another michael from newburgh (laughs) new york writes i heard al franken today on sirius xm talking with jimmy kimmel There's a meeting of the minds. Al said that no modern country has eliminated private health insurance, even though their primary system may be private payer. Well, okay, so that's Al. You see, Al is against Medicare for all. Now, Al deserves some credit because he forced, he is personally responsible for getting us Obamacare. When he finally took his Senate seat, he met with David right. Axelrod and screamed and said, you have to do something about health care. And we got Obamacare, which is a love letter to the health insurance companies. And for some reason, Al Franken keeps repeating this bromide that every single country that has single pair also has uh, a private pair. That's not true in England and that's not true in Canada it simply is not true. They have private. It is true. Hang on for one second. You can go see a private doctor if you can afford it in England. Yeah. 
and and you can't in in Canada. You, only the very rich do that. And yeah. So the idea that it's like, dude, I read on the internet that I am three months away from being a millionaire. Okay. All right. Al said he did not think that Democrats could get elected on a platform of eliminating private insurance. Well, you know, again, it's it's the primaries have just started. What are you for, Al? What are you for? He uh, okay. And he, this, would we be having this conversation if you had gotten that job at SNL? Uh, I like Al. <laughs> okay. Uh, this comes to us from Jody. She's a, a nurse. That's her zodiac sign. <laughs> Hi, Liam. Oh, it's for Liam. Hi, Jody. Hi, Liam. When will the Down with Tyranny book and music store be open again? Much thanks, Jody. Wow, that's a very good question. I'm looking it up right now. Down with Tyranny. Uh, bookstore. And while you're doing that, I'll ask uh, Howie Klein. This next one comes to us from Larry. He's a Capricorn. Down with Tyranny Bookstore. He's not finding When Feldman asks you to stay on the line for one quick second, is it to apologize or remind his guests he's only kidding, or is it to harass his guests even more? Is it really one quick second? Or does it feel like one when you were in school and the bell rings and you are running out the door, but the teacher calls you back into the room and you shuffle back in and the teacher asks if you cheated off of Bobby's paper? Is that what it's like when he says, stay on the line for one quick second? You know, I've seen that. Uh, Go ahead. I, I mean, I can tell you, I can't tell you for the other guests, but for me, he usually just asks to borrow 50 bucks. Yes. This next question comes to us from Ryan. He's he's in Ohio. He says, I don't uh, regret voting for Nader in 2000, even though us protest voters were enough to swing Ohio from Bush to Gore, thus making Florida's chads irrelevant. I really. Okay. I really enjoyed yesterday's discussion with Timothy, Timothy Ulrich. He's a reporter working in China. I thought I already understood a lot about what's going on in China, but hearing you dive deep into the tastes and textures of rural wangs and dongs, I mean, wow. I was hoping to hear a discussion about the potential implications of the coronavirus on the enduring protests in Hong Kong. But, uh, yeah, we we talked about uh, the taste of uh, bull penis, which is a, a delicacy in China. And he writes... Uh, edit out about 364 minutes of your show and you could be an NPR contributor. <laughs> <laughs> Look out, Ira Glass. Very good, very good. This one comes to us from Bernie Ho, Baby Cat. Well, it's official. The political horse race is off and running and it has me thinking of the upcoming Kentucky Derby. At the next Running of the Roses, I really hope there's a horse in the race named Stable Genius... Blessed be the toot, be Arches Bernie Ho out. That's a funny. See, she's great. Stable genius. Right? Yes, yeah, great. I don't know why you don't marry Bernie Ho. I went on a date last week. Oh, that's right. Through Bumble, right? 
through Bumble. It went on a Bumble date. And? Uh, and we're she possibly going on a... What's that? The way it works with Bumble is she picks you and... She con- right? She contacts you first. And, and then she asks you to meet her in a hotel room, a Cozy 8 motel, and <laughs> give you her credit card number. Was she a prostitute? And you wake up in a tub full of ice. Uh-huh. Missing a kidney. Missing a kidney. Uh, and, a, and a thing scrawled on the mirror that says, Welcome to the world of AIDS. Yes. Oh, that's not nice. How'd the date go? It went great. Honestly, it was like uh, we went to see a selection of Oscar-nominated short films. Uh, and then we went to dinner. And it lasted about five hours. Okay. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, so we're, I think we're going out this weekend. Okay, good. Uh, this next one. She's a devout Mormon, though. That's that's the only thing that's holding me up a little bit. She won't let you into her magic underpants? <laughs> yeah. All right, this next question comes to us from uh, Grass Putin. Have you ever dated a devout Christian, David? Uh, well, they don't start off as one. <laughs> About halfway through the date, they decided they they don't believe in sex before marriage. They don't believe in sex or after. Before. Yeah, and uh, they really, really start to dislike my kind of people. <laughs> See, devout Christians don't believe in sex before marriage. Devout Jews don't believe in sex after marriage. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> oh, I made up a joke about. Hang on, you know why Orthodox? Oh, this is terrible. People, turn off your speakers. <laughs> don't listen to this. I apologize. Uh, I won't do it. Do it, do it. Come on, now you got it. Hold the sheet because they don't want to pay for lingerie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's that's very anti-Semitic. I know. Okay. Uh, Grass Putin writes, what are some of the... But anyway, it's kind of testing the limits of my tolerance. I'm sorry, what? It's testing the limits of my tolerance a little bit. Date someone who's that devoutly Christian. Oh, you're dating a devout Christian. Mormon, yeah. A devout Mormon. Well, okay, so listen, love is love, right? Yeah, but what if I just want to have sex with her and then ghost her? Well. Do you know how much money it costs to keep taking a woman out? Okay. Do you think you're going to have sex with her? I don't know, man. What? I don't like to assume. But, you know, from what I understand, Mormons like sex. They do. Did you know Salt Lake City is the area that watches the most gay porn? Uh, Yes, and Orlando. Florida. And Orlando. Orlando watches the most porn. Yeah. I've told you my theory about that. Why do you think Salt Lake City uh, watches the most gay porn? Because there's a lot of people who are deeply in the closet, and that's the only way they can, uh, you know... Get off. I see. So it's the gay porn capital of the world. Also, really high incidence of opioid abuse. Well, hang on for one second. That explains the salt in the lake. 
<laughs> I bet there's a lot of protein in it. Okay. That's why they have those kids. They dip, take a dip in Salt Lake City. They come out pregnant. Okay. All right. This next one comes to us from Grass Putin. What are some of the books you've been reading recently, if any, Dave? How's your girlfriend, David? And if you could please ask Harvey J.K. the same Where'd question. Where'd you guys go in a day last week? About halfway through his book, Promise in America, Thomas Paine, and just wanted to give him a shout out. Also, I checked out Dr. Jen's YouTube channel. The David Feldman Show has an all-star lineup. And I I haven't even mentioned the show's MVP, Leah McEnany, who is yeah. apparently not allowed to have opinions on Medicare for all. Oh, <laughs> also, can we please talk about Liam and Bernie Ho Baby Cat? I mean, I'm sure everyone absolutely loves hearing about how they almost met up and didn't. I find it <laughs> I find it absolutely enthralling every single episode. Oh, also, what's up with the dude calling bitching about the dent in your head? By the way, the sound effects are great. Don't let the Jersey bro get you down, David. Was that a real caller? Because that voice sounded so exaggerated, like from a shitty movie. Well, I'm done for real now, and this listener question still isn't as long as the Irishman. I haven't seen <laughs> it, but I love it. Thank you, Grass. What I love is it sounds like someone someone went to like an old age home and just found someone like rambling dementia mm -hmm. and just and just like dictated like it's wrote down everything they said. Okay, this transcribe. This next question comes to us from Mr. Mom. Dude, Dr. Jen is cute. You know, if you ever break up with your girlfriend, you should date. I'm sorry, did you say something? Yeah, if you ever bring up with your girlfriend, you should date Dr. Jen. She's cute. Okay. Uh, We're like friends on all social media networks. I'm sorry? We're friends across all social media platforms. Okay. Is President Trump... Who is your girlfriend, by the way? I'm sorry? It's your girlfriend. Is President Trump the first president to have his Eastern European house What are you guys doing for Valentine's Day? Is President you know, it's Valentine's Day. What are you and your girlfriend doing tonight? Is President Trump the first president to have his Eastern European housekeeper? I think I forgot to answer my question, so I'll ask it again. This is what funny. are you and your girlfriend doing for Valentine's Day? I'll get to that in a second. This is a funny question, Liam. Is President Trump the first president to have his Eastern European housekeeper put the Medal of Freedom on his selected recipient? <laughs> That's pretty good. I just got that. That's funny. Yeah. I was under the assumption that the presidents themselves did the honor. Is Rush Limbaugh getting the hi-hat, the hi-hat, in a roundabout way? That's pretty funny. All That's right. good. Yeah. And nothing to add to that. So what are you and your girlfriend doing tonight? Uh, this next question comes to us from Carol. Tonight is Valentine's Day, David. You can't ignore me forever. What are you doing with your girlfriend? Where are you taking I'll her? I'll tell you in a second. Uh, uh, Buy her are you buying her roses? Did you remember to order roses for her? Carol is a Sagittarius from Minneapolis, and she asked, what did Kelly Stone teach in college? You cut her off before she could answer. Well, if you listen to Tuesday's show, you will discover that she was teaching human sexuality and got, uh -huh. fi and got fired, and we right. talk about that. Was she being hands-on? <laughs> no, uh, the crazy Christians came after her. Was she giving a practical demonstration? Yeah. Uh, but okay, speaking of which, uh, are you taking your girlfriend out to dinner? Tell me. You tell me what's going on. 
I, I honestly, I'm genuinely curious. I know we have a bit where, like, I describe how awful your dating life must be, and I'm guessing I get it right more times than I don't. But I'm genuinely curious. Like, what are you and your girlfriend doing tonight? Okay, this is voicemail. I'll let me get through. We got through all the listener questions. I think. have you bought your girlfriend flowers yet? You go to one eight hundred flowers dot com, David. I got her two lips. <laughs> Come on, seriously. I hope you bought her a dozen roses. Okay. This next call. So we I think we got through all listener questions. And I wanna oh. I, I want to apologize for the for the show, the quality of the show, specifically our our guest, Liam McInerney. <laughs> all right. So let us know. It's worse than any other time I'm on the show. Well, I'm okay. Anytime you want to fire me, go for it. Okay. Well, you're trying to unionize. <laughs> I resent it. Here we go. Hi, David. Uh, this is Tom in Portland again. Listen, I want to thank you for playing me on, the, on your great show last week. Um, boy, I feel like I have to defend myself a little bit. Um, I just want to explain, like, right from the get-go, that tonight I'm I'm a little, well, I drank a little bit, but I also smoked a little bit, and so <laughs> I'm feeling pretty, uh, feeling pretty good right now. And uh, I just wanted to explain that the reason that I, I called your show mainly is that um, I love your show, but I noticed that Liam is consistently the, uh, the worst part of your show. That kind of reminds <laughs> me of Beavis a little bit. He's always... He's always sniveling and laughing. My, my big problem with Liam is he always kind of laughs. He punches down. Uh, I prefer your kind of oh. humor where you're go after the billionaires instead of the people who've got uh, I like a this cat guy. problem under their under their trailer. You know, obviously that entertains Liam a lot more. Ooh. But uh, oh. anyway, that I heard. I was absolutely delighted and uh, great show. Thank you. Uh, just get Liam. Get get a better guy for uh, reading the news because he's never made me laugh. Mm. Not once. I he's like, awful. I like this and guy. He's not a Bernie guy. So what's he doing on your show? Exactly. Say, well, first of all. That was the entire challenge. It wasn't to be entertaining. It wasn't to I'm begging him to fire me. Show. I want to get my Fridays back. Bernie, Medicare for all. Go Bernie, Medicare for all, Bernie Bros. We stick together, man. Liam, is it is it punching down when I make fun of the horrible drunks that leave unfunny voicemails? <laughs> if so, I apologize. I I understand what it is like to have an alcohol problem. Are, are, you're AA, right? Yeah, I'm AA. Okay. Then this guy, feel free to leave a message. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll help you, buddy. First half submitting you have a problem, which is what you did today. But but here's the thing. This is Bernie country, and, and you're shitting in Bernie country. We're, we're, this is You can't do that here on our show. I love you. You know I love you. I think you're brilliant. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, but, you know, this is... We drank the Kool-Aid, man. Anytime you guys want to get rid of me. <laughs> All you have to do, Ber uh, Bernie, all you have to do, Liam, is vote for Bernie and support Medicare for all. I will vote for Bernie if he becomes the uh, candidate in the general. Okay. That's uh, all I'm going to offer. And, and will you resist Medicare for all? 
I uh, will probably let my senator know I don't support it. Okay, why not? Uh, there's a lot of deadbeats who don't deserve to live. Oh, that's so you know make- what? Hang on, I think you're right. You've convinced me. In all seriousness, you're- in all seriousness, they're deadbeats who don't deserve to live. Okay, stop that. You know what? I know you're saying that to to get a rise out of my listeners, but uh, you don't mean that. No, no, no. That's why I am pro coronavirus. <laughs> Let me tell you something, folks. Liam is playing the heel on this show. In order for no, this... No, no. Hang on. I'm sending the coronavirus some addresses. Oh, hang on for one second. I do this on Michael Brooks's show. I do it on Sam Cedar's <laughs> show. I play the heel. It's funny to have a heel. And Liam is the heel. David, I, if, these, if these guys don't get it by now, then they're never going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I don't... I, <laughs> I, I know that uh, he likes getting a rise out of me, and he he, he rather alienate my <laughs> listeners than uh, see me calm. All right, let, let's go. <laughs> All right. I'm going easy today because I heard you almost have a stroke at the top of the show because of sound issues. Yeah, we had sound issues. I hope you play our first attempt at this call. No, I, I can't do it. That was great. All right, yeah, maybe I'll play it. At the, you know what? All right, let, let, let's go. Let, let's now go to our next voicemail. <laughs> hey, this is Citizen Sausage in the Windy City. I was calling for Citizen Bacon. <laughs> I just wanted to say great job on all the reporting from the New Hampshire primary. Great job on the reporting from D.C. Love the podcast, Citizen Bacon. Hey, if I could give you one piece of quick constructive criticism, though. I don't know about that Feldman guy. Why do you have him on so much? I mean, he's okay, but he kind of acts like it's his show. That's not what the people are here for. It's the Citizen Bacon show. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe cut down his time a little bit. But other than that, you're doing great stuff, Citizen Bacon. The people love you. Everyone in the Windy City loves you. Keep it up. All right, go Bernie. Big win last night. Goodbye. Boy, you uh, you really got it from John Travolta's character from Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> hey, up your nose with a rubber hose. Hey, Mr. Cotter, uh, <laughs> what's up with this David Feldman guy? <laughs> please, oh, oh. please forgive. Please forgive my son for trafficking underage girls to, <laughs> to Prince Andrew, signed Epstein's mother. Okay, 202-670-2752 is the number, and we've got two more voicemails. Oh, Jesus. Hey, ho, me again. Um, So anyway, Uh, I'm telling a story about the Ford Motor killing this guy in 1940, and then Amazon did the same thing recently. And employees were upset, and they wouldn't let them stop working. Settle and oh, wait, I think I need to pl- I played him out of order. Hang on. <laughs> I like hey, David, it's me again. Tell in Portland. Um, at the risk of uh, sounding weird, I just wanted to explain something. This is a conversation <laughs> that happened uh, at the local this evening that uh, sent off the previous phone call. True story. <laughs> Swear to God, this is a true story. 
So uh, my dad was a World War II veteran for the Battle of the Bulge. He told this story. One of the things that uh, really stuck with me as a kid. He worked at Ford Motor Company in Norfolk, Virginia. No, no, seriously, pause it. The the man. Is, how long? How long is this? How long is this? Message? I don't know. I don't know. If it's longer than two and a half minutes. I'm bailing. I'm hanging up. Really? It sounds boring already. <laughs> About his- I I am speaking for your listener now. I know your listeners hate my politics, but I am doing them a huge favor and saying you can't play two more voicemails by this guy. He, his, he's talking about his father who served in World War II. Yeah, everybody knows a waiter. It's fine. I get it. Everybody knows what? A waiter. I get it. He served. Oh, we do it for- he served. You're saying he was a waiter in World War II. Yeah. I mean, Musso okay, and Franks. Great. I get it. Okay. Hollywood Canteen, of course. <laughs> and he belongs to the local. He, he's a union guy. He's a union guy. I, I grew up around a million of these guys in Queens. None of them have anything to say. They'll talk your ear off. I don't think you like Tom from Portland. I uh, After that last message, I thought I was giving him a chance. I thought maybe he's going to apologize for his tone of voice in the last message. Why don't you meet him in Vegas <laughs> for some bare-knuckle, some bare-knuckle boxing? Why don't you have sex with Bernie Ho Baby Cat? And some bare knuckle boxing with Tom from Portland. Now, all I know how to do is punch down. <laughs> you know, because punching down is funnier. It is funnier. Of course, it is. I can't do it because I have to live with <laughs> I have to live with myself. But, but punching down is funny. Yeah, just just if you're listening to this, uh, it's a little different when the mics are off. What are you saying? Saying, I'm saying your, your your style of joking is a little different when you're not being recorded. People know that. People who listen to the show know that the only thing that makes me laugh are <laughs> is pain and suffering. Yeah, but that that's not something you share no. professionally. No, right. All right, let's get through this. Let's get through well, this because well, I do have to go. I do have to hang up at some. Point. This is I do the, have this whole life I have to get to at some this point. This is our best segment ever. <laughs> <laughs> the sound quality was good. It, it was, it There's was, one person listening, and it's this drunk in Portland who wants to hear the sound of his own voice. All right, let me see. Let me, out of respect for you, let me see how long the message is. Let me play it. Let me continue. And just before the Japanese invasion of Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning. Or it's two minutes and twenty six seconds. Okay, let's let's muscle through it. I'll be quiet. Let's muscle through it. Okay. All right. Thank you. He was eighteen year old kid. Ford Motor was the last automobile company to be unionized in America. I know you're a pro union guy. So this story will interest you. So my dad personally witnessed this. When he was 18 years old, they decided in the Norfolk plant that if they uh, added an extension cord onto an electrical extension cord onto the welders, they could keep the line going as they were spot welding the chassis. So a guy jumped in the chassis. The workers never wanted to do this. They never felt comfortable with it. Two weeks after this started, 
the lines were frayed because of constant, you know, rubbing against other things. Long story short, my father witnessed a 35-year-old man, father of three, in riding in a chassis, spot welding a car for Ford, get electrocuted. Uh, oh. Liam, would you like to comment on that? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's unfortunate. Okay. All right. One more minute. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm listening. All right. All the men, obviously, on the plant were very upset and were screaming for the line to be shut down immediately. And the plant refused because they could produce eight or 12 more vehicles a day if they never shut it off. So they told my dad, you have a new cord, you jump in and pull him out. And I want you to play this on the radio, so I won't say exactly what he said, but he said, screw you, I quit. In my entire life, I thought the most important thing for a person to say is, screw you, I quit. And there's not enough people saying, screw you, I quit. And the other day, four people at the Justice Department did that. And Americans need to bow down when people do that. Anyway, I told this story tonight to this right-wing libertarian jerk at this bar. And I mentioned the story because what's shocking is a very similar thing recently happened at Amazon. And I've told this story to people for years about the importance of unions. And I go, Tom, that's the past. That's the past. We don't need Well, Liam. Wow. Yeah. Boy, what a reminder that every minute has 60 seconds. <laughs> how, how come on now? <laughs> See, I'm trying to do a show here, and did his uh, did his phone commit suicide at the end of that? All right, here's here's, here's <laughs> let me just full disclosure, Tom from Portland and Liam. Okay, I'm hosting a show here, and the fact is, I like that Liam is being the heel here, and kind of. No, no, I'm seriously bored by this guy. Yeah, but you see that that this what this does it, it's good. For our listeners, the problem is uh, Tom isn't here to fight with you. That's the problem. And, and you know, I'm being a bit disingenuous, like I'm pretending to be mad at you for doing this, I, Liam. But I know that it's entertaining. But he told a great story. So I'm kind of doing a disservice. To, <laughs> I'm, doing a, I'm doing a disservice to Tom. He told a great story very poorly. How's that? Well, you have a you have you have a dog in this fight because you're mad at him because he. I'm mad at him. Well, here's the thing: some people don't have a sense of humor about certain things, like right. unions and Medicare for all. Right. You know, it's it's people died. You know, for for union health care, people put right. their lives on the on the line for the safety of others. Right. People went and fought the Germans and the Japanese for the safety of others. So, you know, it's, you know, most of my show is about that. This is the part of the show where I kick back and uh, <laughs> don't give a shit about anything. But Tom, you know, you got to respect Tom in all seriousness. I did Pearl Harbor him. I apologize. Huh? 
I said I did Pearl Harbor him. I apologize. What do you mean? I mean, I launched an unexpected attack. Right. But, like, in all honesty, I get to be the good guy here. And right. I'm, and I'm not because I'm enjoying you. Are you okay, David? No, no, I'm just being honest. You don't explain the show this thoroughly. I, I just feel like I should full, I should be transparent with my listeners. I, I love Tom and I love his story, but I also think there's something entertaining about having a heel on the show. Being okay, <laughs> David, be honest. Yeah. That is a good story. Yes. But isn't it also a boring voicemail? No, it isn't, actually. For this segment, it might be. Right. But you kind of made it interesting by being rude to him. Who would be right. rude to this guy? It's funny to be rude to somebody who really cares about something. If you told me the story in person, I would probably be very interested. Okay. Well, you but mean- as someone who can't wait for this segment to end, I'm like, <laughs> come on. Get to the point. All right. Last voicemail. Here we go. Jesus Christ. Let me see. hang on. We got to keep going. Ignore the quirks in the room. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wait a right second. It's, it's it's a minute, and then we'll wrap right. it. Up. Go, go, it's fine, fine. It's a good story. This is a good story. It's a minute, <laughs> and he's a good guy, and he deserves right. his minute. Probably right. with a different uh, sidekick, but the, right. the yeah. rules None of it. Huh? Should, you should play listener voicemails with uh, Joe DeVito or Jack and the Joke no, Man. No, it's good with you. I love it with you because <laughs> you play the heel, and that's funny. You make it interesting. Now, you know, the thing is, David, is I, unlike you, I'm honest about how much I look down on your audience. <laughs> you have this need. You're, like, afraid that someday you're going to need them to watch a TV show or something. Okay, let's finish Tom from Portland. Well, that's not supposed to happen anymore. That's the thing that's past. <laughs> well, you know that's not, and I know that's not. At any rate, I get into this, I'm discussing this with this person at this bar in Portland, Oregon, who is very woke, very, uh, and kept talking about the importance of recognizing the LGBTQT community. And I said, what do you mean? They're not a community. Some are Republicans and some are Democrats. And that doesn't, they're not a community just because of, and uh, he didn't understand where I was coming from. But when I mentioned the story about Ford Motor and Amazon, he looks at me and he goes with a big smile on his face. And he goes, what's the big deal? People die at work. Mm. Oh. People die at work. In 2020, this 30-year-old frickin' yuppie with a smile on his face tells me people die at work. And he has, you know, and if if your heart bleeds for that, there's something wrong with you. Wow. Holy crap. Uh, I'm afraid of this country. I really am. Bernie's our last hope. Keep doing what you're doing, David. Um, I'm not as weird as I sound. Good night. Well. You know, can I address him seriously for a second? Sure. Because he brings up an excellent point. Okay. Which is there's a segment of the left that is almost indistinguishable from the right. What do you mean? What I mean is, like, 
they know how to talk the talk and they're woke and they're on Twitter and they are concerned about certain human rights. But when it comes to actually the actual politics of things, they sound like they get their talking points from Fox News. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in a room full of Tulsi Gabbard supporters a couple months ago, and that's exactly what it sounded like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's everybody on the left. I'm saying there's like a certain diehard faction that sounds a lot more like the right wing than the left. Yeah, because when you practice identity politics, that's what the right does. They view things through the prism of your sexuality and your race or your religion as opposed to your class. Well, they also, well, they really view you based on your class, but that's the people who run the right. But they, right. trick, they trick you into viewing things uh, you know, through uh, religion and ethnicity. Well, Tom from Portland, thank you for your... Uh, you know, message. Tom, in all seriousness, that was a very good story. Yeah. yeah. All kidding aside, it was, a, it was a very good story with a hell of a twist. Yes. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while, believe it or not. Yes. Because I find that really upsetting that someone will say that. I'm a very, I'm a very pro-union guy. <laughs> What's happening? Uh, uh, there's all kinds of fire departments going down the boulevard. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell. We're, we're gonna wrap it up, and I'm gonna tell you why I stopped playing the heel on stage. <laughs> you did you know me in the the mid '90s? Did you ever see no. my stand up in the '90s? Probably. Okay, I played the heel. I before Colbert, I was the fake conservative. Uh-huh. And I would travel around the country and I would make fun of the politically correct and I would trivialize climate change. And and I was doing kind of like what Rush Limbaugh did, but I made it funny. Right. And at one one point, I, you know, I remember it was uh, it, it was the night Clinton got reelected. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to pretend to be a conservative because too many people uh, believe what I'm saying. And then there are they, the other people who say, you know, I know you're joking, but it upsets me. So I stopped. I stopped uh, being the heel. I think you're going I think to, I think today you're going through that. No, I. uh now, I don't play the heel in any other situation. Yeah. But keep playing the heel. It's fun. I'm not playing the heel. I, I, I don't think Bernie Sanders is the best choice for president. Here we go again. What is going I on? Don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. How dare you? You do. You're a Bernie bro. I think Elizabeth Warren is the best choice for president. Okay. All right, I what, would vote for Gus, the field goal kicking mule, if it came down to the the candidate. All right. Hey, what are you doing for Valentine's Day? I'm doing a show in Hollywood at yeah. the Three of Clubs. At the Three of Clubs? Yeah. Okay. All right. If people want to follow Liam on Twitter, hey, it's Liam. If people or or Radio Liam on Instagram. If people want to listen to your podcast. Tell your friends the world's greatest podcast. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. 
working? I think it's at tyfpodcast.com. Is that what? tyfpodcast.com. What is that? It's uh, the website for my podcast. Oh, tell your friends. Yeah, or tellyourfriendspodcast.com too. And Working Class Fancy is the name of your comedy album. And you'll sure. be at Vitello's on the 25th. And you'll be making out with Bernie Ho Baby Cat in Vegas. Are you going to hook up with her and record it? I I will see. She's kind of afraid of me, so she's probably going to pretend she's out of town again. Okay. I love you, buddy. Love you too, brother. Stay on the line. Uh, that's what I say. <laughs> that's what he said. That's stay, what she said. Stay on the line for one quick second. Stay on the line for one quick second. Oh, hang on. Let me play your outro. Do we have a theme song for you? Yeah, Emilio made a theme song, but uh, you only played it that one time. Oh, you know what? I can't find it. Damn it. I, well, he sent us an email. It's in the email. All right, I'll have to look for it. I love Emilio. That's, how do you like that for a theme song? That's very upbeat. You're listening to the David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump.